The cycle of history repeats itself, much to the Dark God's merriment. We approach the hour of the last phoenix when only Assyrian's fading power can save us from the thirsting cane. The fate of the elves now relies upon two realms, one doomed to perish in fire and slaughter, and one that shall endure whilst I have strength to defend it. Mortals shall assume divine roles, the heirs of Anirian will fight the final battle, and the accursed Widowmaker shall be freed from its prison of stone. These are the end times. Welcome to the Garage, you tools. Join us as we delve into Cain, the bloodlust, the intrigue, alliances broken and made, bringing you continued end times coverage. I'm Chris Yu. And I'm just another character who's getting killed in these books. There's a lot of those. <laughs> I could be anybody. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> there's a lot of them. Holy mackerel. How are you, brother? I'm hanging in there. How are you doing? Uh, doing good, man. Been a long week for both of us. You've been working like a dog this week. Got to pay those bills. Got to pay for Warhammer figs. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got to buy four greater demons and two skull cannons and play an unbound uh, bit know. of nonsense. Oh, Possible. Yeah. So, oh, we are going to jump right in. Folks, um, cane coverage. So, as with the other books, we're going to skip our normal segments. But we would never skip thanking our sponsors. Thank you to Unique Gifts and Games located in... Grace Lake, Illinois. Mircea Miniatures. How's that spelled? M-I-E-R-C-E hyphen miniatures dot Mantic. Oh, excuse me. Mantic Sorry. Games. Building bigger armies. And finally, you ready? Yes, yes, yes. Battle Foam protecting your... Army. Epic. Yes. All right. I would do it well, in an elf voice since it's an elf book, but dude, I just can't do an elf voice. I ain't got it. <laughs> well, it would take someone with uh, maybe an English accent that could do that elf voice. Do you know of anyone that uh, could join us that has an English accent? Uh, I think I do. Tomlin, can you do an English accent? Uh, I think so. How, how does that pass? Wow, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of podcasting. <laughs> that is sharp. <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome, Chris. <laughs> How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. That was seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, you, you've uh, answered the call and have joined us here. Say it, the call of Cain. Uh, indeed, indeed. When Garage Hammer covers an End Times book, Chris Tomlin appears. It's just like I do, the winds I of do. magic brought him to us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me back. I know I was a little bit more quiet on, on the Glockkin one, but um, I put the time in and uh, I'm ready to talk some elf treachery here with you guys tonight. So, yeah. Okay, so... Before we get started, let's just hit the general basics, okay? Overall impressions. Amazing. You thought it was amazing. How about you, Chris? I thought it was excellent. I loved it. I really did. I did not love it when I started reading it. When I first began reading it, I'm like, the little intro is pretty sharp, and then it just got to stuff. Now, part of it is I've already read... Uh, I didn't read Bane of Malekith, but I read sort of... Uh, uh, sort of Anirian and uh, mm -hmm. the Blood of Anirian, or yeah, whatever it was, the sort of Kalidor, Blood of Anirian, the uh, Tyrion and Teclis trilogy. And it sort of leads into this. A lot of those little fantasy trilogies have been leading you into this series. And so some of it was seemed like rehash, and some of it was very dry, sort of like the beginning of the Silmarillion in ways, where it just 
a lot of facts getting kicked out in a row. Like a lot, of, a lot of names. There's a lot of names being thrown about as well. Yeah, but, yeah. I found a lot. A lot of people I knew that read it that weren't so sort of up to scratch with the elf characters. Found it a bit, bit hard to really work out who who all the characters were. But mm. I mean, we will get onto it. There is a part in here that that does cover that somewhat. But yeah, I, I, I haven't read the the Blood of an Aryan books, but I re- really do want to. What was funny, I think I loved it when I first read it, but when I've been going back over it um, to pick up the notes for this, I almost enjoyed it more because you're sort of almost reading a bit more in depth than perhaps you do initially, I think. I think so, yeah. Knowing what's coming, uh, they drop little hints and, and are setting things mm. up. And it's, yeah. uh, it's written quite sharply, I think. Definitely. When you know what's coming, you can pick up the little symbols and the little things that you missed the first time. Second readings, the English teacher and me will tell you, yes, read it the second time. It's always going to get you something better. <laughs> mm-hmm. But so, um, yeah, I thought this was, and as, I mean, as it went on, there were parts where I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Harrison's like, mm-hmm. what? I'm literally yelling, <laughs> whoa, in my house as I'm reading some of these battles. Harrison's like, what? I'm like, oh, this and this and this happened. He's like, what? <laughs> like, you, yeah. ain't, you ain't kidding. We but, know, you know we, for, Go ahead, Chris. Sorry, I was going to say, you know, coming into an End Times book, you know there's going to be character deaths. We, we've come to expect that. And as a long-term elf player, you're sort of going into it, you, you, you're sort of a bit wary. You know some of your characters are going to go down, yet even when it happens, you're like, no! Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty shaky stuff at times. Because Indeed. they do it well. And they, they do. don't do it. They try to get you. In, they, like, they know you're expecting it, so they're trying to lull you. And, and hit. you know, it's it's like you have the cat jump out and do the big scare in the dark <laughs> yeah. so that everyone goes, ah, and then they go, oh, it's just, then you hit them. Boom. <laughs> right you know, out and, of left field. Yeah. And you know, for for every one of those oh my gosh parts, there there were several points, and we can get to this during the read during the discussion where I know there's something important happening, but as I'm reading it, even if a third or fourth reading, I know something important is happening, but I can't decipher exactly what that is. Was that just <laughs> me? No, there were parts I feel like, and again, I think we mentioned this on maybe Glockin or I did, but I think it's the bit I've. I've got my head around it a little bit more the second time, but I found it's where they start integrating the gods things, mixing mm. in, and sometimes you have to read a page to exactly try and work out what, what's happening, and it can be a, a bit cryptic, especially when they use elf, elven terms for things mm. as well, and it's not entirely clear initially what perhaps they're getting at. There's still stuff that I have no idea what exactly was going on, and I'm, I'm not even that worried about it, you know? At this point, <laughs> I'm just like, okay, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with it, you know? I mean... Right. Sometimes mm-hmm. they pull things out and they straighten it out and they explain it, and sometimes they don't. And you're just like, okay. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm just on for the ride at this point. But um, you know what? Before we really sink our teeth into a book, let's take a quick break, get back, and then we'll jump right in um, with the introduction, which is actually, in and of itself, is I think one of the better little introductions before the actual mm-hmm. chapter one starts. So... We'll be back in a minute. Chris, Chris, and Dave, back with Garage Hammer. Thank you. 
Hey folks, it's Dave, and I wanted to talk to you for a minute about Battle Foam. You've all heard me talk about it before. The foam is firm. It doesn't separate from the base. They custom cut, design, make any piece of foam you want to fit any model you want. Anytime a new army comes out, within days, you've got Battle Foam cut and designed to fit those models. This isn't a game company making cases on the side. This is a carrying case company making foam and custom carrying cases to protect your army. It's what they do. It's all they do. Check it out at BattleFoam.com. BattleFoam, protecting your army. Chaos Orc Superstore. That's right, folks. Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted boarded miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Org Superstore, what you see is what you get. Chaos Org Superstore. And we're back talking some cane with Chris, Chris, and David. Yes, Yo. Yes. So pre chapter one, we've got a few pages with lots of info. Um, that starter page, the one that we had in the uh, the opening reading. Yeah, so, there's some. There's a couple of uh, key things I think we need to touch on here without going into too much or getting into spoilers early doors but um, there's some key themes in here that we'll touch on I think multiple times um, the circle uh, the cycle of history itself um, that's something you're going to hear popping up a bit and uh, we'll have quite big uh, ramifications I think going forward um, and then also the bit where they talk about mortals shall assume divine roles um, you so, it's one of those things when you first read it you sort of just gloss over it and don't really understand the importance of that going forward but um, I don't know what do you guys think do you think they're big things in the, the grand scheme of the, the book it doesn't really become that big thing until the end when you see what it means and how it all how it all sort of plays together but um I mean, this really went in a direction I wasn't expecting. And you know, on the second reading, it's all kind of here, you know? It's, yeah. It's yeah. vague, but it's right here in this one paragraph yeah. where it's going. Mm, it really is as well. And I suppose another thing they mention in there, they talk about the accursed uh, Widowmaker shall be freed from its prison of stone. I mean, we should probably assume most people will know what the Widowmaker is. But um, Chris, do you want to let the, the people know who don't? Uh, sure, yeah. The Widowmaker was... Uh if, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the sort of an Aryan that um, that the characters in this book are vying for, and uh, it, it will unleash the power of Cain to whoever uh, um, whoever controls it. And uh, depending on who the person is, that sword will that weapon will take different forms. So one yeah. person may view it as a scepter, another may view it as a sword. So it's very interesting in the way that they set that up. Definitely, yeah. So. Like I said, I'm just getting excited. I like this. The heirs of Anarian will fight in the final battle. You've got all these things going on. It's just, oh, boy, here it comes. <laughs> and then right into another another uh, fluff passage. And I do like the overlappy parts here. 
Yeah. With the other book. But um, what I, what is Lilith and and um, who is she with here? And Ariel. Dude, what is going on here? Does it, do you guys get this better than I do because I'm not an elf player maybe? Yeah, I didn't get it at all when I first read the book, but I think I got a bit of a, a track on it reading. Again, it's one of those ones that you did have to read a couple of times. This does um, actually lead directly into a page from uh, Nagash as well. I think it's page 29 of Nagash, where the Sisters of Twilight are leading Alerial down into the Oak mm. Ages, and they right. tell her, please save our mother, which is sort of the, one of the last bits in here. And this is Liliath, I think. She's with um, Ariel. Um, it's, it's all a bit, it is all a bit confusing. They're down in the Oak of Ages, and Li- Liliath has poisoned Ariel. Yeah, um, to sort of keep her out of the way so she could get yeah doing whatever she's doing. You know, it's, I'm sitting there going, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know who's who among these guys. Right, yeah. I, I really don't. I'm not certain who's who. I'm not certain what, what the plan is. I'm not certain why it keeps repeating itself. I'm like, wait a minute. The, the confusing thing is, as well as Liliath, as it comes on to later on, she has about three different guises am- amongst the elf, the elven pantheon as well, which makes it a bit confusing. But basically, she's poisoned Ariel um, so that um, it says it in here somewhere. Ariel says, um, "Child, what have you done? Only what I had to do. You would have never agreed to what I must do next. You have murdered me. Do you love me so little?" And then she goes on and on and on. But so she. Lily, I love Lily how she talks doc, down, down to her on that next part, though. I love you as I would a daughter, though you're my elder. Everything <laughs> I do, I do for your children to give them a chance of survival in the darkness. And so I wish I could believe that. Well, then believe this. Whatever follows, I'll fight along. This is a really cool passage. Yeah, I, just think like, it, I, I don't know who to root for in this. Like, I'm like, is she right? Is she crazy? Like, what's going on? The whole book's a bit like that, though. And it's, it's odd because I suspect when I first read this book, I probably didn't give this page much credence or anything, but the second time round, knowing what's to come, it's, it's a lot, lot more interesting, I think. And I do like the way it links into, because we didn't know in Nagash why, it, why the Sister of the Twilight leading the Everqueen down into the Oak of Ages. And it's sort of, it come, comes well, back around to it now. that's in the Orion trilogy. Oh, is it? Which See, isn't all that great, but yeah, she, the, she, it's, she, there's one of the elven ladies uh one of the higher up elven ladies actually gets this n- blade like from nurgle and basically is tricked into putting it into the ground and basically stabbing one of the roots of the tree and poisoning it so ariel is uh is that, that's what lilith's doing is that what lilith did to, to ariel here then i guess yeah it's something like that uh, i mean it's uh, it's it was it was weird and confusing and i didn't finish that trilogy because i just got onto other things but I know that happened in that book. I just what what is Lilith trying to prevent her from doing? Interfering uh, in the events that are going to unfold as we progress through the book. Yeah, Lilith's the one who sort of seems to be instigating this whole sort of cycle thing that's going on, and that that will come come up a, like I say many times as we go through. And I okay. think she, I think um, she doesn't want Ariel or, or anyone else. She pretty much doesn't have any sides and will manipulate whomever to do whatever she feels in order for for the cycle to to come full circle I guess. Well, and that comes up on the next page because they're talking about this rana dandra or whatever it is and and yeah. it's it's this end of all things i think uh rana dandra is actually an anagram for end of times bro <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so get your t-shirts that, on if you're if yeah you're listening. <laughs> because they keep saying how the gods are gonna like the i guess you know the, the 
See, I get, part of it is we don't have really the story of the elven. Like, I don't know where to find the story of these elven gods and their and their their belief system because they keep telling us, well, you know, they there was this fight between Cain and and this guy before, and they fought this, and this all died, and now it's happening again. I mean, it seems like she's actually trying to break the cycle. Like, there's this cycle of death and rebirth that happens, and she's like, no, I don't want us all to die and have something new be reborn. I want to stop this from happening again, but it's got to run this part of a course. It's just like, no, I don't. I, I is she trying to break that, a cycle? I mean, that's what I'm not trying. Is uh, she trying to break the cycle, or is she trying to? Make sure it happens. She's know. trying to propagate the cycle and make sure it does happen. I'm pretty sure. I think that's what it, it all leads on to. That's what she's trying to do. See, she's I trying thought, to engineer events to make to make it all happen again. No, but see, I thought she, they said it was inevitable. It was already happening. I thought she was engineering events to make sure they survived. Because that's what she said. She goes, you know, I know you don't trust me, but I swear to you, I will fight alongside all of them till the end to make sure that they survive. I think that's doing what she's doing to make them survive okay. will instigate the new, the new cycle as well. When we get, I mean, when we get onto chapter two, another time that that comes clear at right at the end. I think. Yeah. So I mean, I, or or maybe she's trying to engineer it that, yeah, it will happen. But she's trying to engineer it so that it happens in a certain way. See, yeah, that's kind of what I got. She, yeah, it's it's it's, it's going to happen. So she's trying to get the pieces in order so that they, so that they can come out without being completely wiped out. Because as we see later in chapter two, I mean, <laughs> dude, I mean, when they were talking about how millions and millions of elves have died and how many are left at the end of this, it's like, wow, you know. And it's like if if she's engineering just to make sure at least that many survive, because I don't think she wants to wipe out the elven race. I don't think that's her plan. It doesn't seem to be. She swears that she's going to fight alongside him, right? Hmm. Well, it's funny that we're all taking different readings off this. <laughs> You're afraid? That's better, though. I think that's, I think that's more interesting. If everything is just clear-cut, then it's... I mean, you can still get a good story, but if you can debate well, over it a bit, I think that's That's better. why I want to find out. I would love to get a bit of a history lesson on the... You know, like, you know... I mean, I could... Their religion, because obviously all of these things happened with these gods. All the elves know the stories of these gods. They know the cycles they went through. They know who fought who and what happened. I would love to read something like that to get a bit greater grasp of that, because then I think this would probably make more sense. But it's something we don't have. So suddenly these there, these moves and these chips become inscrutable. There is a, there is a, a resource online. I think it's called uh, WFB Lexicanum, and they have a sec. It's like a, a, a wiki page, and they have a section on there on the Elven Pantheon, which it's not it's not overly fleshed out, and it's clearly just bits snippets taken from previous editions and that. But um, uh, after reading this book, I went through that, and and because um, some gods I just hadn't heard of before, even though I've sort of read pretty much all the elf books and they haven't really cropped up. So um, that's certainly worthwhile. I'll, I'll send you a link to that at some point. It's, it's cool. definitely worth reading over. It's, it's like I say, it's, it's nothing great, but it could, it could, can plug a few gaps. So then the next page, Descent into Darkness on there, this is still a bit of a prelude. And this, this really just goes over, it's a bit of an ov- overview of what's going on, what's been going on. In Athelorn, they have at last uncovered the truth known to Teclis. Guided by Lilius visions, prophetesses have seen that the Ranadandra, the end of all things, has come. Before the darkness passes, the elves will have to battle the dark brothers of chaos as their own gods once did. Assyrians' hosts lost their battle, were cast down in failure to dwell among their children, and the Asrai know that the elves must stand united if they are to fare better than those who gave them life. 
but ancient hatreds, mortal and divine, cast a long shadow. Even with Lilith's guidance, victory is all but impossible. Survival but a fleeting hope. See, that's where I got my, that's where I took my end from. This kind of reminds me, and I don't want to draw too many perils to Lord of the Rings, but, <laughs> but all of the va- battles between the Valar and Sauron, and they're sort of like gone now. And Sauron is still there. The chaos is still there. And now it's like, all right, well, the gods aren't fighting anymore, so we have to. So then you get the battles between of elves and men uniting against this same damned evil that just won't go away. Except they're not as powerful. So good luck. Hmm. And that's kind of how I was reading that. So, And then you get the beautiful maps. Yeah, that's good. And it's quite, it's actually quite useful to have that because sometimes when they're talking about where armies are marching or traveling or where they're sailing across which sea, it can actually be useful to flick back to that and just, it, it, it can give you a bit more context, really. I had a post, I have a post-it note on this page because when I was reading and doing notes for chapter <laughs> two, and they're like, he took this place and then he moved here and that's great because it cut off him from here. I'm like, okay, where are they? Let me look at the map again. Cause- yeah. <laughs> It's useful to do that, it really is. And not and the, the page adjacent to this as well, the Heroes of the End Times, which is essentially like a dramatic person a list of all of all the different uh, elven races, their main characters, um, the beings of legend, some of the historical characters, and then a very brief bit on a, a simplified version of the elven pantheon there as well, and a little bit on them. So again, if you're reading for the first time, you're unsure, the, the post-it note is a great idea to flick back to if you have a character you're not sure of. It can give you a brief overview on it, and that can help as well, I think. Yeah, I, I found this page very helpful. I to, it's probably the page that I referred to the most in this book, flipping back and forth as uh, they're introducing and killing off all these characters. <laughs> yeah, I, I would uh, just a word. I think a word of warning with some of the bits on the gods. I think maybe I wouldn't just go reading through that up front because I think it refers to some of the gods in. Uh, and talks about stuff that doesn't happen to them later in the book, but still puts it in here. So if you read it first, you might hmm. read something beforehand. I think yeah. on a couple of instances. I did like how they listed Cain. This is the thing, manipulated into beginning the war of the gods by Hikardi. And I'm like, oh, where can I read about that? That sounds kind of cool. Mm. But essentially, no. essentially in here, this basically starts again with different characters playing right. roles yeah, of, exactly. the, of those gods. I think yeah. that, that's sort of the idea, really, which is really cool. It's a bit more, I don't want to say high concept because it's not, but I, I, I do like the involvement of the, the gods in it because I don't think, I don't know, I don't I'm really perceive many much warmer fluff to, to go that route with it, I don't think so. No, and it, it is cool. And like I said, okay, we're all doing spoilers here, so if we bring up stuff that happens later, I'm not apologizing for it, but even with Teclas trying to manipulate the winds of magic and where they go, you know, like, you know, Nagash is taking the death magic for himself, and Teclas has a similar idea, and I like this idea of sort of, well... Each of these winds, if you read, isn't it in the High Elf book when it talks about the winds of magic and how different gods are sort of like almost like a patron of that type of magic? Mm-hmm. So for Teclas to sit there and try to manipulate who becomes an incarnate of this and incarnate of that, because each of the even you know, incarnate of fire, incarnate of metal, those are all the different winds of magic. Um, I just think this idea of trying to make all these pick who the demigods are going to be. So when we bring them up to the so I know who's going to this fight. It's just, this is really, I do, I love the way this, the, the ideas behind how this works. And it, the payoff really doesn't come till like the last maybe 20 pages. And you're just like, holy crap, what? Yeah. And I think a lot of it, you think Teclis is, is a massive character this and is seen as the sort of great manipulator of everything. But he's doing most of it at the behest of Lilith. So he, 
I don't think he's as completely in control of all of it as you may orig- initially think, really. Yeah, but he's still cool, and I love the fact he's, he's good. Willing, yeah, he's, re- he is, he's really good. He's the guy who's willing, so willing to get his hands dirty. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> and it, but it's great. I mean, it's fantastic. He's like, yes, I am willing to sacrifice pretty much every damn thing on this place to make sure that we survive. And not me personally, but we, the royal we, survive. And I think that's just pretty cool because he's just. It's, and it's funny when when him and Malekith talk, and Malekith just like not only doesn't really care that much for him, but really loves to make fun of him. <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh, you know, you're, you know, you guys all hate me for being ruthless, but look at you. Like, it's almost a compliment from Malekith. Look how ruthless you are. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's just, I, I really, I, I love the, in, they're so tiny, but the interplays between them are just fantastic. Yeah, and we got they they we had a couple of those in Nagash as well, didn't we? I think the, a couple of little paragraphs of interest. I think it piqued, piqued my interest quite a lot, really, on those ones. But yep. yeah, so that uh, that leads us in pretty much to the first chapter, the Widowmaker, uh, right. which is win- winter twenty five twenty four to winter twenty five twenty five. Um, so it, put that in context, it starts around about chapter three of Nagash, I think, and Glotkin starts about the same time. Um, and there are parts in this that when we could get on, you'll directly remember from Nagash, big, big incidents that happen mm-hmm. in that, which, yep. which tiny t- nice to this. So it sort of starts off on an almost positive, talking about the battle against the demons across of one nearly being done, um, but then quickly turns back around to, to how the cost has been pretty sobering. The, the elven nations have been devastated uh it's not looking a good place really to be already and that's before anything else has, has started um it talks about the horror that spilled from the anuli highlands had ravaged countless cities had left thousands of widows orphans and grieving fathers searching for their loved ones in streets choked with dead so it's not, not really a nice place not really what you think of as Elfwin, really is it Yes. Only in desolate Nagarith did life go on in a manner approaching normality. Yeah. It's defense marshaled by a reclusive figure seldom seen out to... I like the the uh, the R. Uh, AES apparently is forces of because eventually they become the Asterian. Yeah. The forces yeah. of Tyrion. Hey, I learned a little Elvish today. Mm. You put AES okay. in front of your name, Asenar is Aletha, the force of Alethanar. It's Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I love him in this book too. I always oh, I, he's great. <laughs> I, I did put I did put a little bit in my notes here. Chris Yu's favorite character from Shadow mm, King. <laughs> still, I still, <laughs> I, I think I still dislike him because he's of those, so those good in this book, though. Uh, he is, and he. I mean, we could talk about it. So. We'll get on to him. I'm sure he. he, pops he he's just got to commit one way or the other. I feel like. He's, he's almost one of one of those characters that's like he's almost a bit too cool. He pops up. He's got that yeah. brooding sort of thing. Yeah, he does the good. But that's what's great. Seriously, bits. dude, he is Batman. He's Batman from he Justice really League. He's not always there, but he shows up when he's needed. And if yeah. he's not, he's not there. And he's not that character. He's not oorah. I'm you know. Let's do this together. He shows up. He gets his job done, and he gets back to work. He's just he is. I mean, he's psychotic. I mean, like let's, seriously, let's, he's got mental issues. I, I do want to talk about him, but uh, yeah, yeah that'll be, yeah. be. I think yeah, part two. There'll be a time. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, sure. we we get on to obviously we we know from previous books that um, Finnebar the Phoenix King's gone missing, and Alariel's off as well. I mean, at, at this point of reading the book, we actually know more than the book's telling us because we we, we do we do know what happens from there. But it, it says uh, bereft of Finnebar and Alariel's leadership, the Phoenix Court soon fell to disagreement with Imric of Calador 
before calling for the election of another to the highest throne. None doubted that Imric wanted that honour for himself, but too many voices spoke uh, for his support, in his support for the bid to be dismissed outright. Um, and then basically Tyrion comes back, golden boy of the High Elves, who I, I don't know, I never really liked him too much before end times. I thought he was always a bit bit too goody-goody until we learnt of um, some of the things he's been up to. Mm. Um, so he Which comes also back. happens in the Tyrion and Tech, literally. He saves Ilariel, and that's where they... they, they Get it on. Yeah, I mean, there's all that stuff happens over there. He just always seemed okay. Teclas has got all this stuff. He's a weakling. He has to take medicine. Like he's like such a bizarre elf. And there's <laughs> so much depth that everyone has always painted into Te- Teclas's character. He's like, this is Tyrion, his big brother. He's uh, he's a master at uh, everything he does. He's a super tactician, and he's the best fighter out there. He just seems like a flat fighter character. He's like, I rolled up my D&D fighter, and he's got all 18s. Yeah. Okay. Mm. But, it, you know, in, in previous High Elf books, they do mention, yeah, he is a great fighter, but the legacy of the family name, you know, has tainted him, and he has bouts of, I think it, says, it actually says bouts of insanity or, you know, internal struggles. So that in previous books, they hint at the fact that at some level, even though outwardly he's a great fighter and everything, he there is some semblance of imbalance or uh, rage in a rage. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the thing. He's a great tactician in battle, but he's not necessarily a great leader because uh, he he doesn't have that type of skill set. And he does get into these weird ways. He's he's not that unlike Malekith before Malekith burned. <laughs> Yeah, and well, we'll get on, we'll get on to how like they may be or or that later on. That's that, that's quite a big yeah. theme as well. But basically, Tyrion comes back in, uh, stands that stands off against Imric, and um, yeah, basically he takes command of all the armies. I think that all the Phoenix uh, Guard offer up their blades and loyalty to him. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really know how they do that, considering they don't speak. But well, yeah, I think that the book just, <laughs> like, they just bend their knees, right? Yeah. In the regions. <laughs> yep. And Imric is just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm off. So he basically just says, well, whatever, I'm not going to support. And he basically takes Kalador away from the Phoenix Court and just branches away from the other nine realms, really. I think um, some of the Kaladorian princes do stay behind um, and side with Tyrion, so they're still there. But yeah, they Tyrion basically just thinks, well, if you're going to be like that, we'll leave you to your own defences. And then Tyrion takes the army and sweeps across uh, the other the other realms and starts battering the demons really mm-hmm. yep. yep yeah and uh so as this moves along you get that backstory again that techless knows why Tyrion is a bit like he Tyrion is getting reckless he's like trying to race through these fights like he yeah, wants to kill everything more more fast that he's not even there t- they're saying pause come on we need to heal but he's like no no come on we're gonna go again we're gonna go again and it sort of gets to a bit of a head when they get to uh the white tower of hoeth initially i think doesn't it yeah and the only one who knows why is Teclas, because he wants to get this done, because he wants to still go... He's still worried trying to save his daughter. Yeah, obviously at this point, um, Elfarion has gone off uh, to try and save Aliafra, the Everchild. But, I mean, I'm mean, sure Teclas does... Um, Tyrion does trust Elfarion, but I think he feels a bit helpless that he can't be there to save. He probably feels it's his responsibility, but right. he sort of... He, he did listen to Teclas's counsel in that, no, you need to stay here. You need to take command of the armies, which I think, oddly, it sort of only glosses over that. And I think it did go into that a bit more in, in Nagash, actually, I think, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it did. I love how, though, when he's fighting Inkari here, which is, again, the demon that keeps popping up in 
Yeah, and, and Kari's, yeah, he's like, uh, he's the keeper of secrets that's basically, he's an old school enemy of Tyrion. They've fought loads of times. I think initially captured, um, Alario a long time ago, but well, he's, he's been throughout the fluff, hasn't he? He was also the one that, 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 um, Anarian fought, wasn't he? He was he the keeper of secrets yeah. that Anarian fought. Because once again, in the, in the, in the Teclis, the Tyrion and Teclis trilogy, he goes after him in all those books. He's coming after them. When they're young, he's like, "Oh, I got to kill. I want to. You know, I'm going to kill all of Anirian's descendants and for the what he did." Line, yeah, yeah. And then um, I love how Corhill. Corhill's got such a great part in this book too. Yeah, I mean, he really Kari almost takes Tyrion out, and Corhill jumps between them, and he's like, the "One guy willing to stand up against a greater demon." He's like, "No, you're not taking him. I'm protecting him." I think he does take one of his arms off as well, doesn't he? he does, <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, we could touch it very briefly now, but the likes of, uh, Corhill, Caradrian, Curran, sort of what you'd call the hero level special mm-hmm. characters in the books. I think a lot, a lot of this book here is almost seen through their eyes as opposed to the likes of Tyrion, Teclis and Malekith to a point. They are, the, the, the three of them in particular are much bigger characters in this than I expected. And it's, it's nice because I haven't really heard that much about uh, Corhill or Caradrian before, so we'll, we'll touch on those a lot, I think, going forward. Yep, Indeed. yep. Yeah, they certainly play a pivotal role, much more than I was expecting as well. So. Yeah, there's just large, large paragraphs where things seem to be, or large portions where things seem to be, maybe not talked through their eyes, but that they seem a lot more prominent than I expect them to be. I expected mm. it to be all Malekith, Tyrion, Teclis, and it's almost more interest for it not being that way, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But anyway, I think... Um, what happens after Corhill takes down Ankari? He, he heads off, doesn't he, a bit? And um, I think they basically find that isn't Ankari holding up all the power for the Demonic Legion? They sort of refer to him as uh, the anchor for it, don't they, I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's a, there's a bit of fighting between Tyrion and Imric. Tyrion wants to go talk to him and reconcile so they can fight together. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Imric doesn't want to... And uh, sends Tyrion into a rage. Yeah, for, one no one rages. for three days, not even Teclis could speak with him. When at last he was sufficient, took him three days to calm down. He convened <laughs> the other princes and swore that Calador would be banished from the Phoenix Court until the wayward begged forgiveness on on his knee. And uh, some of the Caladorians left. They said, "Oh, you you step too far now." And then then of course that sends Tyrion into a bigger rage, and he's like, "That's it. Then we're just we're going without you." I mean, it gets. Yeah, then there's the, the, the next paragraph after that, or the next passage after that, is a little bit weird, where it starts to talk about um, them seeing ghosts fighting demons. And that's the sort of thing when I first read it, I thought they sort of meant like shadow warriors, like ghosts, like. So did like, I. In, in that sense. But it is actual, like, ghost elves. I found that, I don't know, I find that weird even now, after reading it multiple times, even with what happens later on. I don't, I don't know, that seemed a bit odd to me. Yeah, the they, they, reinforcements whose banners echoed the ancient times and vanished with the sun's rising. Yeah, it actually says, no animated cadavers were these, uh, he deemed, nor grave spill puppets, but warriors willingly risen upon tides of magic to defend their homelands. That's kind of cool. I wonder if that's going on from what's going on in the actual... No, because yeah. that hasn't happened yet. That's, but, I mean, though, the vortex is always happening. I mean, it's... Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because they're caught outside of time. Or maybe just because... Because remember in, in, in Reese, it also points out how, like, even when all the stuff is going on between Tyrion and Malekith, like, nobody takes Yvrys because they all, everybody leaves it alone because mm. the demons are so thick there. Maybe just the winds of magic are so thick there that these ghosts can just 
they can't rest. So they're up there saying, get out, you know? Yeah, it could be. Something a bit weird. I mean, I don't know if you guys were ever aware of this, but I swear in previous editions of the fluff, I remember, do you know when people do sort of like undead armies, but they use like other races and things? So you get like, I don't know, Chaos Warrior and put Skeleton Head on it, bloody, bloody, blah. But I remember there was a couple of times where people did it with elf armies. And there's a, I remember lots of conversations in old fluff where apparently elves couldn't be raised as undead and things like that because of the way they were. But that doesn't seem to have been a thing in previous editions and absolutely certainly not from what goes on in here. <laughs> right. I don't know if, if that's anything you guys ever were aware mm-hmm. of or thought to be a thing. I don't think I've ever read anything that said that you, that, that can't happen. Uh, although, you know, there's, they talk about the spirits and the waystones and, and slanesh and everything. But yeah, the, the physical it's a bit more 40K, isn't it? Almost with right. the spirit stones and, and whatnot taking their souls. But I guess there isn't really anything in the fantasy fluff for that bit of a distraction yeah, that's what I, that I recall well I'm not certain either but you know what I am certain of mm. time for a commercial oh okay. <laughs> how'd you like that huh maybe it's Very not nice. even a commercial hey this may be a fluff reading I don't know but we gotta take a break we'll be back um, at this rate we'll be we'll be back for the next 12 hours so just keep listening <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go so we'll be back in a minute Why am I here, Imrik? Teclas asked, hoping that the other wouldn't note the pain in his voice. The moonstaff of Lilith had been repaired by the finest artisans of Safri, but his magic had fled. The old pain had returned in its place, and not even the most potent of potions could dim it entirely. The five hundred alabaster stairs down from Tor Calida's royal chambers had been agony, but Teclas knew Imrik must have had a reason for requesting his presence. Even before the recent unpleasantness, the Dragon Prince had never been fond of Tyrion or Teclas. My apologies, Loremaster, Imric replied, not sounding sorry in the least. I had not realized that you were so inconvenienced. He gave a curt nod to the two Dragon Princes guarding the gate, and they stepped aside without a word. Beyond, the dress stone of Torcalata gave way to the cool gloom of a stalactite-crowded cavern. Imric strode on through the dark. Though Teclas fancied the prince's pace had slowed just a fraction. As to the reason for your presence, there is something I wanted you to see. Imric continued imperiously. I have been told that you alone may understand its significance. And who told you this? Asked Teclas, staggering to keep pace. The greatest of my sires, Imric said softly. Kalidor Dragon Tamer. He fell silent once again, inviting Teclas to gainsay him, to refute the impossible statement. Teclas said nothing. He too had spoken with the ancient mage in recent weeks, through the walls of the Great Vortex, but now was not the time to say so. Imric was ruled by pride, and any challenge would likely go ill. Teclas was already risking enough by his presence in Kalidor. Tyrion would not be pleased. I have dreamt much of late, Imric continued, his footfalls echoing through the darkness. I have dreamt of Ulthwan returned to what it used to be, of our stars in ascendance once again, our dominance restored. His voice grew distant and wistful. A month ago, Lilith came to me whilst I was sleeping. She acted as my forefather's herald, guiding me to the heart of the Great Vortex so that I could hear his wisdom. Can there be any truer sign of Kaldor's return to our greatness than a goddess acting in service to our greatest ancestor? Teclas said nothing. By his reckoning, Imric's understanding of the relationship was precisely reversed. But again, he held his tongue. Fortunately... 
It seemed that the question had been rhetorical. My ancestor told me that a time of great change was upon us, where friendships and hatreds of old would no longer rule our destinies. He told me that if I wished for our people to survive, I must let go of the past and embrace the future. A steep price for a prince of Calidor, Tecla said dryly. Imric glared, but continued. The next day, a ship came out of the west, the sign of Lilith upon its sails, and the dragons of Calidor upon its prow. It had no crew save for a single Nagarothi, who even now languishes in my dungeons, in the hold. Well, see for yourself. Imric led Teclis into a massive chamber. The mage made out the majestic forms of slumbering dragons, but his attention was swiftly drawn to the dragon eggs that stretched as far as his eye could see. There are hundreds, Imric breathed. The plunder of the countless generations returned unharmed. Tearing his gaze from the eggs, Teclis looked up to see a single tear running down the prince's cheek. What does it mean? Imric demanded quietly. I think you already know the answer, said Teclis. It is time for the sundering to be undone. Our ancient war must at last be ended. Okie dokie, we are back. Right then, so where are we going to take it from now then? Uh, basically, Tyrion's still super angry. He's, um, what's weird here is he, he talks about he's, he's yearning for vengeance against Inkari. So I don't know if this is, it's not a change in his character, but this, because as Chris said, obviously we've, we've no, we know that he's got these deep seated anger issues and he's a bit mental and whatnot, but they really start pushing even as early as a couple of pages in this, I don't know, first for vengeance. And we've already talked about him getting angry and not being able to talk to him for today. So do you think they're sort of setting up these character flaws for what could come? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're laying the, the, the foundation for, for later, well, I think they're just kind I'm of really pointing it out because this stuff is also in the High Elf book too, some of this stuff about Tyrion. Um, but if you're not a Elf player, they definitely need to lay this out because, mm. you know, he, it, let's face it, they've talked about the Curse of Anarian constantly. And the Curse of Anarian, I mean, most people, especially since he looks like him. Okay. And, you know, once again, I'm fall, I keep falling back into that the, the Blood of Anarian books, but that's one of the things that happens. They're like people like he looks like the statues of Anarian. And they want him tested because they are certain he's going to come up with Anirian's curse coming heavily on him, and he's going to have to be taken out. And that's in his early days. So there's, I think there's a lot of this pointing out that that curse of Anirian rides very heavily in Tyrion, more heavily than people tend to realize, except for maybe Taklas, because he seems yeah. to know everything. I think uh, one of the main criticisms leveled at this book is the way characters... <laughs> maybe their characters change too rapidly without any real um, growth or plot in it. But I, I don't really think that's the case. I think that's that's a little unfair, and that's probably people either not knowing the characters well enough or not reading it well enough for it. I do, I do, think, I do think they lay some sort of groundwork for, for what, what happens later on. I don't yeah. think it's all that, uh, all that different here. It's not that hard to believe. It's written mm. in a slightly different style in that he's not as heroic 
as you might, you know, think him to be or want him to be. But, uh, you know, it's still it's still believable to me, you know, his all of his character flaws and what he's trying to do. Yeah, yeah. So this is it goes on to talking about um, this is sorry. Well, I, I jumped ahead a little bit before about um, Teclis finding out that uh, Enkari is basically anchoring the 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 demonic legion in Ulf one there. So if he, if he thinks, if he can slay Inkari, then he can perform something to banish the entire, uh, demon legion, which in the original campaign, the storm of chaos campaign years ago, that's what in the fluff for that, that's what Teclis did. He banished the entire demon legion though. I think they were led by Bellacor then. So, um, hmm. basically they carry on going along. Uh, they track, Enkari down to this uh, Moonspire place. Do you, are you with that aware of that as a high off player, Chris? Moonspire? Uh, only what I gleaned from the reading itself, and that it was yeah. originally a temple of Lilith, goddess of dreams, and Teclis was her champion. Mm. One of three who walked of the three. mortal world. I like yeah. that. The, the magic was there for his to command. This part was really cool. It's like Teclis has a plan. We found him here. It's a magical place. All these demons and stuff are following him. The magic draws them, but what they don't realize is that magic is not there. It's not there. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to know they are being drawn there, but not by loyalty, by the desire to share in Inkari's bounty. And um, they, it get, they get into a bit of a fight, uh, as you might expect. I think eventually they manage to take Tyrion down, don't they? I think it's Tyrion in the end that, that does the killing blows with his uh, mm. Sunfang. Um, and uh, obviously cuts his head off because that's what happens in end times. <laughs> and I love when they're running in there and, and Tyrion's fighting like a god of war, but Taclis is there. The moon fire of Lilith burning on his brow and blade and no demon dared approach him. So even sickly little Taclis comes riding in and they're like, oh, crap. <laughs> He's got the magics. Yep. yep. So, so I, it's quite funny. That even after they actually finally kill Ankari, um, they don't have any time to rejoice in the victory because the demons carry on fighting because they, they hated Ankari anyway, so they didn't care that he died, <laughs> which, yeah. which is quite funny. I thought I quite like that. But then I love Teclis. Teclis is like all these things are going and Teclis is – all these things are fighting and, and Tyrion and all the people, they're deep. They're still here. They're fighting. And Teclis like, I know. And he grabs Ankari's head and just starts dragging it. <laughs> Over to this thing. This is fantastic. All these elves are fighting. Two elves pulling this big keeper secrets head along. A sickly one. A sickly (laughs) thin elf with a bad limp. I mean, think about all the things that Teclis that you read about. How how sickly and poorly doing he is. And then he's got wait. The elves fighting on the plain below looked up in astonishment as Teclis's voice echoed across the skies. The moon above growing brighter, brighter with each syllable. The demons, perhaps sensing their downfall was nigh, howled with a terrible voice as Teclis intoned the final word and slammed the base of his staff down on the horn head. And he's, the thing breaks. The skull breaks. Lightning crashes. All these things. They claimed they saw the slender silhouette of Lilith looming over the battlefield. And then, like Teclis's. The demon bursts in the ash. Yeah, it's like a big pulse, isn't it? Flies out. It's quite cinematic, isn't it? You yeah. can just imagine it's big. Where like all, all the demons just get incinerated, but all the elves they just get this gentle caress flowing over mm. them. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, it, this goes all across the land until it reaches the ocean. Yeah, and this that this actually pops up a bit later on when we find out mm. what uh, the dark elves are up to. That that wave, that pulsating wave of, of energy, pops up a bit later on. And then this is. One of the first things about, I, I don't know if we've had this in a previous book, but weapons breaking in 
at end time this book. So his uh, his moonstaff, now mere wooden baubles, fell from Teclis's grasp, uh, and it shatters into three pieces because he's sort of all spent and he falls back. Mm-hmm. I think he has to get caught by a couple of swordmasters, um, and Teclis looks down at his staff and thinks, oh, judges that uh, sacrifice to be a worthy one. Then we jump up to the next page, and within about two sentences, the moonstaff of Lilius have been repaired by the finest artisans of Safari. But the magic Sorry. had fled. So they put the, I mean, they put it back together again, but the magic's gone. Now it's just his staff, which now he's actually using it to walk with more because that magic he was using to take away a lot of that pain. I mean, he really is. He's, kind, he's a bit of a gimp. <laughs> yes. And he's got a lot. I mean... That's another thing that I kept reading in the book, but they really, if you read that Tyrion and Tech, and I'm sorry to be harping on about that trilogy, but if you read it, they go into great detail about how incredibly sick he is and how weak he is. And it's his great, uh, I mean, basically, he's using magic 24-7 just to walk straight, to, to, to take away the pain, to, to have a semblance of being normal. And so just, without, without that staff, then, is he, and, and him being in pain, is he weaker then? Well, probably. I don't know if he's physically weaker, but it's it's um, he 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 didn't have to feel that weakness as much. I think at this time as well, maybe maybe previously it was uh, worse. But I think where Lily of sort of really sort of holding sway over him at the moment, I think she's probably given him the magical energies he needs, and that is actually uh, touched on later. That it is it is said that she's feeding him magical energy. So I think he's probably he's probably still just about getting by. Yep. Uh, but then uh, Imric says that Lilith came to him. Yeah, so he's Teclis has basically summoned. Uh, sorry, Imric's summoned Teclis to Kalador, hasn't he? At this point, yep. And he, he, they're in the royal chambers there, and he's told him that uh, Lilith's come to him to basically uh, act as a conduit to speak to his uh, greatest ancestor, which is Kalador Dragon Tamer. Yep. And I love how he says that Imric says, I must let go of the past and embrace the future. And Teclis says, a steep price for a prince of Kalador. He says dryly, he's such a smart ass. But then you think about it, oh, letting go of your past. And yes, elves have trouble letting go of their past. They worship their past. <laughs> Teclis has already let this all go. Like he's yeah. like, the past means nothing. Knows, I'm only yeah. looking to our future. So when Kalador is, or when Imric is complaining about how he needs to make this change, Teclis, it's not just, I don't think he's just making fun of him. There's sort of a deeper lying in. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, I think Imric's saying this stuff and he almost expects Tyri- uh, Teclis to argue against him, but Teclis has seen these things or he's spoke to these um, spirits of people. And so he's he's in that situation before. So, he he knows what all of what he's saying, and and in the end, Teclis looks up to see a ting, a single tear running down Prince Imric's cheek. What does it mean? Imric demanded quietly. Oh, sorry, I've jumped ahead. But basically, the the big deal is here. They go down into the dragon's cave, don't they? And they've basically had all the the dragon eggs that have been stolen by the dark elves have been returned. Yeah, hundreds That's the of big dragon hundreds eggs of are there, which and they refer the to. A single Nagarothi elf that was uh, imprisoned and in, in the dungeon. I guess maybe mm-hmm. presumably this is the elf that returned the eggs. Yeah. I don't, who is? The, do they ever identify who that dark elf is? No, I think they just because it just says it was a ship with crewed by a single Nagarothi. Oh yeah, but hmm. I, I do like it what be, is it? It could be someone actually, but I, no, I don't think so. I think it's yeah. I don't know actually. But even his answer, what does it mean? You know what it means? It means this is the end of the sundering. 
Yeah. So it means That's a lot more than you got your eggs back. Yeah, it's... Our ancient war must at last be ended. Yeah. That's it. We're done now. Right. And they get it. And it's just, I mean, there's so many who won't get it. But Yeah. And I think it, I think for some people where uh, Imric, obviously, he's he's the atypical Caledorian, haughty, arrogant elf. That's the sort of, that's how I sort of epitomize my view of how, how an elf is, really. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and I really like Imric for that. So I think for some people, he may seem an odd choice of character to be the one who's who's understanding this all but the way they appeal to his character makes that work and the fact that returning the eggs is the sort of thing that would just to him that means so much to him that would allow him to maybe see the other side of the coin rather than i don't know does that make any sense to you oh yeah it does does. you know in fact earlier in the book they paint imrick out as sort of the the rebel right the outlier but really once this especially in this passage you really see that okay he's really on the inside looking out yeah, and do, trying to do what's best for the elves as as the story unfolds. So yeah, he's a very interesting character too. He is, he is, and yeah, they there's there's a lot of very interesting paragraphs with the, the way he's feeling about what thing, how things are progressing, and the things mm-hmm. that are happening, and how they actually affect him. So yeah, it's, well, it's pretty interesting. And how long has he wanted to be the Phoenix King? He's wanted to be the Phoenix King for a while. Like I know, if you read the Sundering series, he kind of turned it down at first. But I mean, obviously, he's he's joss- jockeying for it. that elvish politics that always rears its head, and that's mm-hmm. the other thing. He's that when he's like, I got to give up the past. That whole jockeying for a position, he's got to give that up. He's got to the, the old intrigue and court. Yeah, role, yeah, remember, right. From yeah, the old pile of books. But that's what's got to go. That's part of what's got to go. He knows. I mean, when when this is happening, he knows that Malekith is coming back at this point. He knows that Malekith's going to be in charge. So all of this typical elf sort of posturing that's been going on, it's got to be hard for him to give that up because you read that and that's what he's been about. Now he's got to be this selfless sort of leader, which, you know, elven nobility doesn't seem to, I mean, you know, no offense to people who really love elves and love elf players. I'm not knocking them, but they're not. <laughs> You know, they're not exactly selfless when it comes to this stuff. There is a lot of that, you know, what's in it for me. Well, if he's being communicated directly with uh, by, by Lilith, yeah. you know, one of the gods, that I think changes everything. That changes his priorities, doesn't oh, it? Sure. Well, I, th- I, I think it's not necessarily Lilith so much in the fact that she's, uh, like, say, acting as a, almost as a conduit for him to be able to speak to Calador Dragon mm-hmm. Tame. I, I think that's really sort of what's, what's clinching the deal for him there. Right, and I and I think he gets all of that. I'm not naysaying any of that. I'm just saying his personality and the hundreds and however many years, thousands of years that he's been doing this. He's you know thousands of years. He's got a personality and ideas and things built up and plans in his head that he's got to come to grips with. Completely letting all that go. That's right. why that passage when he's like, "Oh, we've got to let all this go," and Texas is like, "Yeah, it must be rough," because he's already gone. Texas is younger than him, but has already gone through that. You know, and and given that stuff up, and now you're watching this high elf, a rather haughty high elf lord, having to come to grips with giving all that up for the for the greater good for him doing that. I think this is really cool. I like this part. I do, yeah, yeah, it's but, big. But meanwhile, in Nagaroth, meanwhile, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's not it's not not very good over here either. Um, they're being besieged by the uh, the 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 corn horde led by Valkyr. Um, and it's not going at all well over there. Uh, I think, I think they do say that Valkyr dies to, uh, to 
to Malekith, but I, I don't know if it's touched on elsewhere, but she just comes back. Doesn't Corn just say, no, you're not dying, and brings her back again? I don't think it's in this book, though. Pretty much, I think. But when they get, you know, whenever they get banished, they can come back eventually. Just come back again, yeah. Right. So it's basically not looking very good because because the Witch King was away for so long. We know what he was doing. Obviously, it revolves around the Phoenix King. That's mentioned in a in a previous book. But so he's he's away, and while he's away, there's no one really to to keep the Dark Elf forces in order. Um, and even so, Vus had a. A vast tide of blood-drunk warriors reached as far south as Clark Corond and laid the city to waste. Malice Darkblade's army of Hagrave could have easily have turned the tide had it marched to do so, but the bastard lord looked only towards his own interests. And Malice Darkblade, at this point, is pretty much one of the, the highest-ranked dreadlords um, who's sort of vying to, to potentially take the, uh, the Witch King's throne. And even... Without Malekith around, this this is the this is the main problem with Dark Elves. And I remember on your on your I think it was on your Dark Elf book review, you said how how could they possibly continue as a race with all the things they get up to? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, <laughs> because even even he as one of their biggest generals is still nah, can't be bothered to go and save them. Um, exactly. <laughs> you know what I like? Yeah, and they, they talk about that. Uh, go ahead. I'm David. sorry. And this is a quick point. Kuran. Mm. You know the another hero level champion. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff gets through his point of view, just like it you does, were talking yeah. about Coril and them. It was just that getting, you know, taking one step back and not necessarily going into Malekith's head because we're not allowed to get that deep yeah. into what's going on. So we get this guy who who's his right-hand man sort of watching everything going on, getting a slightly less uh, a biased view. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would say for the, for the most of the, the solely dark elf parts, Kuran is sort of your, your eyes and ears for it. For I think think, think for the reasons you say actually, because if if it was all through Malekith's point of view, then like you say it would be so much more biased, and he's so single minded sometimes. And there's even bits where actually Kuran's the one person who can go to Malekith and say, "Look, mate, I think you need to be doing this a bit differently." Um, yep. <laughs> and and he doesn't just get his head cut off in it. I think Malekith does actually respect Curran. So that, as, as you're right to say, he's sort of mentioned straight away here. And going forward, he's he is one of one of the main characters for the Dark Elves in it, which which is really cool. Um, what else we got in here? Oh yeah, um, over in Harganath, which is basically uh, Hellebron City. So you've got all the executioners, the witch elves. So it's pretty much the city of murder anyway. Nothing good ever happens in there. And Hellebron. She's actually now just taken to the streets. She's not sort of holding counts or anything. She's just roaming the streets, just killing people herself. She's pretty much just reveling in it and just it's as bad. She as, has her priorities straight. Yeah, <laughs> as bad as basically the Cornate people who are raiding the city. She's mm. she's out there amongst them herself. So um, it does say there are some exceptions. Um, it's basically around the fleets here. So Lockyer Felhart, who's obviously uh, he's not actually a, a long time character. I think he only got brought in in. It's the sixth or seventh edition book, and um, he's here with this this character called Drain Brackblood, who I've not heard of before. She's another um, sort of a character, uh, a fleet master, if you will, or something. So they sort of, I think, uh, uh, join forces, don't they, to to bring their ships together? Absolutely. And I don't, think, I don't think that. Yeah, sorry, I don't think that ends up going going too well because they they head round to Caron Car. And and even then, uh, instead of an attack, they end up mostly just becoming uh, an escape vessels, really, as as the dark elves flee on the ships. Yeah, they they sack their own cities and kill all the slaves, uh, leaving nothing for for corn. Yeah, <laughs> that's the Absolutely. dark elves' way. Right. 
So, where are we? What up? What's up next? Okay, so yeah, it's it's not looking out of the the six main cities created from from the the Black Arcs initially. Three of them are already down, so there's only only three left at this point. And I think um, Malakif's back now, and instead of going to take on the corn, he actually goes up to Grond, I think, because he wants to confront Marathi. Yeah, this is interesting. Is right at this point? Yeah. yeah. Their relationship, and you know what? That, if, if I have one complaint about this book, I ne- we never quite get to. I, I just still don't get the two of them. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you really meant to. They're, they have a very cryptic relationship, don't they? Really? Oh yeah. I mean, but seriously, there's just weird things. Because like when we talked in the Dark Elf review book, it's like, what is she trying to do with him? What's her end game? Like, what exactly is her plan? And, like, a lot of the stuff that we thought, I just think, kind of got proved wrong. But we never got what the actual right answer is, which just leaves me going, like, ugh. Is it anything beyond trying to manipulate the situation so that Malekith becomes, you know, sits on the, it becomes the Phoenix King? I mean, that much is obvious. But How many uh, times has she tried to, like, kill him and put him in bad positions and stuff? There's weird stuff. I mean, even our discussion, how she was, like, a, a tool of Slanesh, which... Yeah, I like that. I like that. Mm, you know, yeah. I think it's weird because I, I always thought that was her end game. She wanted to see him on the on the Phoenix uh, as as the Phoenix King. But I think I think it sort of swiftly changed around in in this book um, quite quite soon when she knows what his plan is. I think she just I think she loses a lot of belief in in what he's actually about. Um, I think that, mm. that doesn't happen just yet. But yeah. going forward, well, I guess when we get up to that where they have that discussion, we can talk about that. But yeah, mm-hmm. it seems weird because he's got a plan. He's moving in. He's going to become the Phoenix King. He's got the in. And when he, if that's her end game for him, then why does she turn her back on him and fight him? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I, I think it's because no in this sense. in this context, being becoming the Phoenix King means uniting everyone. Whereas I think in her original vision, it's uh, kill all the high elves. She sees him right. as a conqueror yeah, and, and not as unilateral a, rule, right? Mm-hmm. Not as a diplomat, but as a conqueror, no matter what. I mean, I, that makes sense. It just seems it seems so weird. Like everything we've ever read, all she wants is her boy on the throne. He's like, okay, I'm getting the throne. She's like, well, yeah, but I don't like the way you're getting it. So now I'm going to fight you. Well, I, I think little... it's I think it's a I think it's believable. I just wish they would go into a little bit more detail and, and actually put that in yeah. print. Exactly. That's uh, what I. Yeah. That's I. I that's what I kind of meant, but I didn't say it very well. <laughs> well, at, at this point, the reason Malekith's marching onto Grond to, to meet Mumsy is um, because <laughs> the word on the street is that as soon as the corn forces sort of hit, she just sealed herself up in her tower and didn't even give any warning to any of the other cities. So yeah. I think Malekith's a little bit annoyed about that. Um, whilst man, the other dark elves don't really care, uh, he's sort of, he's, they're his people. And I think he sort of feels that he's sort of thrown them to the door. That, or that, that's what we think at the moment. Mm-hmm. When now, he meets her, it's, a bit, it's actually a bit different. Now, Drusala comes out to meet him. And I, met, I wanted to ask you guys about this because Drusala comes out and she addresses the Witch King with the full deference due and explained that his arrival had been foreseen. The royal Marathi, eternal Hecardi reborn would grant her son an audience, but only he. And other people like, oh, she called himself Hecardi. And Hecardi was the one that came, that manipulated Cain into beginning the War of the Gods. So, exactly. Yeah. Mistress of magic, yeah. Yeah, and when we start seeing who they're setting up as Cain, inverted commas, to be in this recycle, then it, it, all, it, all sort of, it all sort of fits in, really, doesn't it? So, 
I, oh God, okay, this is bringing up a question in my head, and I don't want to keep sidetracking us because we're never going to get this done. But, I, I mean, if okay, Bacardi tricks Kane into doing this, this, the sword and all that stuff. I'm <laughs> wondering if she wanted Malekith to be the one to get the sword, and when he didn't, is that part? I mean, maybe I, as we go through this, I got to remember the 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 exact uh, order of the events and the way things happened. Yeah, but is it possible that just Tyrion got the sword? She already's in love with him because he looks like his. Yeah, I think there's bits. Obviously, I haven't read those other books, but there's bits in here that touches on that as we'll get to. Oh we, yeah, we should should give a quick shout out to the special character Scarbrand, who's mentioned not by name, oddly, in here when they talk about him fighting. Uh, on the way up to Grand, they fight uh, a chaos horde led by a mighty tattered winged bloodthirster, uh, who who basically everyone goes mental and starts attacking each other. Because his special rule is, oh, I didn't, I did pick that up. That that was Scarbrand. Oh, that is cool. His special rule makes the whole battlefield everyone on it have hatred. So mm. that's, that's what. But it's one of those ones where they don't name him oddly. But yeah, just a little mention for that there. Mm. If you want to count the special characters and the ones that die, they, you can chalk him up already. Right. <laughs> so huge page and a third. One of these little zoom in sections that I call them, where you actually get the scene with Malekith yep. talking to his mom. This is cool. Yeah, this is good, yeah. This is good stuff, and I don't want to spend through time reading this whole thing, but basically, you know, he shows up, and it's, it's the typical back and forth between them. Yeah, they're just basically just it's just the, it's all about one upmanship with those two, isn't it? She mm. makes him wait, so he sits on her throne. She, he asks her to sit down. She won't sit down. He gives she gives him wine. He won't drink it in case it's poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty comical, to be honest. <laughs> right. That's a big game between these two. Always. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's, that's how they do it. Yeah, and this is sort of where it sort of ends up a bit different to what I initially thought it was going because you think he's going up to Gron to say, why are you allowing, why have you not warned us, why have you allowed all our people to die? But it actually ends up he's going there to thank her because he's essentially, she's allowed a lot of people to die so that now basically only the strong are left. Yeah. But I love at the end here where he takes the uh, – she tells him that, you know, I'm not going to waste my time on you. I'm not going to give you the inform- – I'm not going to give you this information I have. And he's like, oh, whatever. You're going to sit up here like a jilted princess pining for her love until the darkness falls. Oh, how did he know about that? It's like how did he yeah. know about, about Tyrion and stuff like that? Well, let's think. I didn't. If you haven't read those books, I don't know where else in whatever um, fluff that's mentioned because I didn't. When you read that, that's, that's a, that gives you that first little bit about that in there. So it I makes thought you there think- was something in the High Elf book, didn't it? Mention that she saw him and she kidnapped him or something like that. Had some sort of thing because she let him go. That was in the she High Elf. Thought he was an Aryan. Yeah, she, she looks at him and gets sort of momentarily. Kind of, yeah, days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so basically he's saying he he basically tells her here of his plan to try and take Holthorn again, doesn't he? He shows her that the Phoenix King's already been killed when he raises his gauntlets covered in dry blood, and he's basically saying how he's already gotten in. He's got he's got an aid this time. Uh the Phoenix King is slain, already betrayed by one of his closest advisors. Um and he yeah. I love yeah, and she tells me if you go there you're gonna lose everything. You're everything who you are, everything that makes you my son. Even your name won't be your own. I'd rather see you dead. And he's like, okay, well, bye. Yeah, and this is where, I, like I say, I think she just, she really doesn't agree with what he's doing. And she, it's like I say, she loses that belief in him. And did she already 
was she already still thinking about Tyrion? Was she harboring thoughts for him as the as the Phoenix King? How long has that been going on? How long has she maybe not been backing her son? Really? Yeah, no kidding. But so uh, then he leaves and says, "Hey, listen, I just came to tell you, I'm not. You know, I'm." Because you're not forgiven. I grant you one last gift, your life. Your treason's not forgiven, but it'll go unpunished. Sit in your tower and rot. And then he leaves it. Yeah, boom. So it's like they're done, you know, and he comes out, and Drusala's going to supposed to go with him. Yeah, and that's then, quite a cool bit where they give a they give a load of, I think, was it 5,000 or something, is it? It's a... Give give a lot of lot of troops to go with, and they basically mm. put it right in the center of their marching column. Which it says for many races that would be sort of seen as a, a really high yeah, accolade, an honorable them, position. Yeah. yeah, but for them, it's keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Right. I guess. Yeah, we, we don't trust you. You're going right uh, there. Right, that's it. And then they he gets back to um, uh, he, he reconvenes his dread his black council, dread council of Nagaron, black council of Nagarons, and originally there are a hundred people in there and it's down to a score i think scores 20 20. is 20 is that right yeah yeah um and he basically tells here guys this is my big plan we're going to abandon nagaroth that's done it's been laid to waste we don't want it anymore we're going to take one last strike against elf one and um it seems like there's a few sort of odd reactions obviously people don't really want to give away their true reactions because you're probably going to end up being amongst the other 80 that aren't there anymore Mm -hmm. um Kuran it goes to as well who sort of he's the eyes and ears for Malakith so he's sort of looking around trying to gauge the reactions of people and I think uh, Malice Darkblade's the one who pretty much makes a poor show of con- concealing his distaste which I like to think he probably did on purpose because I think he knows that Mal- uh, Malakith knows what he's about knows that he wants the power but where he's pretty much the best general at this stage he almost has to he keeps having to put him in these situations where he hopes he dies in battle yep um, and that's that leads us up back to the end of that piece, I think, doesn't it, really? Yeah, pretty much. We're going to get into the big battle next. So let's take a break here, come back for the big battle, and uh, keep going. Chris, Chris, and Dave. Kane. Boom. Karadrian's halberd shone as it split the sightless corpse apart. Vorlin had been one of the finest guards until a corsair's blade had taken out his throat earlier that night, but he would mourn the twin sadness of death and defilement later. For now, survival came first. The captain felt skeletal fingers clutching at his greaves and stamped down hard, the cracking sound that followed bringing a smile to his lips. It did not remain there long. Assyrian had foretold this day long ago, and the thought of the darker times to come filled Karadrian with despair. A short way ahead, Karadrian saw Tyrion scatter a pair of worm-eaten corpses, Sunfang's blades slicing through the rusting plate of their armor with ease. The regent rose high in Melandir's stirrups and lifted the warp swords of Cain aloft, a dark halo of flame blazing about his brow. Then, in thunderous tones, the regent spoke the words that had haunted Karadrian's dreams for as long as he could remember. Dead of Ulthuan, shouted Tyrion. I bear the warp sword of Cain, he who is the destroyer, the murderer of nations, he who made corpses of you all. At the regent's words, the undead hordes ceased their striving. The rows of silent corpses froze in place and did not move, 
no matter how the Nagarothi sorceress is shrieked at them. I speak for the Destroyer, Tyrion continued, his voice echoing like thunder across the plains. I bear his blade. You owe him fealty by right of conquest. Your allegiance is mine to command. Cain's enemies are mine, and my enemies are yours. Slay them all. With a piercing crack, the warp sword shattered to ash. Tyrion sank back into Malander's saddle, and his halo turned the color of fresh spilt blood. But the regent's words and whatever magic lay behind them had found their mark. As one, the dead of Eon's past turned their backs on the high elves and marched against the Nagarothi. As the killing began, Karadrian gave silent prayer to Assyrian. The captain did not know what impulses had driven Tyrion to do what he did, nor what sudden magic had driven his deeds. Assyrian had shown Kadrian only consequences, not causes, but that was enough to provoke fear of what would soon come as inevitably as the night followed day. For now, however, there was the battle and a victory near at hand. Karadrian would weep for tomorrow, but only once the killing was done. We're in Ophon. We're at the Eagle Gate. Yeah. Chris Squared and Big D. <laughs> you thought of changing your uh, team name to the Utang Clan yet? Yes. I love nothing better. <laughs> All my minions. Yeah. That's why it's not happening. That answer right there. That's why it's not happening. <laughs> anyway, C Squared plus D equals Kane. We're back. <laughs> Yeah, so basically, obviously, the, the Dark Elves, they've, uh, they've upped to left. Obviously, they've been thinned out by the, the Cornate attack, so it's only the, the prime fighting forces left, bolstered by uh, the elves that Marathi has given uh, from Grond. And uh, yeah, they sail off over in uh, Lockyer Felhart and Drain Blackbirds, or whatever she's called, uh, their fleets. She has and the uh, most they... hard to pronounce name. I know. It's, it's not, right. You look at it, and it's not, it's not what you w- expect it to be. It's bra- yeah, brack blood. I get this brackish, but like dirty blood, but it's yeah, just say it's black a, blood. It doesn't read. Nope. <laughs> no, not at all. Um so they basically arrive over at Eagle Gate. Um Prince Morvai, who I think is a character who's been about in the fluff for a little while. I think he just gets knocked off pretty early early doors, doesn't he? He gets taken down and he's not really in the main battle itself. Now We've talked on on the previous books about these lovely little two-page uh, spreads they do with uh, the nice little bits of artwork and then the list of the, the units that are fighting in the battle, which are quite cool. Mm-hmm. I particularly like the Cold One Night artwork. It's almost reminiscent to the old um, Malice Darkblade comics, and it's his army. So yes. uh, I, 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 re- I really like them. They, they had that sort of old-school schooly yeah. vibe before, so they were really cool. Got Drew Sala, uh, the handmaiden to Marathius in there as well, so that's kind of cool. There's a little bit of a spoiler if you read down the bottom of what's in the Darkblade's host, so I don't think we'll touch on that yet because that's uh, a moment of excitement, as me and Chris just said uh, off mic there. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Leading the uh, the garrison of Eagle Gate on the high off side, you've got Prince Van of Melitan. Now, as we, I think again, I keep saying as we said on previous books, these little pages are good for introducing these new named characters that will fight in a battle. Pretty much just to give you a little bit of background on them, so you Without can try having to spend time in the book building yeah, the character. It's almost so you can sort of develop some attachment to them and their character before they inevitably get 
die mm-hmm. to uh, an actual named character. Right, <laughs> Poor right. Prince of Arn, too. I mean, you know, you get this little fluff bit, you know, the close-up bit where he's, like, looking down. It's all the- And, dude, he is rallying these guys. He is standing firm against yeah. all this. Like, he is not – he is given 100%. He does. He does. He think there's a, in the little side box there. He does sort of. He has that moment where he thinks, "Oh, should I call the order? Should we withdraw?" And he's like, "Nah, we've got a hold." Felhart, Felhart's fleet strikes the harbors of the Tyrannic coast initially, right? And that's when Prince Morvi goes down. But um, what he's actually a bit of a distraction really for Drain Brack Blood. Going to say it right this time. Uh, her fleet is attacking between Tyrannic and Nagarif. Um, and this happens at the same time as Teclis is doing that mega banishment thing with a big wave. And right. when that hits, a lot of the high elf commanders, whilst obviously it's not hurting them, they just see this wave of white fire. It completely froze them just as a dark elf attack. So it's, it's timed a bit poorly for them, really. So, um, that, that allows the, the dark elves to get in. And this is where they're sort of, I think, uh, Dark Blade goes straight in with a, a cavalry charge. Well, they the had siege, that plague demon that busted open the wall and they hadn't gotten it repaired yet. That's so it. So that's he just, where they're attacking. So go, rather than a traditional siege, he just goes, gets his Cold War Knights and just goes for the big charge. And uh, it doesn't really work. The Cold War Knights uh, sort of just decide to flee at a point, much yeah. to his dis- disapproval. Well, and some of that, I love how he points out that he violently impressed upon them their need for haste. So he's literally just like, I've got 10 times the men you have and I'm going to throw them at this wall. Yeah. And there's a bit as well, after the, the first time they flee, Malice goes back round to all the units of Cold War Knights, goes round to 12 different units of Cold War Knights and decapitates the, the champions and then just throws, throws it says, uh, 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 flung the severed heads into the cheering ranks of bleak swords and corsairs. Few amongst the infantry had any great love for the preening Cold War Knights and, it is, and to see them humbled thus was a rare treat. So <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought that was quite funny. You've got to love that dark elf. Uh, yeah. And more, more decapitations because why not? Now, right. um, I think the one thing we do need to touch on early doors with Malice Darkblade, I don't know, everyone should be well aware of him because I think he's probably the most well-developed Dark Elf character in the fluff throughout the comics, the Black uh, Library novel series, which expand on it, which was really, really good. I enjoyed that a lot. Right. Um, he's, he's obviously got this demon bound inside him, Zarkan. Um, now he can sort of, for the most part, be able to control when he sort of allows him to take over and f- gives him more power physically. Um, so he's sort of, got this demon whisper in his head the whole time going, come on, let me out. Let me, let me lend you your power. And every time that happens, Zarkan gains a slightly greater hold over Malice. So he tries to not let it happen too much. So bear that in the back of your mind for, for there. Um, basically then you get sort of a, a second wave of attack and this is where they send the, um, infantry and in, don't they, because they can't do another cavalry charge because they've, the, the high elves have, lined up all the dead cold ones and made a sort of a, a wall out of them, haven't they? Yeah, 300 style, just lining up the yeah. bodies. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Uh, so this happens, they go in again. Again, the the, uh, the attack breaks off and then they have to lead a third attack. And this time, Dark Blaze is like, right, I'm going to go up the front this time. Let's get the re- remainder of our knights and let's go again. And uh, it goes a little better this time, I think, doesn't it? Because uh, Drusala comes into this one and uh, starts casting some magics in there as well, which helps out. Yeah, it starts to look uh, pretty bleak for the defenders there. And this is the part where you and I, Chris, were talking kind of off air about the big, you know, oh my gosh moment. Yeah, I think you get a little bit first because first of all, the high elves get some, um, they get some reinforcements coming in the the way of some dismounted uh, 
Illyrian knights, mm, mm-hmm. and also a flight of flame spire phoenixes. Um, that's a bit of a shame for them. They probably would have preferred frost arts, but then there's a lot of it. <laughs> right. There's a lot of infantry there, so maybe with the, maybe they've met a game in it and going for the yeah, flying over the infantry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go with that. Um, got the got uh, three units of white lions, I think, coming as well. So they're probably mm-hmm. all packing banners of the world dragon for a bit of extra. <laughs> bit. Um, Everybody's sure. got the banner now. It just yeah. And I think before the bit we, we, we'll get on to, Chris, there is. I think um, Malice gets into it and he basically gets a bit overwhelmed and he says, "Right, okay." Zarkan's got to come out then and he lets him he lets him come out doesn't he and this time I mean traditionally when this happens he just sort of gets imbued with the power of the demon but I don't know whether this is just because what's going on with uh, the winds of magic being different or whether it's happened too many times but he actually full-on transforms this time which yeah. is something we haven't seen happen before so he basically becomes a demon prince is it's sort of they say his uh his skin flowing like water as he did uh a moment later there was a te- wet tearing sound dark blades screaming slowly descended into a deep snarling bellow as Zarkan reshaped the tyrant's body into a form he found more pleasing bones shifted and reformed the sounds of cracking and splintering appalling to hear so uh, a por- uh, arm and torn cloth fell away as the bubbling mass of flesh doubled and redoubled in size so and the, his warp sword of Cain, which is a magic weapon, that actually grows into a, a bigger size fit for the for the demon. So that's uh, I read that, and, and that's one thing I initially I had to sort of read that again. I was like, what? That's <laughs> never. It's never been intimated that could happen. And I, for a moment, I was thinking, is he is he dead? Has he just become a, a demon prince? Um, I was just thinking that with the winds of magic being so going so crazy and the wind being funneled there, maybe it was just more powerful. The winds of magic were more powerful here, so he had a little more power. Um, yeah. But then I realized that um, Nagash's spell hasn't actually taken effect yet either. No, it hasn't, no. Could Drusala have something to do with this at, at I, this point? Because later on she, she seems yeah, to. Yeah, I, I don't think at this point, but I think when she sees this happen, she later has she has a big impact in, in mm-hmm. what happens following that. But I'm not sure at this stage because I don't know how aware of that she'd been because I don't think it's mm-hmm. it's sort of common knowledge even to the the sort of hierarchy of the dark elves but he basically just goes berserk he does he goes around killing everyone everyone I think he, high elf yeah, dark elf dark elves just, if you're in front of the sword you're, you're dead. dead prince prince Vaughn goes down as well uh he gets killed probably got his head cut off i'd imagine i don't he does think yeah it. he gets his head snipped off I oh snipped off pincers, yeah. right by the claw yeah, yeah. right yeah, see, Zarkin's quite an interesting one, really, into into what sort of demon prince he is, um, whether he's a Zinch one or, or a Slanesh one. Oddly, there's sort of conflicting views in in previous fluff around that. Just oh, Richard, he looks like a soul grinder without the metal without the metal parts. I think that's exactly the pitch they've used. I think it is a bit of a soul grinder art from the demon book. I mean, that's what it looks like, except yeah. none, of the, none of the metal parts. It's the body, that big claw. He does. He, he initially introduces himself to Malice in like the first comic as as as, as he says his master Zinch, but then later on in the Black Library novels he was referred to as a Slanesh demon. So who knows? But yeah, it's called so the Slanesh one. I think is more uh, compelling to me. <laughs> yeah, it's just I think a lot of people think it's uh, Zinch because it's Zarkin spelled with TZ. So yeah, I think I think I think that sort of throws it, um, and then. Yeah, this is pretty much, I think, where um, where the big we were going to talk about kicks in, isn't it? Do you want to do you want to talk about this, Chris? Yeah, sure. So the the defenders are uh, you know doing what they can to fight off the dark left advance with their bolt throwers and everything, and uh, 
you know, it, it, when at the very twilight, when the defenses are going to collapse, they hear the horns blare and dragons appear in the skies. Right? Hold on one second. Back up about three lines. Drusala watching this and seeing what's going on with Darkblade, and she wants to help him, but then she's like, nah, I think I should let this happen. Marathi wants this to fail. Then she goes, well, wait a minute. If this fails, I'm dead, too. So, <laughs> I mean, that's literally her thought process. Oh, this is perfect. This is what Marathi wants. Wait a minute. Crap, I'm going to be dead. So she does jump in to help out, at least help Darkblade here, and right before that happens. I thought that was important because she becomes a little more important as this goes on. So yeah. I apologize. The dragons are coming. The dragons are coming. Yeah, it's, as we sort of said, Chris, it's one of those you can imagine, can't you, in a film, this fighting going on, one side about to go down, horns blaring, look up, flights and flights of dragons all come in, and, and hives probably start cheering, mm. and then what oh, happens? Yeah. The dragons attacked without warning and without mercy, and what they do is they basically light up all of the hives on the castle walls, uh, you know, set them aflame, and yeah. start slaughtering them. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, I had to read this several times because I was in shock. What? The Caledorians yeah. come in on their dragons and just torch their own high elves. What? Well, that's the thing. They're coming in, and I mean, you, I mean, he's been talking to Teclas. You know, he knows what's going on. You knows he knows what side he's going to be on. So when they come flying in, I'm like. Okay, so they're flying in, so what is going to happen? But he doesn't just help them. He comes in, I mean, hardcore. And you just get that one line, Kalidor fought for the Witch King. Yeah, and even, yeah. even before that, we're saying by the time any realized there were black wings amongst the red and gold, that Kalidor was a friend no more, it was much too late. And when you look back, this is what I'm saying about the spoiler on the little pictures, it refers to uh, the Lords of Oblivion, which is a super cool name for a metal band. Um, <laughs> <laughs> four score dragon riders of various allegiances, 80 dragons in the air. Wow. Mm. Wow, that's pretty amazing! <laughs> yeah. yeah, eighty dragons riding in, and yeah, not not for who you would initially think. And well, yeah, yeah it's, it's here, take them back. You guys are the riders. Take them back. You're riding for me, right. you know? Eighty yeah. dragons. That's like an unbound army, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> eighty dragons versus a thousand zombies. I think I lose. <laughs> but it's interesting to know i mean obviously they come in the they they obviously win the day for the for the dark elves but we do get some good viewpoints later on on the caladorians thoughts around what's happening here so it's not like they're coming in cheering as they start butchering their, their, their friends essentially so i think it's those sort of things people misconstrue and just think suddenly all these dragon riders suddenly want to kill high elves it's not like that and that is explained well later on no right here on page 30 on the next page it talks about how the tyrannoch riders the chariots said we can't take on dragons and they they bail and calador does not pursue he's like look and the riders it said uh indeed most could barely stomach fighting alongside the negarothi at all once the last defenders of eagle gate had streamed through the pass into illyrian the dragon princes guided their draconic steeds to the inaccessible shoulders of the mount halting only to help a few score caladorian defenders so, yeah, they just they only killed as many as they needed to to make sure this battle was over. Yeah, and it says later on how some of the riders don't actually fight. They just let the dragons basically do it because they don't want to. We did bit, a bit we forgot to touch on, um, as well as the dragons coming in. There's actually some Caladorians stationed within Eagle Gate, mm-hmm. and they actually 
there's a bit which was which was quite bad where there's a little sidebar where a Caladorian's talking to one of the other elves and he, he actually slits his throat and then they open the gates so the dark elf infantry can get in and that's that's a bit more Game of Thronesy I think oh but, right because yeah because yeah. they're at the gate and he's like wait do you hear that do you hear that and he goes yeah I do I told you they'd come yep I'm sorry <laughs> you did yeah. say they're coming I'm yeah. sorry like what, what do you mean yeah. you're sorry ah. yeah so that's 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 pretty bad and that's that's maybe a little more out of character than the rest. I think that's, yeah, that, that maybe doesn't sit as well with me. I, d- I don't like that quite so much, but yeah. Yeah. Well, there was only like one guy there because they, they, they had all their guys in at the gate. Except, they let. yeah, the, yeah. once the dragons came, they're like, okay, well, we got to get this, get rid of him so that we can mm-hmm. get this gate open. It was, oh, man. Yeah, so then we we go back back to where you were. Sorry, when you're saying about yeah, no, the no the chariots, the chariots will flee. The dragons don't chase them because they don't want to. Um, and this is where uh, Drusala goes through the camp, and uh, Zarkin's still sort of going berserk. And all the dark elves, you can imagine them all. They've sort of corralled him in this sort of spear wall, all putting the spears in inwards on him. And she just sort of goes through. They sort of open up. She goes forward, and it all closes back around her. And that's all you know of that. So she's gone in there where the demons raging and yeah. they circle around and boom, that's the cage of Grundian spears. That's yeah, like this. yeah. Again, it, I feel the way it's written is 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 pretty on point, and I can I find myself able to sort of envisage it really well. What's going on? And yeah, it's good, good. Yeah, um, like and it. then, so where do we go from there? Then, obviously, now they've got Eagle Gate. Which, if you're looking at your map, if you've got your post-it note in, playing along at home, you can flick and see where that is, and see. Obviously, it's quite a quite a good good strategic place to take. Um, and then Malekith shows up. He does. Yeah. He apparently he was he was there on the charge, but he didn't. I don't think he he was attacking. He sort of lands afterwards and says, "Yeah, this is the thing." We. We've got an alliance with these guys now, so you can't. If any of you turn on them, then you're going to be murdered. So it says, "Thus, peace was preserved through the threat of murder." <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite, quite the dark elf ways. Uh, it goes then goes back to Imric, and uh, the Crown Prince of Calador was proud of what his warriors had achieved, but he was revolted by what they, what he had done. So, sort of both sides of the coin there from that. So, what, what, what do you guys take from that? What, why is he proud yet? revulsed by it well he's got his dragons back man i mean he didn't want to believe teclis it actually says that he wouldn't have believed him if calador dragon tamer hadn't toned him you know uh is that what they've achieved though he's he's proud of what his warriors had achieved i think it, it runs deeper in that uh they are making the ultimate sacrifice right and killing their own brothers for the greater good good yeah and the fact that they are able to do that, um, you know, with the greater mission in mind, I think that's what that is speaking to. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a thing to, to do when you know you're right, but you have to kill, you know, your brothers basically in order to, to, to that, to get to that end. That's a hard thing to execute. Yeah. And it carries on from that. I think you're right. Imric did not fancy a life lived out as a pawn of fate. Yeah. He did not wish for his people to perish in the Ranadandra, the end times. Uh, Malekith was the key to victory. Calador would Bro. fight. Yeah, <laughs> there was nothing new in that circumstance. There was there was honor in the cause, or so Imric told himself. However, it might seem to others. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
And there's a, then they're following on from that. Uh, it's the next day. Malice Darkbraid just pops in, goes up to the, the tent <laughs> where, where Malakith is. It's like, yeah, sorry. Sorry I was gone all night, boss. But um, I was uh, chasing down those uh, dirty high elves. And right. I think he, he throws, the, throws the banner down on the floor in front of him, doesn't he, to sort of um, say, yeah, I was, I was doing something. <laughs> and I love it. His secret's safe. His, he felt Malakith's gaze resting heavily upon him as he wove his dishonest tail, but the mask of arrogance never once slipped. I just love how he's in there, just acting like scared out of his mind that this is going to fail. And just like, but look at just giving him that same cocky look that he gives him all the time. Yeah. Not enough to get him, not enough to lose his head, but just enough to say, listen, I'm not kowtowing like the rest of these bitches. Malekith would look look, like nothing more than to take Darkblade's head. He does not like him one bit. Um, (laughs) And his secret's safe because Drusala's made sure that everyone who witnessed the transformation uh, was dead. Well, I imagine probably Zarkan saw to that as he pretty much killed everyone around at the time. Um, So, And I think there's a bit here as well where... Drusala um, watched Darkblade's stilted groveling with amusement. Indeed, she took such glee in his performance that the glamour of the sorceress had worn like a cloak since leaving Grand almost slipped entirely before she recovered her composure. So there, there we get the first glimpse. That, um, there's probably something a bit more to Drusala. Um, yeah, but imagine. she's not who she says she is. No, no, which yeah. I think... I'm pretty sure first read, I, I clocked onto it straight away. I don't know whether that's just through um, hindsight and reading it, reading it again. I think it's in, in completely obvious, but... No, yeah, I, I noticed I, that right I, away, I and I was like, agree. okay, who is she? What's going on? I'm waiting to see yeah. who it is. I think it's quite obvious who, who, who she was, really. There's, there's not many people she could be, but right. yeah, it's... She she she's becomes an interesting character. You almost realise the fact they're talking about Drusala so much, which is a character you've never even heard of early mm. doors. You're like, mm, there must something must be a more to this. So that sort of finishes that bit off, and then the next page is really cool, isn't it? Do, do one of you want to do this one? Go ahead, Chris, if you want to talk about it, or do you take any notes on this one, or? Yeah, yes. uh, yeah. Does you talk about the Shadow Blade? Uh, yeah, listening in. Yeah, this is an interesting one, and he's yeah, this is cool. Listening into uh, the Witch King and Teclas having a conversation, right? It, yeah, Imric's in there as well, and mm. uh, this this is interesting. This is again, this touches back on what you were just saying as well, Chris, about Imric's position and what he says he was. They're talking again about um, this sort of cycle and the gods uh, playing out as mortals and that. So they're talking about. Um, this is the way uh, Malekith talks sometimes where he refers to himself as we and our the more Mm. we are convinced that you have taken counsel with our mother now he is only talking about himself but he seems to talk about himself in that sort of plural fashion sometimes right right Um, and again she's saying she's a Kati reborn then they come out they're almost sort of it's almost like kids saying, well, I think I'm this god well no you can't be that one because I'm that one (laughs) it's a bit like that and um, uh, Imric says I am Nithu or Nethu um, I've opened a door that should have remained closed. And then uh, Tekka says, say rather that you've opened a path to the flame. Um, but yes, the comparisons have always out. Nefu's actions through betrayal prevented disaster and so have yours. I And this Nefu is one that I hadn't really heard anything about before. I had to look that one up and apparently she was keeper of the last gate. So again, that's what sort of Imric was doing. Him opening that door, allowing that alliance to happen is sort of the catalyst oh, for, for all this as such. So he, he's yeah. playing the role of Nithu in that, in that. Exactly. Yeah. And, th- and then this is where Malekith sort of says that he's, he's going to play the role of Kane. 
Yeah, and, and then, the detective right. was like, nope, he doesn't nah, come till later. You, you know can't the, be that god. Yeah, well, here's yeah. the thing. You know the script. That's my brother. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, now, do, I don't think I, – I think he plan. doesn't he plan on – does he plan on Malekith taking the blade or does he plan on nobody taking the blade? Because he really didn't want Tyrion to take it, did he? I, I, think, I think that's what it is. He doesn't want Tyrion to take it. I think right. it's that more than anything. And it, it's all, it's that, that's a very interesting point because that is never actually touched on whether it's always, it's always, it gets to it where it's the race between who gets to draw the sword, but it's not almost like anyone really wants Malekith to do it. It's more that no one wants Tyrion to. Right. Yeah. Cause your path is elsewhere. And that's where Shadowblade starts hearing all this stuff. It's like, what's going on? Yeah. Because obviously uh, Shadowblade, I'm sure most people will be aware, but he's, um, He's in Hellebron's service, who's obviously the mental, crazy witch lady. So he's sort of her eyes and ears. So he's going to check what's going on here. And um, he's, sort of, he's sort of listening outside. And then he sort of, once he hears it, he pops back in where he's come from. And uh, the room he came through initially is not empty anymore, is it? No, Drusella's there. I think it's time for your antics to come to an end. Yeah, so he goes down to get get go down to his belt to get some sort of ninja weapon or something. But uh, yeah, it's not, she gets not the enough. Drop on him. Yeah. So again, this is Shadow Blade. So if you're getting the drop on Shadow Blade, you're gonna have to be someone uh, pretty top notch, really, aren't you? Yeah, this yeah. Is Drusala, she's uh, all over the place for a, yeah. a brand new character. Yeah, yeah, she's she's got skills. She does indeed. And see, at first I was like, well, who could she be? And I, I, you know, and at first I thought, could could she possibly be the Hag? What's her name? The Hellebron. Hellebron. Yeah. She I, doesn't have any magical capabilities. Right. right. Yeah. And then when she went after him, I'm like, well, she's not Hellebron because he works for her. She wouldn't have done yeah. that. But uh, this is really cool. Well, it's just all this arguing with them, too. You know. Yeah, it's funny because they're all sort of. <laughs> they're all just stood around having these sort of bickering arguments, yet they're sort of. Imric and Malik if we're probably. It, weeks past would have probably loved to have killed each other. Now they're just having these almost, yeah. It's, but it's, I didn't it's, get this part of the conversation till the second reading because that harpy goes in and he can't hear and he says it's impossible. No, it's the truth. That's why almost all succumb to madness. That was the price of betrayal. And I'm like, wait, what? And that's coming up in the late, that comes up at the end of the book. He's talking about how he needs to go and, and go through the fire again and how everybody since him yeah, that's the yeah, that's the great lie that was you remember in the very beginning in the gash where it talks about the great lie of the elves. That's yeah. what that is. Yeah. Every thing. and that was one of the things that blew my mind. I knew when we saw even the fluff for Malekith just saying how, you know, if he'd have stayed one second longer in the flame, he would have been Phoenix King, but he had to be truly tested. Yeah. And he failed. But he was it's funny, he failed, but he was still the chosen one. But he failed. Yeah. So it's like, no, now that you failed the job. You know, like like a like a typical like like one of the Greek stories, you know, of the Greek gods. Yeah, it's a trial, isn't it? You failed your trial, and now you got to atone for it. And it may take you six thousand years. Yeah, and it did, and it shaped everything. Everything that came to pass between the elves, all because he was told you got burnt because you're not right for it. You, you're not the one. And the thing right. is, as, as you look back, especially if you read The Sundering, and once you realize that that's the case, then you look back at those events around The Sundering where no one wanted to give it to him. And we, you know, I've always just assumed no one wanted to give it to him because they saw the corruption in him and they were afraid of the curse of Anarian. You're like, 
No, they're just petty little backstabbing weasels who didn't want to give it to him because he was young and they were old and they felt it was their place. Yep. And they sort of held it from him. And because of that, they screwed themselves because Anarian's not going to put up with that crap. He cursed every single one of them who took the place that was rightfully Malekith's. I thought that was kind of awesome. Yeah, and we will yeah, definitely cool. talk on that and more as it goes on because obviously that becomes quite quite a, f- a feature point of, of the book, really. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think it's uh, – we're going to jump back to where uh, Tyrion is. So let's take another quick break, come back, and then we'll sure. get up uh, – we'll get up to – and let's try to get through the, the uh, battle for Reaver's Mark through that. So, all right, we'll be back, folks. It was dark inside the tent, far darker than it should have been. It was as if the occupant's mood hung heavy on the air, smothering any source of light or joy. Drusala smiled as her eyes searched the gloom. She remembered that feeling well. There was a whisper of movement, and the sorceress felt a hand tight across her mouth and a blade against her throat. You are not what you pretend to be. Tyrion's voice was low and dangerous. Reveal yourself or lose your head. He shifted his fingers to allow a reply. You're not going to kill me, Drusala whispered icily. Am I not? The blade pressed closer, and Drusala felt a rivulet of blood trickle down her neck. But she'd played such games before. No, she hissed. Else you'd have done it already. Do as you wish. I shan't stop you. But there are truths only I can share. The blade came away. Fingers dug into Drusala's shoulder as the regent span her around. Despite the darkness, the sorceress could now see Tyrion clearly. There was a hardness to his expression that had not been there when they had last met, but it only served to make him look more like his ancestor, and like the other one too. As for revealing myself, you already know who I am, she breathed. You recognized me at once, did you not? Drusala's lips twitched into a thin smile. Her glamour split apart like the petals of a flower and fled into the darkness. Tyrion's grim expression did not so much as flicker. Was he remembering that kiss atop the blood-slicked altar, or was he about to call for his guards? The thrill of danger was almost as intoxicating as his presence. Tyrion whispered coldly and took a step forward. C squared plus D equals Kane. Here we go. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> We're not going to have to wrap, are we? Yeah. <laughs> we might have to. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, great. Right, so we, let's get back into it then. So uh, we now get onto the part where um, they basically, Tyrion's, his, his mood's getting ever bleaker. He's, he's not happy at all. He's, he's heard about Kalador's betrayal. He doesn't want to believe it. And then everyone keeps coming back saying about the state of uh, Eagle Gate. It's more it's dragon fire that's taking it down it than anything else. And um, he basically decides, look, this is ridiculous. We need to get into the Phoenix King's Tower. We need to see what's going on in there, where he is. And uh, first of all, Corhill, that, that man again, he steps up and says, no, nah, no, nah, you can't go in there. But pretty quickly gives way uh, when he 
sort of listens to what Tyrion's got to say. Uh, and it, cause he, he also wants to know where Finnebar's been, what's going on. I mean, no one can be thinking anything good. I mean, how long do you reckon it's been at this point? A fair old time, isn't it? It's gotta be almost a year. And it's yes. been months. He's been locked up there. And, you know, and then I love how Tyrion is like, I'm going to bust the door. And he's like, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing that. Well, I want in. He's like, okay, I'll get you in. So Corhill takes the dirty job yeah. for his boss. <laughs> so that's, yeah, so he goes to work with his big magical axe for the best part of a day. Smashing a day. down the store. Now, I'm sure, because didn't this sort of get revealed in Nagash or one of the other books when they went into, when they went into the chamber? Or am I... No, Teclis went, went in. Teclis went in. We, we, oh, yeah, yeah, never he went into detail. He went, in, he went in by himself. Yeah, I was just thinking because right. Teclis spent a day unbreaking the wards to it, didn't he? And I was just... Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then he yeah, came out it. looking all pale and sickly. That but, was uh, it. That was it. So they get in. So basically, Kuran uh, uh, opens the door. I'm uh, sorry. Corhill opens the door. I love See, that okay. when he's hitting it, though, before he goes, that they keep, every, every stroke he's convinced something ill waited him inside and that his labors were part of penance for a failure he could not yet define. It's an, yeah. Oh, nicely, nicely put. I love it. So, yeah, yeah there he is. Uh, Tyrion sort of says, I'm going to go on my own pretty much. You guys sort of wait here. Uh, <laughs> he goes in there. Finnebar was found easily enough for the stench of death lay heavily in the dark. Uh, Tyrion discovered the Phoenix King in the upper chambers before the scrying pool, which he had been said to stretch his thoughts across the globe. Uh, he would do so no more. Finnebar had been dead for many months, although some trick of the tower's enchantments had preserved him in the moments of his demise. The corpse was ragged, torn in unspeakable ways, its flesh bearing the most intimate of wounds and the bloody gouges of hooked talons plain upon pale skin. So, um, yeah, he's, he's not, he's not died in a nice clean killing blow like everyone else in that he's, yeah, I, I can't say what I was going to say cause I'm not on my podcast. <laughs> 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 yeah. He's, he's been, he's been worked pretty hard. <laughs> and his hot fire, Tyrion's hot and fiery rage turns into a cold flame. And that's, that's dangerous. That is. Yeah. So there are, do they, they never actually say who killed Finubar or did they? I think well, doesn't I think Malachith it's Malachith, fess up with it at some point. Well, I think I think it's definitely sort of it's intimated that because he he goes back, he's showing off his bloody gauntlets, isn't there? So I think, uh, I, think right, it's, yeah. I think essentially, te- from what I can make out, it must be Teclis who's let him in there. Mm. He's he's done that and then then gone again. I think I can imagine that's the sort of thing Malachith would want to do himself. Right, he, he would he would probably get some pleasure in that. But it's there's a bit later on. It's actually chapter two, so we're not going to talk about it today. But there's another bit where. I mean, kill it, cutting people's head off, that's pretty graphic. And we get, I think we get a bit, bit sort of desensitized to it because it happens every other page in this book. Mm-hmm. But this, 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 that description that I just read out, I think that's pretty, it's pretty brutal, really. It's not, it is. it's, it's not a nice description. Of wounds. I'm trying to think, yeah. what, I mean, he's been, he's, he's been taught, he's been fully tortured. Yeah. Yeah. Torn he's up, not, gotten in on, yeah. So there was no. Yeah, it's not nice. It's not like he's just had a clean death or anything or a noble death or anything. I don't think Finnebar's. The most, I don't know. He's not one of the characters you warm to, really. I don't think he was the greatest of Phoenix Kings, but it's still, it's definitely not a king's death he's had. No, right. yeah, he didn't deserve what what happened to him. Yeah, it's a, it's an angry butchering that we're yeah. that we're seeing here. But so they unanimously elect Tyrion the Regent of Ulthuan. If yep. the realm survived another year, he would walk through the flames to become that which he was all but in name, the twelfth Phoenix King of Ulthuan. Mm. Yeah, that's not going to happen. 
No, there's a cool bit before that. It's a, a, just just a side note where all the um, all the white lions, who are essentially the, the guards on his um, sort of fu- when they send the funeral ship out, they all dye their lion cloaks from white to black, so, which is quite cool. I've never seen anyone mm. paint or model them like that. Yet. I thought you could maybe get a, a cool theme done with that. With sort yeah, of black. I, I like that idea. Yeah, and uh, you, on the other page, I think Corhill does the same as well. So they're actually black lions, not white lions. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, early doors of Tyrion's rule, he's basically, it's, it's that old intrigue at court again, isn't he? He's not allowed to go out and lead, lead the armies himself, um, which he wants to do. The Phoenix Court like, no, you've got to sort of stay here. Um, they need him at court. So he sends off uh, Estrana. Is that how you pronounce her name? Estrana of Avalon. Yeah. yeah, and and Caradrian as well, who's obviously the leader of the Phoenix Guard. He sends them, them out initially to lead uh, the counterattacks um, against the the Dark Elves here. So uh, every <laughs> single missive that comes to him, he's just getting angrier and angrier. He just wants to be out there. Yeah, he's like, well, yeah, I am. You know, he, he a little bit pompous. You know, talk about you know, wasn't he? Why was he here? Was he not their greatest hero? Yeah. You know, and it's just like, ugh, this is driving, and it's driving him bonkers to sit back and listen to all these fights, win or lose. It's like every elf who dies is like, I could have saved a life if I was out there fighting. Yeah, and he can't even find Teclis isn't about at this point, so he is he, that's probably his closest counsel, and, and Teclis isn't there, so that's annoying him as well. Um, Corhill. Again, like like you say, he, he crops up a lot, and he sort of goes up to, to the te- te- Tyrion. And he's sort of a bit like, "Look, the Phoenix Court's wrong. You need to be out there. You need to, as you say, you're our greatest hero. You need to be leading us." Um, and he sort of keeps going on at him, keeps urging him, forsake the Phoenix King's wishes, go on, ride north, lead the armies. Um, and he, you know, he doesn't do it. He does. He is respectful to Tyrion. He's not just going to go against them. But then after a while, when he finally finds out that uh, Malekith and his armies have gone through Eagle Gate and they're now into uh, Trace, which has been just completely desolated, uh, so he knows at that point that Malekith is going to assail the Blighted Island, and that's where Widowmaker lies. So he thinks Malekith is going for Widowmaker, which he is really. So he knows that now he needs to take an army and he needs to ride north. So he does that um, and he's still sort of thinking on his mind about beloved Ilariel and uh, their daughter, Aliafra. Yeah, his, he's, his mind is everywhere. He is kind of stressed. And yeah, once he finds out Malekith's there, yeah, he's like, say what you I'm want. Going I'm going. I'm done. Yeah. I'm going. He's, he's, he's sort of, he is all over the place with his sort of emotions and his thoughts. That's quite clear. But he he's definitely could be single-minded when he knows where Malekith's going, he, he doesn't want him to draw it. And at this point, he's not even thinking, I want to draw the sword, I don't think. I don't think that's what he's thinking whatsoever. I just think he doesn't want Malekith to. All right, yeah, exactly. I think, I don't, I don't even think at that point, that's sort of, he's, he's thinking like that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Now, we've got this next sidebar here. Mm-hmm. All right, can you two take this? Because once again, I'm, I'm falling into the realm of confusion. Oh, you, can, you can't ask me to because I also... Fall into a lot of confusion as well. Okay, what about okay. you, Samlin? <laughs> okay, so l- let's try this, shall we? Right, so this is interesting here because you've got uh, um, it's the Sisters of Twilight, Nestra and Araham, right? And they're talking to Ladriel, okay, who is the um, she's the elven goddess of mists and wanderers. Now she is also uh, who the Bretonians refer to as the Lady of the Lake. 
So she's two different people already. Mm. And in this paragraph, in this, uh, sorry, in this section here, she is also revealed to be Lilith. So Lilith poses as Ladriel and the Lady of the Lake, if you will, but they're one and the same. So Have they, have uh, they always been interchangeable like that? The, the Lady of the Lake and uh, Ladriel uh, are, but I, this is the first time I've known as Lilith Okay. Being, uh, but that's but yeah that's 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 quite clearly what it is i, I think that's that you... just cool that they've got that now it's just it's right in there the lady of the lake is not she's an elven goddess yeah i think i think that pretty much has always been if it's not been directly stated i think pretty much everyone thought that anyway but i didn't this, know. <laughs> this is this it's not really talking about that part so much here the more thing is that um Finding out that Lilith, who's I don't know how much how worshipped she really is by the Wood Elves, whereas obviously Ladriel I think is more of a Wood Elf god, and she sort of says, "I forget that you have never seen beneath the veil that Lilith and Ladriel are one." Uh, this is a time of rebirth. Enjoy it, for the darkness presses close be close behind. I can guarantee nothing in the days that come. And it goes on a bit between uh, Nestor and Araham wanting to see their mother, who is uh, Ariel. They've obviously sent Alarial down. All these names sound the same, don't they? Mm, yeah, they do. <laughs> yep. um, so they basically, so, then in the end, I think um, uh, Lilith, Ladriel, whatever you want to call her, she says, we must summon the council. There's much work ahead of us. The last war of the gods is upon us. So I think that covers mostly what's in there. The Mostly the reveal there is that it's more deception and... Uh, string pulling i think from lilith who sort of is the main player overall in everything that's going on she seems mm-hmm. to be behind everything but again it's one of those ones that even i'm pretty sure i understand I'm, I'm not sure how well i explained that apologies if not it's a bit confusing even even if i have explained it well of all the different yeah. names that sound the same floating around it could be it could be quite tricky to to get but I'm, it doesn't doesn't really offer a massive no, amount really even there at the end the one of them says i see the ever the queen i see our mother i am both she goes down there. She's like been, you know, been made whole again. There's a lot of people who seems to have like parts of them almost split, and as these, as the gods are sort of coming back. Or, oh yeah, or so, yeah. In. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I, I missed that part there. That's that's the end bit. It's actually yeah. This is where obviously because uh, Alerio's gone down to save Ariel, and she's come back as they're, they're one person. Yeah. Sorry, I have my little arrow post-it note over those two lines. Because um, it's, actually, it's actually Ariel who says, we must summon the council. There's much work, much work ahead of us. The last war of the gods is upon us. So obviously, Lil, uh, Lilith poisoned Ariel. So Ariel's uh, uh, gone down there, and they've merged in some elven way. But so is, that, the, is you, that part of her plan? Was that her plan with the poison to get her over here to save her so that they could merge back into that one spirit, her body, and Ariel's... Spirit, yeah, because they essentially still refer to her as Alaria. I guess from the rules point of view, this is Alaria ascended, or yeah, whatever name name for that is. But she's got the essence of Ariel within her. And Ariel is actually, I believe, she is one of the elven gods in of herself as well. She, um, uh, yeah, she's Aisha Aisha reborn. Who again, that comes down to where you have. uh, Aisha and Kernos and whatnot. It's all a bit, yeah. <laughs> hmm. But oh, yeah, that's that... this gets more muddy than the House of Plantagenet. This is just getting, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is actually sorry, I completely missed that. That is that is pretty much the main bit of that. But um, not obviously, it's important to know that Ladriels and 
Lilia for there together, but also that um, uh, Alarial and Ariel are now combined. Ariel is essentially so. Are she yeah, Alary Ariel? Alary, Larry, 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 Ariel. That's it. Now, okay. God, I've just completely fried my brain saying Alary, Larry, Ladriel, Ariel. Quite literally. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so... (laughs) All right, well, that clears that up. So now Tyrion's on the boat heading for the sword. Got to get there before Malekith. And, of course, he's just sitting very patiently and calmly at the head of the boat, just waiting, right? Because, you know, that's it. He's got nothing to do, but, boy, he's not happy to be sitting there. And the Sea Lord Aislinn? Yeah, Aislinn, yeah. He's from the... um, Again, back to, a lot of this does reference the old Storm of Cha- um, Storm of Chaos campaign that sort of got retconned. Um, they had the Loven Sea Guard army in there, which was notoriously sure. horrible because it had the free mm-hmm. round of shooting before he started. And the only lord you could have was the Sea Lord, and he wasn't named as Aislin, but and he wasn't a, a special character in all the fluff that it was Aislin, and the army had to be led by a Sea Lord, and you could only have one, so it was always Sea Lord Aislin. Um, okay. And that's so he he does have some precedent in the fluff. He's not sort of a main character. Um, yeah. So they go over. There's a bit here as well, which is vaguely important later on. Uh, whenever Corhill looked out to sea, he swore he caught sight of dark, scaled shapes moving through the storm-tossed waters around them. Mm, what could that be? Hmm. Um, so they head over to. Um, they're going to Phoenix Gate. Is that where they're going now? I believe that's right. Oh, no, yeah. No, they land at um, Elfrost Bay. Um, the, the high elves and when they do the sea walls are already being h- held by the dark elves there and i think Tyrion just orders the attack anyway doesn't he so all the high elves are, are sort of flooding in and just getting shot by bolt throwers mm. and then they get on range on the repeater crossbows because um, they've got, got that really good defended position and this is when those shapes in the water starts becoming what apparent they are and it's the merworms uh, alongside aislin's fleet obviously yeah. merworms they're in the, the monstrous arcanum but their original uh their original existence in Warhammer again was in that storm of chaos. Um, um, Loven Seaguard list. You could have Moems in that. So they, they come up and cool powers too, though. That just singing out to them and they come and they, and they go. Yeah. They just sort of follow him around. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like uh, whoever the Nurgle guy was, who was taking the boats everywhere and just sort of controlled everything and didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure in the army, there was some weird, you could do a weird bound spell thing to move them around or something. I can't really remember, but anyway, yeah. So the, the these all come out onto the, I just basically save the day, don't they? They smash up all the smash up all the dark elves, and um, there's a bit in here that's a bit sinister and shows another side to Tyrion. I think when you get onto where by the time the dark elves have lost and the high elves have have won won the day, thanks mostly to the Merwims, I think really um, they've got hundreds of captives that have been seized. Mm. But it says, however, Tyrion was not minded to take prisoners, and so ordered them thrown from the ramparts. So some of them perished on the rocks below were the fortunate ones. Those who survived the fall lived only long enough to see the hungry moeworms bear down upon them. As Tyrion's hosts marched inland, the coastal air resounded into agonized screaming into the sharp crack of breaking bones. So, yeah, that's not yeah. very not very nice of Tyrion there. No, I, I think this is, yeah, you're obvi- seeing the obvious cracks, right? Yeah. Well, now, he is moving towards another battle. He can't leave his troops behind to watch prisoners. He can't leave prisoners behind at his back. I get his reasoning. It is a little cold to throw them over the edges like that and not just kill them outright. Yeah, and throw them over that's... the edge to let merworms eat them alive. That's yeah. I think that's the cruel part. I don't necessarily think his decision was necessarily a bad tactical decision. 
no and but i think i think you're completely right but i think it's it's the fact it's not just like that swift clean execution because for the reasons you said it is the more the more gruesome element of it the the things you you may not traditionally expect to see a high elf general doing and look how that, close so that's, he is that's at, dark elf behavior and look exactly. how close he is to the sword exactly yeah mm. so there we go so they sort of push on and um everyone's getting a bit it's, it's all getting a bit grimmer really they're going through um blackened ruins or charred flesh everywhere this is as they're going through uh illyrian isn't it and it's just it's not not a nice place at all really it's been been sort of completely raised for the most part hasn't it um uh yeah and then uh, then they sort of start encountering small nagarofi uh raiding parties and rather than just sending sort of scouts out to deal with them Tyrion actually starts um going out with the knights just he almost just wants to go and kill really um, he's he's, he's yeah. sort of riding out with the reavers. Um, not only is he just going out doing all the killing, he says for long, um, long loosed his Illyrian rights to a long sought slaughter. Not only this, but following each victory, severed Nagarofi heads were set upon spears to serve warning that Illyrian was defenseless no longer. Coyle disapproved this barbaric gesture, but said nothing. So again, within about four different pa- uh, four passages, there's another example of this. It's it's. That's, I mean, that's not even a, well, I suppose you could say there's, there's tactical reasons for doing that to, to <laughs> disturb, disturb the, the, the foe, but that's just not high over sewer behavior, is it, at all? No, no that's the stuff Black Dracula did to, to scare right. his enemies as they were coming yeah, towards him. To that's right. him, yeah, that's just, but uh, I, do, I do love this last part where they're coming in and the, the you know, the... Malekith's forces are coming in, and as and as Tyrion is seeing all the different banners of all the people who have switched over, yeah, they're like, "Oh crap!" and they're outnumbered, and he looks pissed, and he stands up in his stirrups, and he pulls forth his sword, and everybody's waiting for him to give a speech, <laughs> and he just rides forward, like doesn't say a word, puts his sword down. Right, there's nothing to be said. We're here to kill these guys. Yeah, he does that a couple of times as well. There's, yeah. there's a couple of times where uh, his horse, Mahande, is referred to as a blur, where he's just gone, sort of mm-hmm. gone away. But there's a cool bit before that where they're talking about Caladorian dragon riders dueling with phoenix knights in the skies above. I love stuff like that with the like the sort of monster riders fighting, and that's, that's quite cool, I yeah, thought. Yeah, that was cool. pretty good, yeah, pretty good the, visual. Hopefully those phoenix knights are on frost hearts. Yeah, right. Well, they ain't got hope. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he just goes off there and joins the battle, basically. And that leads us on to the next battle, which is the Battle of Reaver's Mark. All right, break and then the battle. folks, it's Dave. Are you looking for that special model to add to your army? A monstrous creature or maybe a character model? Something unusual that not everybody else is fielding on their table? Well, then you should check out Mears Miniatures at MearsMiniatures.com. Their Darklands line is full of some of the most fantastic creature models you'll ever see. And with the success of their recent Kickstarter, 
Those models will be perfect for you to play in their forthcoming Darklands game. So whether you're looking for a new skirmish level game to play with lots of cool monstrous creatures, or you're just looking for that extra special model to add to your existing games line, Mears Miniatures is really worth your time. Check them out at Mears-Miniatures.com and seriously guys, you'll be glad you did. Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is the one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your favorite gamer may want. Board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there, as well as books, charms, incense, crystals, and other unique gifts. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program, or check out their gaming and events calendars in-store or online. From Tuesday night War Machine and Thursday Board Game Night to Friday Night Magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Gray's Lake. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. Okie we are back and time to tuck into the Battle of Reaver's Mark. Uh, this is where, obviously, you've got one high elf army fighting against uh, a much greater dark elf army. And this is Tyrion, as we just said. Just, well, I suppose he's leading a charge. He doesn't, I don't think he's even thinking about who's following him. Maybe he assumes they all will, but yeah, so he, he just goes straight down into there. Um, and he basically just goes in and just starts. There's a fair few passages of just about how Tyrion's just smashing up dark elves. Yeah, goes on a little bit with that, really. Um, it then sort of gets into a bit where you find out Caradrian is fighting. Uh, he's sort of almost surrounded. Uh, Astari's on the floor, a bit injured, so he, he can't be flying around. Um, he's got got his Phoenix Guard fighting around him, but uh, I can't remember who says it. But someone's a bit confused as to why he's in that position how he's managed to get himself sort of cut off like that. Yep. Um, so, and I think he's got all the knights fighting around him and that it comes into play a little bit later on how, how exactly that's happened. Um, so yeah, then basically it cuts over to the dark elves, what they're doing. You've got uh, Talaris, the captain of the executioners who's again, he's got the voice of Cain urging him on in every, every fresh blow. So he's just going around, going from one to the next cutting heads off. I mean, you don't mind the executioners doing it. It's sort of their thing, isn't it? So we'll, we'll come a bit of slack on the, on the head choppings there. (laughs) Um, It's to be expected, I guess. Yeah. So he he keeps, he keeps going on there. Um, I think then, sorry about this. Yeah. So yeah. Now just following around, like sitting off to the side of the battle, watching it. Just keeping an eye on dark blade. Yeah, she's she's yeah she's got a vested interest in him now, so that's going on. Tyrion's basically just doing doing what he likes. He's just going around fighting. So it's sort of at this point down to Corhill and the other ca- uh, and the other captains to sort of they have to coordinate the battle for them really, and they form a really solid line. They've got they've got all the units in there: the Phoenix Guard, the White Lions, uh, the Sea Guard, uh, and the. Well, yeah, two units of Loven Sea Guard there as well. So they've just got a really solid line of thousands of warriors there. Um, and they're sort of a bit wondering why the Dark Elves aren't doing anything about it. They've suddenly, the Dark Elves have suddenly got this thousands, like, super formed wall on their flank. 
and they're just not reacting to it at all. Uh, so they're sort of thinking, well, there must be something a bit wrong here. Um, and as you say, Drusala's just wandering around. She's got that vested interest in um, in Malice. But as well as that, um, it says here, earlier, as Karadrian's army had approached, that's the one that's already fighting, she had gathered up a maze of invisible pathways as weaver spools, uh, then cast it wide, scattering Karadrian's host also. So basically there's these magical... I don't know how to describe like it. Ley lines, almost. It's yeah, ley lines. That's, energy yeah, that's the word, yeah. Um, and she's basically able to control these and basically just move around where people are almost. Um, so it becomes apparent that uh, they don't care about all these units on the side because she's just going to play around with this and uh, they're suddenly not going to be there. And it also then becomes apparent how Karadrin and his Phoenix Guard have managed to a great general such himself managed to get himself surrounded by loads of Dark Elves so it becomes apparent um, so for Corhill, one moment he's at the head of his advance uh, axe in his hands, ready to go the next minute, a bellowing Hydra appears before him, so <laughs> he's just sort of like what, what's going on here? <laughs> um, so obviously and so he kills it because, yeah, it's you know do, I, yeah. Yeah. cut a few of the heads off first obviously, got to get the killing blows in there haven't you? The, head, the head cutting off, so he sort of once this goes on he sort of realised he's far from where he thought he was. And he even says that. He, last he knew how Karadrin had been surrounded, but the knowledge would do him little good. So he's doing across this all the same. So Drusala's just basically just shifted everyone around as and where she, I'm doing all these hand uh, gestures at the moment of these grand, <laughs> <laughs> grand things there. So they've all just been messed around and the Dark Elves are suddenly in a good position there. I think it's, it's they say it's only Tyrion's knights uh, thus far beyond Drusala's malign intent rode free up, upon the field. So does that mean that they're far beyond it as in physically far or it's just because of Tyrion she's not able to, to manipulate them? What did you guys take from that? Hmm. I, I I tend towards the latter. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that then. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so again, um, Malice Darkblade's in there. He's seen, he's seen Tyrion um, and he thinks, well, I'll probably go for that. He, he knew of Tyrion from old and knew that the prince's head was a, a prize beyond value. So, um, yeah, so I think he fancies going for that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, not only the enchantment that Drusala placed on him to basically turning back to an elf rather than a demon. Um, it not only driven Zarkon back to the shadowed reaches, reaches of his soul, but also shackled, shackled the demon's full power to his will. So he could basically control the demon's power without worrying about him trying to take control all the time. So that's, that's really beneficial for Darkblade. Yep. Um, obviously, there might be a, a knock-on effect to that that he's not, not aware about. <laughs> um, now, whilst... Um, Whilst old Darkblade, the uh, tyrant of Hagrafe, has set his eyes on t- Teclis, um, Tyrion, sorry. Uh, at the same time, Talaris has also noticed that Tyrion's about there, and he fancies chopping his head off as well. So they both sort of um, descend onto Tyrion almost at the same sort of time, really, don't they? I think they both sort of, it's almost like a pincer movement. The Cold One Knights of Darkblade and um, Talaris's executioners slam in both into Tyrion's unit of knights, so... In game terms, you'd be feeling pretty confident as a dark mm. player, then, probably, wouldn't you? No doubt. Yeah, so going in there. So that's that's pretty cool. And I think it's actually um, Darkblade who gets there first, isn't it? Uh, so yep. Darkblade... he's almost got him from behind, except the Malhandir notices and moves. Yeah, he, yeah. Malhandir is obviously a, 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 horse, a lord amongst horses. And uh, yeah, he jump, jumps out the way. Uh, but I think... Um, 
Darkblade still manages to get in with a, a blow along the back of uh, with his warp sword on there. So uh, they sort of fight for a bit, really. Um, yeah, again, these are the sort of the battles where they go on for quite a few passages of blow for blow. So I'm right, sure. because the warp sword keeps hitting him, but he's got that demon power knocking him in his saddle, knocking him around, beating him up. Yeah, so obviously Tyrion's the better fight, fighter, but uh, Darkblade's powered by by the demon in, inside him. And the um, Dreadbringer gets through his armor. Yeah, well, well, actually, Tyrion's about to kill Darkblade. He he, he gets him into position. He's about to kill him, uh, and then uh, Talaris pops up and basically gets his uh, Drake through the back of uh, Tyrion's armor. And, actually gets him through the back so uh it's a pretty good good thing for him so inadvertently he saves dark blade i don't even though they're both dark elves i'm 100 percent sure he was not trying to save dark blade <laughs> he was just kind of going for tyranny himself right he's uh, distracted go for him now yeah and this is a uh, drusala pops up here because she she hears Tyrion's cry uh as obviously he gets gets sort of t- ran through the back and uh she saw him on the field for the first time anger and panic fought for dominance of her actions this is not what she intended the sorceress had reached cage zarkin in the hope that dark blade might prove a useful weapon against malekith the prospect of Tyrion's death displeased her greatly hmm, why does drusala care that much about Tyrion's mm, death yeah really yeah. if you haven't caught on by now Right, you, get, you need to go back and and re- get start yeah. from the beginning and start again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is um, she couldn't. So basically, she's she, she's thinking, oh god, what am I going to do here? She's uh, she praises and discards every possible intervention she can do. She can't directly attack Tyr- um, attack Tyrion's attackers because that will only bring a traitor's death. There was one thing she could do, um, and I think it's about this time as well that um she reached into the magic and it's yeah this is the moment where the ritual hap- is happening in sylvania and aliafra Tyrion's daughter dies mm. this happens at this point so um i think Tyrion notice notes that at the time doesn't he? he he feels that and uh sort of goes a bit ballistic with sorrow um well, no, it says if he felt sorry, it was for the most fleeting of moments and then just went back to rage and then just basically just kills Talaris, um, puts him down onto the ground and sort of almost doesn't kill him for a moment and then finally does. And then as Talaris dies, he says, at last he knew the truth that Cain had tried to share with him all these years and it was glorious. So he sees, he sees Tyr- uh, Tyrion for what he is or what he's going to be. Obviously, because Talaris is—he's talked to by Kane. Essentially, he knows he yeah. knows Kane's plan. And, oh, is that yeah. is that what that passage was referring to? I didn't. Mm. Think it. Yeah, that yeah. pushes him because he wants him to strike. He wants him to kill him in anger, do whatever it was. Because that's where he because Tyrion was holding off, and he's like, "Oh, you're weak. That's why you couldn't save your daughter." And that was all. Oh. He wants yeah. him to give in to his anger. Right? Yes, yeah. yeah, it's, it's it's, he says, "Finish me, set me free, set yourself free." He, he, and your they, journey they, towards the dark side. Yeah, it's that. Right, it's right. that. Yeah, there you go. Talaris, the emperor, uh, the, the emperor who who knew it. Yeah. <laughs> so and so then we're back there. So Darkblade did not. He didn't mourn uh, Talaris Dreadbringer's passing. He cared only that Tyrion was distracted. So he goes. <laughs> he, he goes straight. He goes straight back in for the kill there. And this is where uh, Drusala has to. Her, her, she has to go for a gambit so she basically she uses the, the charm that she's had and she puts it in basically puts it into effect so uh zarkin takes back over uh, so the warp sword falls from dark blade's hand tries to resist it but he can't do it anymore um 
this bit's genuinely sad and a bit going. Like Dark Blade's a character that I've read about through like, he is the so when he first come cool. out. He's awesome. He's 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 definitely the coolest coolest Dark Elf character in the fluff. He's 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 got more fluff I reckon built up and written about him than maybe even maybe even Malekith, maybe, I don't know. But he's he's a very well well developed character. And um yeah, he could be Zarkin would be caged no more. He read fr- rose through the Dreadlord's mind like bile rising through the gullet, thick, choking, and bitter. With a last mournful snarl, the flame of Darkblade's soul gasped, guttered, uh, guttered, and then went out, smothered forever. Spite, that's his cold one, clapped sideways under the sudden weight as his master's body blossomed once more into Zarkin's horrific form. And I love um, how her plan was to let him out partway and then like, stop him. <laughs> right. So that yeah. way he would be so distracted that Tyrion could just kill him. But even what? she doesn't realize. Yeah, I sort I sort of get the impression she wanted it says she wanted to uh, hope halfway, leaving Darkblade a twisted and vulnerable pile of flesh. So almost doesn't go full into a demon. So he's almost a bit chaos spawny or something. Yeah, right. and that way, uh, yeah, that yeah. that distraction during that moment that Tyrion would. But, get out of it, but, but no, nope. but the power of Zarkon. Yeah, yeah tore, tore himself free of Darkblade's ruined flesh, crushing the last vestige of the tyrant's mind. His house of delight drowned by its agonized roar as a coal was crushed beneath the demonic hoofs. So not only is Darkblade dead, sort of ripped asunder by the demon coming out, but also they kill poor Spite, who's been out there forever as well. So, yeah, yeah. brutal. And I, I, I reread that because the first time when he came out, I sort of thought, oh, has he died? Because we've never seen him actually manifest as a demon, Zark, and he's always just had the power imbued in him. And then when I read this, I was like, oh, is it the same again? But no, he's, he's dead. No, his Dark, soul was dead. crushed. Zarkhan yeah. ate him at this yeah. point. And at this point, up to this this point, through um, all the End Times books, this is the main one where I was like, oh no, that's, that's, that's really rubbish. <laughs> I really like Malastar played and he's dead. <laughs> but again, you've you got to expect it. Don't, don't go into these books with any favourites. Yeah, yeah, anyone uh, could go. But, uh, you know, he went out in spectacular fashion. He did, he did. And so now Zarkhan's there in front of Tyrion. So what can Tyrion do against the might of a demon prince? Well, Tyrion just tears him up. Yeah, it says how months ago he got wounded by it. Not this time. Yeah, and uh, what's even the, the probably the coolest thing in this? I think it's about now. Is uh, before remember when Zarkin came out, the warp sword grew in his hand. There, he dropped as he happened. He dropped the warp sword. Tyrion actually picks it up. So Tyrion is going around jewelry wielding Sunfang and the warp sword of Cain, which is. Pretty, pretty badass. I actually read up the rules for both these weapons. So, Sunfang gives him plus three strength, flaming attacks, and a strengthful breath weapon. And the Warp Sword of Kane is reroll wounds and ignore armor saves. So, he could be pretty, he could be pretty badass with that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's, that's a pretty good combo. So I love how now he's also a foe beyond Zarkon's measure. Elves, both high and dark, scattered from the combatants' path. Some did so too slowly. These Zarkon seized and flung into Tyrion's path. But the, so the horses dodging bodies. Tyrion's yeah. got two swords, and there's nowhere for Zarkon to go. His yeah. back was at the Phoenix Guard, and they're just pushing him back in. They're like, they're yeah, not even fighting him. Back they're you like, go, back you go. They're like, you yeah. had it. Tyrion is not putting up with your nonsense. And so he charges him, and then, boom, both swords. Yeah, he sort of uses the weight of his own charge, doesn't he, to just right. sort of thrust the two the two swords through him and yeah, literally yeah. says his death as much as his own hands as his foes yeah and um as that happens sort of the ground trembles the sky shook all these f- flames and that go off and um 
uh, you sort of get the impression they think it's just Zark and dying, but actually, obviously, we know Ali Afra's died uh, a little bit ago, but now Nagash's rebirth is complete. Um, uh, so that's happened. The uh, the dead start so rising. So that happens. Yeah, that happens. And then, yeah, so all across uh, Reaver's Mark, the dead begin to rise. And it's not just the ones that have died in this battle. We're talking the fallen, they say the fallen of millennia past. Most elves, so all these all these elves from millennia just start rising up on here. The only the only person that doesn't, or the only being that doesn't, is Zarkan. Only mortal flesh heard the call. So there we go. So you suddenly you've got these two armies depleted, um, and then all the characters just come back to life on here as well. Um, and now I love that the mages of Safri are trying to put these dead back, and they yeah. can't because they have no control over the death magic anymore. They've got no controls. So it's it's nice to see the two different sides there because, like you say, the 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 high elf mages are trying to stop it, banish them away, and the dark elf mages they see the opportunity and like, well, come on, let's uh, we can control these. Try to control so, it, yeah. so so they they gain control of them all. Um, only momentary though, because. Uh, Tyrion has something to say about it. That, uh, now this gets cool. And this this explains why he's got that rule where we all read the rule and said, that's the dumbest thing. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And then you read it in the story, you're like, holy crap. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, really? But it is funny how every other wizard on the planet, like in every story you've read so far, the, the dead rise, and they're like, well, might as well use them, except the high elves. <laughs> right. The high elves are just like, oh, no, no. You can't put them back. What are you doing? can't possibly yeah so uh, i wonder i didn't really read the rules because he should really that that version of him in the rules should probably have the warp sword as well because it's almost the fact that he has the warp sword of cain that allows him to gain control of the dead dead of all one shouted Tyrion. i bear the warp sword of cain he who is the destroyer the murder of nations he who made corpses of you all um and they basically i speak for the destroyer I bear his blade. You owe him fealty by right of conquest. Your allegiance is mine to command. Cain's enemies are mine, and my enemies are yours. Slay them all. Then the warp sword shatters. Never weapon break him, because, yeah, that happens. And then, yeah, then basically Tyrion's got all the, all the dead guys, and they start taking down the, the dark elves. And they answer to him happily. Mm. Like, it's just yeah. like he's got them all. And yeah. suddenly, suddenly this fight just starts tipping. This yeah. is really cool stuff. How do you feel about then uh, Kane having power over the dead? I mean, that's not something. I mean, uh, uh, Kane to have the power to make people dead, but I never sort of thought of him as sort of being a god that would hold sway over the dead. I don't know. That, that was kind of an unexpected uh, extension of his power, if you will. Yeah, but as, it, as a god of murder and death, I don't even. I didn't so much take it as he holds sway over the dead. I as, didn't either. As just like, hey. You know what? This the god. Of, you're all here on his island. He's still an he's still an elven god. I'm running his power. Yeah. You know, it's how many elven gods or or people wielding elven gods' power are on this island? One. Yeah, okay with that. Yeah. And when he says, "Listen, you fight with me," you know, as opposed to all these other people, they go with it. That's kind of how I took it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because he's yeah. not even a magician. Like, how the hell would he even know what to do? But he just feels yeah. that power in him. He's like, hey, you yeah, know, now. you all died, for, for, you know, to, to, to serve his purposes. You're back here now. We're all going to serve his purpose. I just, I like, I didn't, I didn't mind it. Yeah, I just, oh yeah, I, I, it was, yeah, unexpected. I, 
I think, yeah, that, that was all. Now, they go back, back, back down to just general fighting and whatnot with them in there. Now, there's an interesting thing after what we've just heard about. I just want to read that again. With a piercing crack, the warp sword, uh, the warp sword shattered to ash. Then just a little bit later on, Tyrion rode at the head, the crimson halo wild about his brow. Sunfang gleamed in his right hand, and the warp sword of Cain was hungry in his left. Wait, hmm. So it was well, rebuilt at some point? What, li- literally about two paragraphs later? Hmm. Is that a typo then, or is that a mistake? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, kinda, it sounds like it's got to be, especially since he doesn't even need it. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, look. Yeah. But if the sword broke, but it didn't die, so it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't brought back. <laughs> you know, yeah, there, we, well, there we go. But yeah, um, so if they sort of all go. It's not just the, um, it's not just the dead that sort of start uh, answering to him. It is. It's almost as he almost is the avatar of Cain at this point. Um, and they're saying he's got this blood red halo around him, and all the elves start getting involved in this bloodlust and enjoying the killing as well, which they haven't before. Even Corhill gets swept up in it. Um, so this is where they start, start getting touched by it a bit more. Is that, this is the first sort of time we really sort of see that, that, that cane really coming through in, in Tyrion, do you think? Possibly. Mm. I, th- I think it's been manifesting itself uh, slowly, you know, up to this point. But you know, really, it's now taking hold, and it's affecting everyone around him, like Corhill, like you say. Yeah, because Corhill is the sort of one he sort of tends to be the one who's got a bit more of a level head and is, is holding things together up, mm-hmm. up to this point. And it's only sort of a, a passing um, swipe at that. But yeah, then I think they all just sort of go back to as they were. They they beat the dark elves, obviously, with the, with the aid of the not only the aid of the undead, but I also think the the sort of uh, they get sort of a, almost like a, a new lease of power with with this sort of um, with with Tyrion getting the, the warp mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's a typo. I really think it's a mistake because they only mm. mention it here again, and then he doesn't use it again because he's got the, he's still got some fan. Yeah, yeah, that's just kind of crazy. But then there's Drusella watching and getting all excited. Oh, yes. Yeah, and she. Um, she shifts her uh, uh, guys now into a different likeness, doesn't she? So, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, then we go on to, oh yeah, we got what's the pitch? The dawn. Tyrion's army is on the edge of the Reaver's Mark. Mm-hmm. He wanted to go there, and he wanted to move quickly, but everyone said they needed to rest. Even Caradrian had managed to, <laughs> like to convey his disapproval with a careful shake of the yeah. head. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. We're gonna go. No. No. <laughs> And here's another thing where he's just like, let's go on. And they're like, dude, okay, I know you're ready to go. Everybody else is tired. Yeah, and no one knows, like, no one knows, like, what's just happened with him controlling the dead. Everyone's like, what? <laughs> what happened there? Few knew what to make of the previous night's battle of the dead fighting, uh, rising to fight in Tyrion's course. Had the warp sort of cane given him that power, or was it some hitherto unrealized gift of his blood? So they don't know. They don't know what's going on, but... The dead had been returned to their proper place. Uh, the cadavers that had not been cast down during the final stage of the battle had collapsed as Dawn's ray swept across Reaver's Mark, banished at Tyrion's command. So there we go. Um, so, yeah, then uh, the, the Skycutters come in now. Now, we don't really get any talk of them in the battles because probably because they just die. So they just... <laughs> <laughs> they, they the harpies take them out. Yeah, they tend to serve as messengers more in, in this in this book, and here they are as well. So, they they the skycutters come and um, sort of um, 
bring word that Malekith, his army as well, has stopped marching for the time being. Um, uh, Estrana as well, she's she's been sort of harassing Malekith's army, sort of this almost guerrilla warfare with them, really. Um, where the dead rose, where they were fighting, no one really sort of controlled them, so they just started attacking both sides. So um, it was sort of really not conducive to anyone really gaining an upper hand in that battle um is what i got from it um then you've got um drusala she uh she's turned herself into an archer now for a sister of avalon basically so what? she just yeah. walks on through the tent yeah no one's and she hides herself she puts a glamour over them so they don't see her going into the tent yeah bloody bloody but and she goes into Tyrion's tent um She's not really fooling anyone here. And this is where we get the big reveal that's not a big reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to do this one, Dave? Yeah, as for revealing myself, you already know who I am. You recognized me at once, did you not? And then her glamour splits apart, and Tyrion's grim expression did not so much as flicker. Was he remembering yeah. that kiss atop the blood-slicked altar? Or was he... About- yeah, and that was that Yeah, that kiss on the altar. That was that... Uh- that was that stuff from the other story, but oh, it's it's Marathi. How? What? 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 <laughs> what? <laughs> so, yep, there she is. And then he didn't come out of his tent until the afternoon sun was low in the sky because he was getting it on. So oh, I thought they yeah. stayed up all night and talked. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm certain they talked plans, and then they right. talked other yeah. stuff too. There's a lot of pillow talk. I'm thinking. Yeah. There's a bit, I can't remember where it is. I wrote a bit in my notes. I'm not sure if it is now or later. Something about Tyrion getting all the girls. It's, uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he is a, the, he is the Captain Kirk of this, of this, these guys. Yeah, he's a bit, a bit of a sly dog, isn't he? He's, he's been having it away with the, uh, the Phoenix King's, uh, missus and now, <laughs> now the, the Witch King's mum. Uh, <laughs> You'd thought when um yeah when think they, about that he's fighting he's he's fighting a war against the witch king there think about this when they're fighting all the things are saying yeah. across there well, well the thing is spoiler alert when they fight they don't speak to each other but if I was Tyrion I know what my uh, first comment would have been and I probably can't say it on this podcast yeah but <laughs> okay but then you get back to that whole weird relationship because you get to yeah. Tyrion there hey I did your mom last night then there's Malkin's <laughs> answer so who hasn't like you know yeah, so did I you, exactly right. so, oh gosh I mean they're kind of creepy weird you never know <laughs> yeah. so. Uh, okay, let's get out of this weird area because you, yeah, you, you took that further. I was willing to leave that. <laughs> hey, I, 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 I can. I uh, yeah. David's always driving us to those weird places. <laughs> My job. I take a, I take a left turn right into the forest, and it's going to get scary, kids. Well, we're so, about to go into a Nurgle forest soon enough. So yeah, yep, perfect. So, so what else is okay? Oh, is, is this about the time when Teclis finally starts to get there, or something like that? Yeah, he basically. Um, he make, I think he gets the mate. Tyrion gathers the mages and says, "Look, you need to get Teclis. Where is he? Because he hasn't been around there." Um, and then he finally comes back in later that day. Teclis, he's on a, a, a steed of shadows, so he, he sort of comes in on that. Um, Corhill greets him, and they go up to the ruined circle of Haladra, which is a little way away f- away from the camp. So they get a t- chance to to walk as they go over there. Um, Corhill's telling him of everything that's going on. Um, Teclis just isn't really that interested, so I assume he already sort of knows what's been happening. Really, but not only does um, he know, but he knows about what, what he knows what argument is about to happen. Yeah, exactly. And he sort of they, they take him over there. It's, it's basically for what I, it's like a, a almost like a like a circle with all these statues of the gods around it, isn't it? I think that's all sort of right. shattered this uh, Haladra place. Um, so. Mm. 
Yeah, so they go they go up there, and I think uh, Teclis, yeah, like you say, he knew what was going to go on up there, and he he wasn't really sure that he wanted to go himself, really. Um, and straight away, he sort of quite angry really he accuses Teclis of treachery like just straight up front there's no sort of I guess Tyrion, uh, Tyrion doesn't really do skirting around does he but um, he accuses Teclis of treachery of consorting with Malakif to bring about Finnebar's death and of aiding the Witch King in his war this despite sentence, yeah this next yeah sentence. despite Tyrion's wrath his tone was pleading and begged Teclis to explain his actions uh, Coyle understood how the prince was torn for the horror of Tyrion's accusations gnawed at his own gut. However, when Tyr- Teclis finally spoke, he did so only to confirm the truth of his brother's words. Dude, and he's just sitting there all calm and cold. Like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, right. I d- yeah, that was me. Yep, sorry, bro. And uh, Coyle's a bit like, what? <laughs> he, he's just sort of stood there watching. And um, yeah, I think he's sort of a bit blown away by it all as well. And um Oh, and he's Tyrion. looking at Rizel's enjoying it, but Rizel is like that because uh, that's who Marathi makes herself look like. Yeah, his, yeah, we saw his, sort of, his attendant Rizel. Yeah, it's sort of like a, a handmaiden sort of thing. And then um, Tyrion comes over and basically pimp slaps Teclis, backhands him right across the face, knocks him over, and sort of sends him flying. And uh, we get this little sidebar here where um, it sort of starts getting a bit rough, like even just that one hit from Teclis has sort of wrecked the little weedy boy of um, Teclis, sorry, that one hit from, from Tyrion. And he sort of, this is where he's sort of thinking, yeah, I probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have come here. This, is, <laughs> this isn't going to do very good. And he sort of, Ty- Tyrion sort of presses it and he says, and Aliafra, brother? And takes something out from his sheath, places it to his throat. Was her death a part of your treachery? I love his answer. So, I'm sorry. It was necessary. Yeah. It was just like, oh, no, he doesn't. Once again, he's like, yeah, sorry, he's man. Tell him how it is. And he's like, oh, my God. Um, and he's literally, Tyrion is ready to kill Teclis at this point. They've, I don't, I don't know that it's ever come quite to this before, but I guess this is, that's quite the reveal there. Obviously, we've known this for a long time, but for for the character of Tyrion to have that revelation that his brother has essentially been the reason for his daughter dying, he is ready to kill him, and he he ra- raises Sunfang to do that, not the warp sword because he hasn't got it. Um, <laughs> but Teclis obviously can summon his his steed of shadows over and gets out of there. Yeah, he just, and he just literally reaches out and grabs like the thing as he's flying by yeah, and pulls him out of there. Yeah, and then Tyrion is stomping around on the hill, screaming and yelling. It's fuming. Yeah, yeah, he's not happy at all. So we then uh, go back over to the uh, Wood Elves, and I've got a feeling this is the bit you might have been referencing right at the beginning here, because if if I'm right, I think this is the bit um, you know in Nagash where the portal takes them away. Mm. Yeah. This is where we are now. Oh, well, no, but now, now they're high above the ruins of that in the wooded hills of Ethermark. They, they've come through. Yeah, like, yeah this, is where, the, they, this yeah. is where they come out to. This is because he's left all – because Aralof come through with all the wood elves, but he sort of left them back in the woods. And he's just with Lilith. And this, uh, this girl called – what's her name? I'm oh, sorry, Kalara. She gets introduced here very briefly. She plays sort of a, a bit of a weird role throughout this. Um, she comes into play in a bit. Yeah. But yeah, and then Lilith sort of um, leads leads them down to uh, where where everything was just going on because they were watching, weren't they? They were watching what happened between Tyrion and Teclis there. Yeah, and he's like, well, "How come you don't let me do something?" And she's like, "I can't." But you, 
Yeah, which side? Which side would you? Yeah. Yeah, you don't know which side to choose. No, but you do. Yeah, but I can't tell you. So this is going on, you know. And uh, I like how the 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 girl. What's what did you say? What was his name? Calabria. Calara. 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 Yeah. 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 She's like snippy with the goddess yeah. here. <laughs> Yeah, and she's you don't really get any background on her. She more just sort of serves a purpose. I don't know if there's something more to her that we should know that, that I haven't clocked onto, but I don't I don't think so. Um and then basically what they do is they leave they send the army, I think, to tail Tyrion's host, all of Ar- Araloff's army, and then just Lilith, Araloff, and uh, this Kalara head down um, to uh, this uh, circle where they were was called uh, Haladra, was that what it was called? Yeah, as soon as, yeah, once uh, Morathi and, and once Tyrion are go gone, there. yeah. And this whole bit is is a bit sort of weirdy. They go, I don't know whether um, Lilith sort of performs a, a like a, a spell or something, but essentially they sort of just stand around sitting there for a bit. And then at night, all these flames start coming around, and all the statues, they think, I think uh, Aroloff thinks they're being rebuilt, but essentially they're sort of like ghostly figures of all the gods come and start acting out um, this war of the gods, essentially. Is that yeah, what she's, yeah, she needs them there to see this as they, as they're, they're sort of getting the, the, uh, yeah, the, the video version of seeing what had happened. Yeah, back that's then. what it's like. But I don't, but I don't, I think Kalara sees something different though, doesn't she? She doesn't see what Aroloff sees. Um, Cause she asks her, what, what do you see? And they actually, is, they see different things, I think. I think only Aroloff sees the truth, as it were. So you sort of get um, the main thing of um, uh, Kane fighting Kurnos with Isha, uh, uh, Isha as the prize. Um, and again, it's like, you, I can quite visualise it. They're saying it's all sort of slow motion, like actors playing rules. It's sort of that ghosty sort, sort of thing there. Um, and if they go through the whole sort of story again with um, Kane reaches out to claim Isha, but she threw herself into a lover's flames rather than be taken. Both Fakati and Athati moved to comfort the destroyer, but fell to each other's jealous blows, all that sort of stuff. So um, you'd say Fakati and Athati are probably uh, Marathi and Hellebron, I guess. I don't know. Um, and then the only one, um, the only one that isn't there is uh, Lilith and Ladriel because the real ones just stood there. And this is when it sort of, she sort of beckons them down into it. I think maybe they both see that part, but it's this last bit that I think um, Aroloff sees something different because he's basically front on with a Syrian, the main, the main dude. And he, he basically looks directly down at Aroloff, slowly, haltingly, the creator raised his hand and removed his mask. Beneath, Aroloff saw that a Syrian's face was identical to his. And then just says, remember this. Um, not even in quote marks, so I don't... Yeah. Is it telling us? Is it telling us to remember this, or is that? Is, is, <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? It's not in quote marks. I find that really, really weird the way that is. Unless he just heard it in his head. Remember this. Um, yeah. So oddly, like I don't think I read that the first time. Well, I didn't. It didn't sink in. And then obviously at the end of the book, I started developing theories. That I thought when I read it was a bit off, off beat. But then when I read it again, like it's the obvious of what's actually going on here. So um, yeah. You, as the listener, remember this as well, because that's, that's, that's pretty big going, I think. When we get onto like my the yeah. overall theories of what it's all about, I think that, that plays a massive part and will probably, could well do, play a massive part in the future of the Warhammer fluff going forwards if you just stick with that as a theory. And then you've got the little sidebar here where the um, 
uh, sort of just talk about what they're doing and then uh, she and tries to take, take go through another portal. They go through another portal. Yeah. All so, right. did, what, yeah, I mean, just quickly, do, do any of you guys, have you got any further thoughts on, on that part there? Because that's, that's I find it really find it really hard to write notes for that because it's such, I don't know, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a weird page. It's a really, really important page, I think, but it's it's weird. Yeah, you just kind of got to sit down and read it and take it. Once again, it's stories of the gods that I don't quite know what their motivations are. I don't know exactly what they're planning on doing, but these guys are seeing it play out. And I think the importance of here that we need to take away from it is these guys who are key in this have seen how it plays out and how it's starting again so that they understand the roles that people are playing. Mm-hmm. I don't I think understand all, it, but I think it's all about in your head. Like to me, I have clear ideas in my head of like representing gods to mortals. You remember from the very, very first paragraph we had in here, in, in, at the start of the book, the one that we in, in, uh, introduced the show with, where we talk about mortals shall assume divine ro- roles. The cycle of history repeats itself. It's the these these theories and ideas that I think uh, just behind everything what's going on here. So my guess is that when this world is, is reborn as, and as the cycle restarts, Araloth assumes the, the role of Assyrian the in creator. that world, right? Exactly. Yeah, the creator. And the, the, well, when we get to the very end of this book, that's the whole crux of it. And it, I mean, without going too much into that now, because we're getting to that at the end, but it gives Games Workshop, it does give them, in my opinion, the, the option of a complete world reset. Right. As well, it, There's multiple possibilities they could go with it. But yeah, we, we don't need Let's to jump too far. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to do that. That will be exciting. That will be fun to go yes. through, but but not now. That's not for now. Okay, so, so uh, C2D2 going on a break. <laughs> and uh, we'll, come, we'll come back and we will wind up in... Uh, we're going to wind up in the realm of chaos with the, through another portal. you got to be yeah. loving it, Helen. Through another portal. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. Teclas hauled himself up onto one knee, using his staff to bear as much of his weight as he dared. His mouth was in agony. It was like hot needles were stabbing into his jaw. He had wondered several times if he should have refused the summons, but he knew in his heart that he owed his brother this moment, if nothing more. And Ali Athra, brother? Tyrion ripped Sunfang from its sheath and placed its point against Teclas' throat. Was her death a part of your treachery? If it weren't for your counsel, she might yet be alive. Tekla spat a gobbit of blood onto the vine trail of the flagstones, feeling anew the pain of his broken teeth. Even now, weakened, the mage knew he could muster a dozen spells that would reverse their positions and even slay his brother outright. He had seen through Marathi's disguise from the first, and knew that her silent abjurations could easily be brushed aside. Nevertheless, Teclas knew he could not bring himself to harm his twin, even at the cost of his own life. I am sorry, he said quietly. It was necessary. Teclas's whispered charm went unnoticed beneath his brother's animalistic cry of rage. Tyrion snatched his sword back and raised it high, but Teclas's shadow steed was already in motion. Moving between the heartbeats, the beast galloped past the twins. 
As Sunfang's blade swept down, Teclis grasped for the silver bridle and was drawn away into the gathering dusk as his brother raged impotently in the ruins behind him. Realm of chaos through a portal. Dun, dun, dun. All right, so now we're going into the realm of Nurgle. Araloth and Kalara are in the Dreaming Wood, also known as the Realm of Chaos. Um, and they're with they're there with Lilith still, and she tells them that Shalia is held captive by Nurgle. Shalia being the goddess of healing, mercy, and childbirth. Right, which is like they're one of the human gods, though. And she's telling him this is an important. Th- she is important to this, to to what's happening here. They they need her. Um, this is this is yeah. This is like a. It's almost like a mini game within a, a computer game, isn't it? It's like yeah. It's, it's so far detached from the rest of it. Even the pages are different. Yeah, it's, right. It's very quirky. It's yeah. It's a total little sidestep off to here to know what there's something weird's been going on. And this is like his part of his big mission. I did think it was cool. Um, yeah, it's and fun. Hope, Nurgle's not home. He's bargaining at the court of Covenant with his brothers. So you have this time to rescue. <laughs> you have you know, he's not home, so we have time to get in there. But you got to go quick. You got ninety minutes. Timer, exactly. go. <laughs> so now I love how she she can't go with him because she's she's a goddess. She's a beacon. They would come after her, but she gives them enough uh, magical of her power to protect them from the corruption, which is the only constant in this realm of change. And uh, that'll keep, and she's going to keep the portal open on the Bridge of Fools. So she'll keep the portal open for them so that they can leave. And she's protecting them so they won't start getting pustules and boobos and all that god nonsense. And drunk goodness. And, yeah. I thought we were done with all that horrible Nurgle stuff. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so... And it, I love how they they can navigate the Dreaming Wood. It's Nurgle's garden, and they can navigate it because they are from Ethelorin, and it's Nurgle's garden, but it it's, it's still woods. a forest. It's still a forest. Oh, the description here is disgusting. Um, let's kind of skip over all the gross stuff. That's yay! All, all the plants are growing, and pustules, and maggots, and stuff. Basically, all the nastiest parts that you could think of. Anything growths, not growing, but growths and gross. So. But they're running through Nurgle's garden, and they're making a good clip of it. They hide from little hunting parties. Uh, sometimes they're only warned by uh, Skarin, by the by his hawk. Yeah, it's um, another Dan Helen favorite. <laughs> hmm. But they uh, they hide when they can, and they kill when they can't hide. But they're moving along. Uh, they talk about one battle where uh, Aeroloth gets stuck in this quagmire, and I love this part. Calera saves him, or she's killing all the demons and he can't fight because he's stuck in this quagmire and it's looking bad for them until the actual tree they're fighting by just bends over and grabs all these demons and eats them and it would have eaten them except for they got that protection around them they're, they can't be corrupted so it doesn't want to eat her uh, and then they pull him out and here's a nice gross part he's covered in white fat maggots that they can't pick off they have to get the hawk to come down and like peck and pull and chew them out. Tasty. Yeah. Um, and then basically it's 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 a, it's it's like the Lord of the Rings. They're traveling, 
and they're traveling, and they don't know how many days because there's no moon and no sun, and then they're lost, and then they meet this mortal scholar, and I thought this part was pretty cool because he's he's got a big tome, and he's writing stuff. On his belt, he's got a sort of dwarf forge steel, and the runes are are blazing because, of course... You know, they're in the middle of a chaos realm, so that sword is just, like, burning bright. His eyes were red-rimmed and bleeding, his skin marred by blisters and legions, yet still he smiled and joked to himself. And they explain why they're there, and he says he'll help them. So who do you think he is, then? Wasn't he, the, wasn't he in the, the demons book? Like, this guy, when they describe the realms, he's like the human walking around. Just, is he like a chronicler or something? Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. That's him, right? That's the same guy? Yeah, I'm assuming it's the same guy. How many humans wander around in the chaos realm and don't just get destroyed? So I'm figuring that's him. And I'm like, okay, that's a guy. They mentioned him in the chaos demons book. Okay, that's cool. Um, But so he's now he's trapped in this realm. Yeah, it does admit that he's trapped, but the gods must want to make a record of the place because he can find his way around this place really easily. You know, um, so he becomes sort of their guide. But he kind of, in some ways, he slows them down because he was, wants to he wants <laughs> to document everything, right? Right. <laughs> but they were lost anyway, you know? So it's like, you know, at least this guy's got him on the right path. They might not be going that f- as fast as they want, but at least they're going the right way. L- Lieber Malefic is what his what he's called, according to the Chaos Book. That's his name? Yeah, as or I watched the writing at the landscape, I sought to record my journey. I don't. Uh, it's it looks like a byline, Liber Malefic. Well, because the the Liber Necris is the the books of the dead that that uh, with stuff that uh, he's also writing the yeah. book of uh, the de- demonic. Yeah, I think that's what he's doing. He's recording that stuff. Okay. Uh, the the, the Liber Chaotica is that big book of all the different information that. Right. You know, you used to be able to buy the four different books from Black Library, and then they put out that one big tome. Mm-hmm. That's the Liber Chaotica. That could be what he's writing. That yeah, makes sense. So he's the one who wrote that book that I couldn't afford to buy yep. when I was at Gen... At, damn it. All right. So they find uh, this weird crystal thing on the border of Zinch's d- uh, domain, and there's a face in the crystal. So there's this wizard who found a way to get into the cast realm and got himself trapped and stuck. And can they help him out? And... He doesn't like the way this guy sounds, but he's like, okay. So they make a rope out of their mem- fond memories. <laughs> he shows them how to make a rope of fond memories, which they can then use to traverse the labyrinth to find him. And um, Erloth actually has to go in with his eyes closed because there's so much stuff coming at him, so much weirdness, that he starts to lose his mind. So he closes his eyes, and he just lets the scholar lead him. You just lead. Okay, I'll follow with my eyes closed. And uh, and then they get there and they basically okay. Basically, long story short, they get the they get the wizard out, the sorcerer out. Um, so he comes out of there. Araloth and Kalara are tired. Uh, the scholar's trying to write all this stuff down that he just saw in the labyrinth. And they said, for his part, the sorcerer was churlish and distant. He'd been little pleased to discover their destination, but then agreed to keep his word. Um, he doesn't. Like want to go with him. He just wants to leave. Who do is he? Anyone relevant? Do we think? I don't know who this guy is. Mm. Yeah, I didn't get a sense either. It's kind of a loose cannon, but other than yeah, that. I think I think I heard some people saying he might be Van Horseman. I don't know. Oh, that, that would be cool. I, I, that would be I really cool. Sh- 
I wasn't sure, to be honest. But so you've got a couple of elves, you got a scholar, now you got a wizard. All you need is a fighter, and you got a whole party here. Sure. <laughs> and so, guess what? Oh, they come across a fighter. Now, <laughs> listen to this. Now, at the Glazebury Center, a knight was spread-eagled and shackled to the ground by rusted chains. He was a giant of a man whose armor gleamed like silver despite the cloying murk of the jungle floor. Yet for all his strength, he couldn't break free. He tugged at the chains, and they basically set him free, and he, unlike the churlish cranky sorcerer is very pleased that they saved him and he will help what he can to thwart their enemies who could explain me this you know what you know what this is Hmm. it's it's a gray knight from 40k that's what i heard really somebody else told me that this is a gray knight from that i was waiting to hear if anyone else said that yeah well when i first read it i thought it was i thought it was just a space marine for just from reading it and what, what they go on to say. But then uh, there's a bit on the next page we'll talk about, which makes me, yeah, 100% sure it is, it, it is um, a Grey Knight from something else that which they do. Then but, put yeah. the realm of chaos in the eye of terror. But, yeah, just, yeah, if you just read it, a giant of a man whose armor gleamed like silver. It talks about chaos, the chaos gods being his sworn foe. And then we'll, can, when we get a bit further on, there's a, there's a further thing that sort of pretty much seals the deal, I think, as a, as a Grey Knight as opposed to specifically a gray knight yeah so mm. but they don't need to hide they can, they can go on a straighter path now because they don't have to go around demons so much because yeah. this knight can kill things mm. um they never mention a chainsword i was they, that was yeah. uh, well <laughs> that's bolted. because well because gray knights don't use chainswords they well, use like right. powered they, weapons right oh that's yeah right. and um yeah they so, they do something else as well which is is on the next page so um i love this part so Nurgle's attention must be far afield for when the Plague Fathers, their doom would come. Um, so they keep moving along, moving along, and uh, where is it? Oh, they're going through these trees, and all of a sudden some things, and a demon lands on the knight's back. And it's um, it's one of the, what is it, those beasts Beast of Nurgle. Nurgle. Yeah. yeah. Which is so funny because they call them beasts of Nurgle, and you look at the pictures, and they look like something out of a Cthulhu nightmare. And uh, so he's trying to get this thing off of him, but the demons clung on. Its tentacles swaying happily as its unwilling play- with its unwilling playmates' efforts. So this thing's having fun. Like it's not here to kill him. He wants to play. And I start to realize as you're reading this, and as you get through this, that the beasts and Nurgle they kill stuff because they rush up and they want to play with it, and they wind up crushing and destroying it. They're like big dogs. Mm-hmm. They're like enthusiastic dogs. Yeah, sure. they're yeah. like Nurgle's dogs who don't know they're playing too rough with their playmates, which just gives you a whole new look. With you know Papa Nurgle and all of his guys are so happy, and then you get these vicious, brutal pieces of Nurgle. <laughs> thing. Nah, they just want to play too. So Araloth and, and and Kalara basically go at it and and wound it in the side. And it, it yelps and jumps off it, and its eyes are twitching between the 11s. Now, the sorcerer laughs. Of course, the sorcerer's a, a jerk. Um, the scholar's trying to write some stuff. And the knight, more wounded and pride than body, rounded on the attacker, his sword coming to take the beast's chinless head. Uh, the creature appeared so forlorn and betrayed, though, that Araloth checked the knight's blow and ordered him to stay his hand. So he saves the life of this creature because he realizes it's not malevolent. It's just out there doing whatever. And the little thing just lumbers away. Got to go. <laughs> um, and so they keep going. And now now they keep looking above them as well. 
but they get to the point where, um, yeah, there, there's some points in here that get so bad even the scholar can't lead them through that Araloth has to look through the bird's eyes to plot their way through, which I'm thinking, why the hell don't you do that in the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> when you were lost. <laughs> but uh, I ain't going to make fun. So they get there, and there's demons all over, and they get to the place. They find it. They find Nurgle's house, and, of course, it's surrounded by demons. And, uh, you know, the of course, the sorcerer's like, well, screw this. Let's leave. And, the, and the, you know, the guys, uh, the scholars recording, and the knight's like, I'll distract these guys. He had, he said, make something of a name of himself since his arrival in the benighted realm. He would serve as the distraction his companions needed by bringing the demons to battle. And so he just takes off by himself, quietly gets over on the other side of the place. where Because they basically they can't get in the main door, but the scholar knows of a side door. Because you, there's got to be a side door. It's a castle, right? you got to have a side door. Sure. And so he gets him in the side door. Um yeah, we should mention on the bit before where the knight, um, this is his his, uh, his side blast, his uh, grey knight thing, where he, uh, as Aronoff watched, the knight swept out his hand and blue fire exploded amongst the advancing demons, which is well, what they did. That? Wait, where Where did I miss that? So the, the first paragraph, paragraph. Uh, third column, page 54. So is that a, a weapon or a psychic weapon? Yeah, they or? do like psych, yeah. Yeah. Huh, Okay. So I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty sure of that. I I go with that. It's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think that I don't think I'd ever clarify that every any way. I no, they're just I, giving the fans a little bit of uh, yeah. you know something to chew on here, which is yeah. pretty cool. I keep linking the two worlds. I don't mind that. I really don't. I don't mind if this is just one world in in that bigger world because a it's 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 still all pretty cool. It, it would be great if on the forty k side of things, whether in fluff or novel, like they showcase this character and they kind of describe his interaction with this party from his point of view. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, two sides of the same story. Now, this is cool. Basically, they get into the house, and they find the room where Shali is supposed to be. And it's a demon wearing her bracelet. And they say, what? what? Like, what's going on here? But um, Kalara's like, no, 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 this is cool. Just get up there, open it up, take off that bracelet and give it to me. And he wants to know what's going on. He is not happy. Like, this is not what we was told. But once he pops it off, the demon transforms into... Back into Shalia, right? Yeah. The person, the goddess that she came to... Now, clarify for me, I don't know how she ended up there. Did they describe that? Or what's the sequence of events that lead this lead them up to this point in the story? I have no idea. Where's Tomlin? Uh, oh, there I don't is. know. No, I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, all I know, I did some reading on Shalia, you know, the goddess of healing and mercy, like we mentioned. Um, followers of Shalia lead a life of, according to, uh, a life of pacifism and forgiveness, although they have a special enmity for Nurgle, the god of pestilence. So they're definitely at odds. So at some point, Nurgle captured Shalia captured. and imprisoned her. The thing I really don't get is, like, Kalara sheds a single tear when she gets there, for she knew the hour she had both dreaded and longed for at last come. I don't, I don't get her deal. 
Like she's one of the, the things in it more than anything. I just don't understand. And I don't know if I'm just overthinking it and it's, it's not really relevant, but well, she yeah. did something wrong and this is her making up for it. And it's not going to be a fun thing, you know? Yeah. What, never, what did she do wrong? That do, we don't know. Cause in the, in the character description in the front of the book, it says that she's a priestess of Athel Lauren cursed for leading one of Orion's wild writers away from his duties. Could that be what she's trying to oh, atone yeah. for here? Oh, sure. Yeah. There you go. Is is that a big, like plot point in the Wood Elf book? I'm not really familiar with that. That I, I don't. don't I don't recall anything about that. So, hmm. okay, because it doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal. But it, no. missing something here. Hmm. But then, either way, she basically this is her job. If 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 Nurgle realizes she's not here, he's going to come looking for her, and they'll never get out. So she takes the bracelet, slaps the bracelet on. And she transforms into this ugly demon-looking thing, which obviously he's torturing them with, you know. Mm. And uh, so now they're going to take off, and they're going to get out because that's what they need to do. Um, I thought this part was interesting. They find, um, what do you call it? They find uh, the knight outside. He's impaled, but he's not dead. And I love how the scholar's like, ah, don't worry about it. Just leave him. You can't save him. And he can't die in this realm. He can't die here. So he will get his revenge soon enough. It's like, wait, what? They can't, they can't kill him, and eventually he's going to get free, and he's going to take his revenge. So don't worry. Weird. Like, what? Not wanting to go on too many tangents or anything, but well, you know these theories about that new... A new sort of race in Ninth Edition, which is mm. like a, a hu- like a good version of Chaos Warriors, like big paladin knights, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Could that? I don't know. Could be a first look at one of those. Could be. It's possible. Yeah. It's, it's intriguing. I mean, this guy is very interesting, right? He's yeah. A lot of uh, yeah, yeah, I, angles. I'm I'm pretty confident we'll never get anything more on him ever. But <laughs> so it'll be, yeah, it'll be left 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 to geeks to speculate right. forever right. and ever and ever. Right. Now, the one thing I did skip over was that after that first time when they got jumped by the Beast of Nurgle in the forest and they were watching closely, that Aeroloth always sensed eyes on him and knew they were being followed but never saw anything. And here's where that comes out. So they get near the gate, and for some reason, the sorcerer is just like, oh, guess what? I'm going to... I'm going through first by myself. I'm going to get rid of you guys, which doesn't make any sense because I thought they could all go through. This is the part that I was like, why would he actually attack yeah. them? But he does. He attacks them. And um, he's about to kill Aeroloth when, oh, Beast of Nurgle, the one he spared. <laughs> you know, it comes bounding out and kills this sorcerer. Just takes him out. He's like, oh, you're trying to kill my friend. So he's been following them and keeping an eye on them. The whole time, because they were the first person who were people who were ever nice to him when they spared his life. So he was like, "Oh, they love me, and they're my friends." And this guy goes after him, and he kills him. And then Aeroloth pulls himself up off this cliff where he's about to fall off the bridge or whatever, and almost gets knocked off the bridge because this thing tackles him again and <laughs> like wants to play. Um, but before it could crush him accidentally. The, the scholar just stops and it's like seemingly knowing exactly what to do. Picks up a skull, shakes it at him, and then tosses it aside <laughs> like a bone. Like, gotcha. Hey, go fetch. Yeah, right, he right. does. He goes to the thing, go fetch. And he gets off of him. And then he's like, I'm not leaving. I got to still stay here. I got more to record. And so they leave. 
A mission accomplished. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> it's bananas, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And th- I'm wondering if we're going to see more of this where, you know, because I thought maybe when they freed her, this might be getting close to the point of the fight in at the end of Glotkin, where they were around the Temple of Shalia. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's nothing that really happened there to indicate that she wasn't there. Like that her power wasn't there because that was the only place that was impenetrable. Remember? Right, right, yeah. So well, either, if the, she, either she yes. got freed earlier or... Yeah, if, you, if you're looking at the time frames, this chapter happens about the time the start of Glotkin happens. Oh, so by okay. the, the last chapter, Glotkin presumably happens after this, depending on how much... Oh, that's right. She says it would happens. take her a couple of months to heal, so they need to get done quickly, and there she is, there healed at the end yeah. by the time the Glotkin arrive. Mm. Okay. So that's it for... That's it for the the Nurgle thing. So, oh, yeah, now, I quite enjoyed that uh, section. Yeah, yeah. four it's, pages of w- weird. Mm. Yeah, when I got when I got to it, I was just like, "What?" If I just picked up a different book, like yeah. it's, it's so far detached. But yeah, it's a, a welcome break. It was it was interesting. It's fun. It it's got a lot of things you can speculate over if if you're that way inclined. So yeah, mm. it was a good addition to the book. I felt. I just don't know where, where Shalia fits into the bigger picture of things. but No, I, I don't, we'll to be see. honest. No, so, yeah. all right, we got two more pages before we get to the big battle. So what's going on here? Malekith is just, like, not happy. What, surprise, no, yeah. surprise. Yeah, he's, he's he's super angry at this point. He's he's going around disemboweling dreadlords, uh, prominently displaying the remains, that sort of thing. Um, he's just This, this Estran is just uh, constantly just harassing him. It's almost like guerrilla warfare tactics um, and some of the, the shadow warriors join in as well. And he's just, yeah, he's just not happy at all. He's just getting harassed. And by them. I mean, they're not really, don't seem to be doing him overly that much damage. I mean, and when the shadow warriors come along, it says that their reinforcements almost were their undoing because they've suddenly got more, more people there because before they were sending, they were sending like uh, troops and then br- the dragons were going over burning the forest and then when they come out it was only dark elves that were dead there um, I think um, do you get no you don't get um, Aleph and R turning up at this point do you really it's just um, nope. um basically yeah they just yeah he's mostly a second half player yeah but uh, so finally oh I love I love when he's that he's got to learn how to a, a little bit to, to play the game, and he's just not used to it. Uh, you know, Malekith's orders were couched in respectful terms, but they were unmistakably commands nonetheless. Yeah, this whole bit. Yeah, this is where Kuran um, has to go to the Caladorian encamp just to just to meet with with Imric. And yeah, as you say, that that whole bit is is quite interesting, really, because obviously Kuran's sort of top dog. Uh, amongst Malachus lieutenants, and he sort of he goes to deliver this this message to Imric, as you say, um, and it, it is an order. And Kuran sort of delivers it in such a way that um, he's um, he's sort of quite pleased to give it to, to Imric. Imric's obviously a high elf of much higher standing than him, but he's sort of he's sort of finding it. He's, he gives a mocking expression. I think is right. what's, what's said there. But there's also. Um, uh, an interesting part in here as well, which we sort of touched on earlier, and is around how the, the Caladorians sort of feel about all what's gone on so far. So I'll just read a little bit from here. Um, and basically what Malekith's asked them to do is that um, the, the Dark Elf army's got to move forward. And what Malekith has wanted to do is basically 
go back and he wants to wipe out Estrana's army because he doesn't like what they're doing to him. Whereas Kuran's sort of telling him, no, look, you need to, you're, that, that other army is less than a fifth the size of yours. You just need to leave it and just m- carry on. That's what you need to do. Carry on to the Blighted Isle. Just forget about it. And Malekith's loathe to do that because he doesn't want to leave any alive. So he basically says to the Caladorians, you've got to go and press the attack against Estrana's forces so they can, they can sort of press on. Um, and as you say, he gives it to him in respectful terms, but commands nonetheless, as you said. Um, so when Imrics delivered this, it, it says here, the prince had thus far been able to avoid wetting his own steel. He had clung to the idea that if he did not spill blood, then some honour yet remained. The prince suspected that no few of his knights had similar, similarly avoided murdering their ancestral allies, leaving the killing to the Nagarofi all too eager to oblige. The dragons uh, have also shown no restraint there. Um, yeah, if the Caladorians fought alone, they would no longer have the luxuries of restraint or mercy or of honour. So again, that's just touching back on, they're not whilst they're allied with, with, with Malekith and that, they haven't, they haven't just suddenly decided they want to kill High Elves. They haven't Not switched sides. So I think, I think that's important because I think, I think it might have been what I was saying to Chris off, off, off air earlier, mm-hmm. that a lot of the criticism um, leveled at this book comes around um, people saying that loyalty switch or characters change persuasion and that without, without it ever developing on it. But I think it's maybe just a, misunderstanding from people or a lack of understanding. Where they're not turning against the high elves. They realize right, there are right. no more high elves and dark elves. There's just exactly. elves. And this, as long as they keep getting attacked by their own people, this is unfortunately necessary. And he yeah. gets it, but most people don't, and he hates himself for it. Yeah. And I think not only people within the boat, but people reading, a few people <laughs> have misconstrued it as well. And there's a, there's a note I made. I'm not sure. I think it's a bit further back. That, but there is a point in this book where decidedly it stops referring to them as high elves and dark elves. Not exclusively. It, the, the terms do slip in now and again. But it starts referring to the dark elves as the Nagarofi. So just as they would say, um, say the guys from Nagari for the Tracian hunters and that right. sort of thing. So they just refer to them as another sort of realm of elf. And like I say, that's not exclusive. They do, they do still use high elves and dark elves, Asur and Drucci at times, but there is a point in the book where I, and I, I think it's an intentional, I think intentionally they stopped doing that because obviously you need to start accepting the elves as elves, not as high elves and dark elves, which is what Imrik's done pretty early doors he's yep. him and him and Teclas are pretty much the first i think to to do that yep uh and now they're up to this uh the cursed shrine mm. and you've got uh before the battle of the blighted isle you've got anaren and anarel the sisters fighting yeah before we get to that obviously um calador uh, sorry imric and the caladorians do take out uh um Yastrana's army kill it and um, Imric himself actually takes her down and after the battle he he builds a funeral pile for her by himself he won't let anyone else help and it um, burns for days burns for days and he stays there for days as well even after after this next battle it still comes back to him and he's he's done that so it's not it's, it, there's no disrespect there's no one he hasn't killed her because he wanted to it's purely out of necessity I think there's a part in here we, we missed it where it does does say yeah the Caladorians fought, fought with the grimness of warrens driven by necessity for Imric had at least spoken the stakes that drove them because they understand if Tyrion basically um, 
as Texas have seen, the curse of an Aaron had at least claimed his brother. The defender of Ulf, of Ulf one was becoming Cain reborn. Tyrion had to be prevented from taking the Widowmaker, and if that meant the godly weapon instead fell to Malakith's hands, and so be it. So I think that's that's all very important in the grand scale of things. People understanding why things have to happen. Right. Exactly. So sorry. Yeah. You, no. You no problem. That. That's that's right. But basically, with this army, you've got Aletha Nar showing up. Mm. Finally, Aletha Nar showing up. Your favorite guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as yeah, you mentioned Anaran and Anarel. More names that sound the same. These mm-hmm. are um, the children of Elfarian's younger brother, and. Um, Obviously, Alfaran's dead now, but he appeared as a ghost to these people and gave them his magic items. I don't know what I think about that. Yeah. No, it moves the plot forward, I suppose, in some yeah. sense. So Anaran's got the, the fang sword, and um, Anarel, who's the wizardy girl, she's got the talisman of her. Mm-hmm. So, there we go. And the only other cool part of the High Elf army here is that they've got um, griffin knights. Still no manacles, though. Pretty much every other thing in the Dark Elf book has been mentioned apart from Manticores. Hmm. But yeah, that's that. Um, so they're all there, and the battle's about to begin. Um, should we break? Yeah, let's take a break, then we'll wrap take up. Take a break, wrap up, battle yeah. Battle the Blighted Isle. Excellent. Brother, don't do this! Tekla shouted through the rain. Tyrion gave no sign of heeding the words. He closed his fingers around the Widowmaker's grips and swept the sword up. At once, the shadows about Tekla seemed to lengthen and the rain grew colder. Thunder cracked against the turbulent sky and dark laughter billowed in its wake. The skulls chattered and gibbered in sudden mirth and then fell eerily silent. The shadow steed vanished, its magic undone by the Widowmaker's presence and Teclas felt the winds of magic grow thin about him. I should be surprised to find you here, the regent said at last, turning to face his brother. But little you do surprises me any longer. His blackened lips cracked into a cruel smile as he prodded Malekith's body with his toe. Yet I find that I am pleased to see you. This thing is not yet slain, and I would like one witness to my triumph even if it is a treacherous one. You cannot kill him, Tekla said urgently. If you do, our people are doomed. Our people will never falter whilst I am alive to lead them. Tyrion laughed. Or at least to lead those who prove worthy. The coming war will winnow out all others. Listen to yourself. These are not your words. This is our curse. This is the madness of Cain. Even as he spoke, Teclis knew his words would find no purchase on his brother's heart, just as Kalidor Dragon Tamer's warning had failed to sway Anirian so long ago. Something older and darker lurked there now, but he only needed a moment or two more. There is no madness. The dark gods are rising. I see that now. Our folk are too soft to fight them as we are, but I will forge them into something better, something stronger. And who has told you that? Marathi? Teclis demanded, his throat raw with emotion. She's using you. Is she now? Tyrion asked amenably, but then his tone grew far darker. Then how very different in your dealings you are. He raised the Widowmaker high. It matters not. Today, our ancient enemy dies and a new sun rises. The Widowmaker swept down. 
And we're back for the final segment of Kane coverage, talking about the Battle of the Bladed Isle. Yeah. So who do we have here? What's the order of battle here? We've got Anoran and Anarel, who we talked about before. Alethanar, David's favorite guy. Yeah. The Revenants <laughs> of Cain. Uh, the Silveran Guard, who look like spearmen. The Skyhawks, which is a pretty cool archer with a huge longbow. And the Knights of Tor Gaval, which is the uh, the Griffin Knights that we had mentioned yeah, as well. Which, that's pretty oh, cool. It would be so awesome if they were an actual unit that you could take. Yeah, that would be amazing. Well, you can now, can't you? <laughs> I suppose you can, yeah. <laughs> And unfortunately, they have to face off against Malekith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Malekith himself, Kurin Darkhand, uh, the Soul Skulls, which are uh, some of the, reg- re- the, the remnants from Nagarond. Um, and then, of course, the Lords of Oblivion, the Dragon Riders, and the Black Guard, because, you know, can never do enough of that. Oh, and they have a Blood Rack Shine, according to the list, so... so let's go let's get to the blighted isle yeah so the blighted isle it should be said is obviously for those that don't know is home to the shrine of cain where the mighty Widowmaker is is set now the as we as uh chris correctly said on on the Widowmaker, that sword um or that weapon can take on different weapon types when you look at it so some people will see the sword some people see bloody bloody blah now also the shrine of cain itself is a a structure that can actually change it's not always looking at the same thing so sometimes it, it could be different sort of things. Sometimes it could just be a standard sort of shrine, or it could be, um, yeah, it could sort of just I change. I think this around. was cool. Yeah, it, depending on what it, who was there, would, yeah, so, would so change that, how that's it looks. Cool. Now you mentioned the the revenants fighting for the high elves. Now they're um, elves, high elves, if you will, that are sort of just uh, situated on the island and just have been defending the island from the dark elves who attacked the blight isle many times over the years. So um, I guess claiming widowmaker has always been sort of on Malekith's radar, I guess. We sort of said earlier that maybe not, but I suppose thinking about it is something he's always wanted to do. But yeah, so um, uh, also in this one, you have, yeah, just um, Eliphanar's just in there pretty much straight away, isn't he, really, I think? Straight into the fight there. Um, So I think you have uh, basically the Everest army on one side and then the Warriors of Nagarif on the other with Eliphanar, and then they're sort of defending the Shrine of Cain behind them. Um, and then the Black Guard are basically just leading the Dark Elf attack in this one. So no chaffing up, just straightforward with the Black Guard, just, just going straight in there. Right. And uh, as they sort of march in, the Shadow Warriors start disrupting them. And there's a really, really cool passage where it's not just Black Guard. Um, a load of assassins basically come out of there and start flying off and um, yep. getting stuck in. And that's, that's a really, really cool bit, I thought. And uh, I enjoyed reading that. And then uh, basically the assassins are met by Eliphanar, who may not be as fast or as sort of alive as them, but he just couldn't just take them all down anyway because, well, he's Batman. <laughs> and, and, and that's what he does. Um, you got bits with um, the Black Guard striving on, Kuran knocking some heads together. Um, and that, that goes on for a bit there. Um, Anoran, uh, obviously he's, what would you be, Alfaran's niece? Is that right? Yeah, nephew? Yeah, I think that's right. Nephew? Nephew, um, no. Yeah, he's, um, he's basically doing pretty good. He's fight, fighting away. They say that the young prince made a name for himself this day and proved himself uh, a worthy inheritor of the Fang Sword. Even people have been fought in alongside him for a decade, have sort of been 
almost stopping dumbstruck looking and going what is this the same guy so, you've been uh, practicing yeah yeah <laughs> so it's all going on there's, there's 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 loads of units fighting each other you don't need to know all the ins and outs of what the swordsmen are doing against the blackguard etc etc um techless is not fighting at the moment he's still he's just there he's sort of just yeah just sort of checking it out he knew his magics could sort of tip the balance here but he now's not off. His, yeah, yeah now now's not his time he could feel Tyrion's presence and he knows he's coming closer again like the Nurgle thing we've got you you've got your chess clock on there the time is counting down um did Malakif, did Malakif know how short time was growing Teclis could not say um and so whilst uh Anoran is there fighting better than he's ever done with his new weapon Anorel his sister um she's wielding the magics of the Blight Isle with uh, a skill that bellied her inexperience she's she's pulling up all these spells taking down all these dark elves um and again the people watching would be like what is this the same girl sort of thing so she she's doing really well um a load of dark elves come up to attack her and she just sort of smashes them into the ground uh, and second wave of dark elves come up and they bring on hundreds of dark shards so that's the crossbowmen um the griffin knights decide that they suddenly want to swoop and attack the dark shards so all those all those repeater crossbows firing into that soft toughness five no armor saves so um, <laughs> that's that's not going to end too well it's, it's quite a cool there's a cool little passage here in regards to the griffins I, I like the big flying monster so i want to read this one out um a dozen griffins uh, plunged to the battle wrapped ground one skidded to a blood slicked halt a few paces before kuran but the beast had sorely had been sorely wounded by crossbow fire and its reactions were dulled the captain severed the creature's head with a single mighty blow then heaved its <laughs> battered rider for its warriors to display Batch. so apparently Curran's just developed a, a li- little bit of heroic killing blow there, there yeah. you go. <laughs> even if you're a big monster you can still lose your head in the end times that's it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hold, hold on to your heads um so that's that's pretty good so it's it's not good for these poor griffin riders really is it we're getting shot to pieces by these crossbowmen and then um then a dozen black dragons sweep sweep skyward uh led by seraphon who's obviously malekith's black dragon so this isn't looking too good really for um for them even though apparently there's two or three griffins to every dragon so you know see how it goes there um but malekith sorceresses step up and start casting these these spells that basically almost it sounds like they sort of um web around the griffin's wings so it sort of stops them flying as well as such um anario though uh anarel god he's elf names <laughs> <laughs> Anorel, um, she basically manages to m- draw some extra power from the uh, Talisman of Hoeth and um, makes a counter spell, so strips it away. And then, um, yeah, I don't really think it's going to help the, the Griffins too much against all the dragons. Um, and it, the Witch King normally, you know, we haven't really had too much of him fighting, really, have we? He tends to, he goes into a battle now and again when he really needs to, but in this one, he's he knows. He does know. Teclis wasn't sure if he knew how short time was growing, but he, I think he I think he does because he's saying he, he fought with a recklessness that he had not displayed in centuries, not not years, centuries. Um, right. Gave no thought for his own defence, relying on his enchantment um, to keep him alive. So he was just going around, just smashing up, um, smashing up griffins. None could stand before the Witch King that day, and Malekith re- re- reveled in his dominance. So yeah, yeah, bad at all. And um, they're not sisters. I just realized it's Anarel and Anoran, and Anoran yeah. is a boy. But whatever, who yeah. cares? They're yeah, all so, elves. They all have long hair. <laughs> 
Yeah, Annarelle starts casting some spells around. She's trying to she's trying to counteract the Witch King, so um, it's not going to go too well. He basically notes her magical power, notes he's trying to stop her, and yeah, he's going to go, well, I've done them with the Griffins. Let's go off and see what she's about. Take her off. Um, then, uh, back on the ground, back to Kuran and his Blackguard. Uh, he meets face-to-face with Anaram, who's... Uh, still swinging this uh, fang sword around he meets Kuron in battle um, he's not got his helmet on so Anoran doesn't even know who he is um, but he still wouldn't have flinched so a little bit <laughs> yeah, pointless um, uh, so they say Kuron for generations had taken pride in the fact he had retreated before no foe living or dead but apparently this Anoran his onset so so powerful that he actually forces Kuron to take a step back which really annoys him. And he actually does it again. He makes him take a second step back. So he's really, really annoyed, but he still um, just cuts uh, Anoran down. Yeah. Don't forget no he cut, doesn't actually cut his head off. No. Hey, so not everyone can die that way. Just split his skull just split instead. his skull in half, yeah. yeah. That'd yeah. work. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Any kind of cranial damage. Uh... Yeah, that's the way forward. Yep. So current victory... That, that rattles his sister. She feels his death. She can't yeah. handle it, and all the magic she's doing just falters. At boom, she's gone too. And yeah, well, I think I think actually the dragon comes over and just tears her to pieces before right. anything else can happen. Um, just before this, Kuran had his victory, taking down Anoran, but um, that's sort of a bit short-lived for this uh, long-standing character. Um, he's he's down fighting away again, and then um, they're fighting the Shadow Warriors, and then suddenly at the forefront, you know who's there. It's a Lifanar. He's coming forward. Um, he sort of gives him some trash talk. He says, oh, are you truly the Shadow King or are you just another As- Asanar? Is that what he's saying? Asanar? Yeah, Asanar, yeah. As- Asanar pretender. Because that's the thing. And no one knows if, it's, if the Shadow King's really alive or not. Obviously he is, but a lot of people just think it's like it's sort of a legend more than anything. But yeah, um, yeah Kuran's pretty hardcore, but um, he's no match for the Shadow King. And uh, yeah, he kills him. He's dead. It's another one down. Another one down. Yeah, but at the end, uh, he just sort of, uh, uh, sort of, uh, he sort of gets pulled in by Alifanar, and he says, "The pit awaits you." Said Alifanar, "I'll send your master there soon enough." Because obviously, Alifanar hates Malakir. That's oh, all. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the dude he wants. He wants to take down more than anyone. So that's why he's there. As you said, uh, Anarel, she went down as well. Teclis saw her die. Didn't really care. He sort of, he sort of overdubbed. <laughs> he was dying a bit now. He's not going to mourn individuals. Um, at this point, the the fight's well and truly in the Dark Elves' favour now, um, as Teclis knew it would be, really. Um, it's basically the Revenants, so the ones who are stationed on the island, who are still who are still protecting it. Um, but Teclis sort of thinks now, oh, it's time. Start, got to start getting there. It's sort of getting near the end game now here, really. Um, and it's one of these moments again where you hear the horns um, and let's see who's coming in as well. It's now time for Teclis to, to enter the fray with he's got his the forces of Loven and a Trace as well coming in. So, yeah. Yeah, so Tyrion and Marathi are coming. Yeah. Well, I don't think Malekith knows, does he, at this point that that um, Marathi's with him. So I think I think, I think think that's something to, to come in in a bit. But, um, yeah, so... Malekith now, when he sort of sees that, he's sort of done with the battle, really, and he knows, right, come on, we've got to get to the, the 
Shriner Kane really now and claim the prize there. Um, and just a bit of a random bit here where Alifanar sees Seraphon, that's a Malekith's dragon flying overhead, just sort of strings a bow, uh, strings an arrow on the moon bow, shoots it and just shoots a dragon out of the sky. So, yeah. That's pretty good. Dude, he's <laughs> that ass. Yeah, yeah, boom. Um, so, yeah, that, that's pretty good, really. Well, um, the dragon's down to its final wound, really, right? Yeah, it's not, the dragon's, yeah, spoiler, the dragon's not dead. Um, and then you've sort of got uh, this little sidebar here where you've got um, Caradrian and Corhill sort of, at, they're sort of obviously with um, with Tyrion's army, but they're sort of saying, oh, we're too late, really. And then sort of um, Tyrion's like, well, he's on Mahan there, he can sort of charge down there. Um and uh, Karadrin sort of says, look, go on, guys, on you go. So Karadrin flies off on Ashtari, his, his frost art, and Tyrion rides down on Malhandir. And then uh, Corhill Cor- sort of leads the army, the rest of the army down. And he says, go, we will follow. So he, he carry, um, he, Corhill takes the army on. Obviously, um, Rizel, inverted commas, is there. That's uh, Marathi. Yep. And uh, they, they join it as well. So, yeah, really sort of, uh, nearing an end game here. Um, do you want to take an expert for a bit so I could just pop speaking? Sure. Where 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 are you in the book though? So I know exactly. Top six. Where... Top page sixty eight. Okay. Marathi's in the back. She's doing all her stuff. The only person who doesn't have her, you know, the the spell on him from her is Tyrion. Uh, and she's she realizes she has no control over him anymore. He's too much like his dad. So um she utters this this you know spell and uh or utters those words. She she knew he wasn't gonna trust anyone she sent, but she had people all over the place and she's been planting people apparently in his army for a lot longer than he realized. So as they're coming up, she calls us out and a third of his army turns on him. Yeah, what I liked. Yeah, I liked. What I liked about this is it wasn't when you first read it, you think, "Oh, it's just going to be the one she sent from Grond with uh, Drew." Well, when she was Drusala, but it's not. It's just like you say, it's other ones that she sort of enchanted or sort of swayed over. At, like long ago, she's been planting these seeds for God knows how long. Exactly. Yeah, Elise Alethanar brings down uh, Seraphon. Uh, mm. Doesn't kill her, but runs through the membranes in her waist. She crashes. This is going down. Um, all this fighting is going on, and uh, Malekith stretched out his hand, and all the archers on the top of the shrine fell dead. Their bodies shredded to wet rags. So he's he's out there wielding magic like crazy. Um, he's got to get to this thing. As So as he's fighting with the revenants of Cain, um, Teclas is 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 riding up at this point. Yeah, you got five five people are sort of encroaching onto the shrine now. This is where it's sort of it's really sort of getting to that epic finale with everyone with, with the objective, everyone trying to get to the shrine first. And I, I I really loved reading sort of this these next passages where they're talking of everyone sort of get fighting to get there and who they all are. So you could sort of go through the people that were there. So obviously you mentioned Teclis and who we got next. Well, and with, with Malekith's dragon out of the picture, um, you've got Tyrion. And Tyrion is moving quicker than anybody at that point. Uh, everyone's getting out of his way. Nobody is trying to get in his way. Um, 
And Karadrian's following him on a shardy. He's flying over. Alifanar's making his way up there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's there's one person who manages to get there before everyone else, and it seems like it seems, seems like we've mentioned everyone. Yeah, Shadowblade. Yeah, Shadowblade. He pops up. Yeah. I love this. Marathi. He did not know why he was at the Shrine of Cain, or how he had spent <laughs> the past two weeks. Not until he felt a voice whisper in his mind moments before. He shucked off the heavy guard, and so yeah, Marathi took him over. Yeah, and just basically, you know, locked Brain down his mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Poor Shadowblade. Yeah. And so that's going on. Malekith's still fighting. Everyone's moving along. Shadowplay's jumping all over the place. He's got... Uh, he has one chance, and he's going after Malekith. And every time he's ever seen Malekith, he's been studying him for a weak point, because that's Shadowblade. So, of course, he knows of a weak spot, because you got to have a weak spot. Um, but he hears... Uh, even in the rain and all this other stuff, he catches a, 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 a little bit of hearing of uh, Shadowblade coming down, you know, diving down towards him. And uh, he gets through there, but uh, Shadowblade could have adjusted, but he's not at his peak because he's been all brainwashed and stuff. Yeah. Um, but he does shatter the bones of his left shoulder. Yeah, he, me- he still messes Malekith up, even with even though he's not a full form. It's mm-hmm. something that probably no one else could do, but he's still, even at half str- like power, he's still managing to, to land a pretty good blow on Malekith. And Malekith throws him back with such force that he cracks his head against the rock and gives himself a concussion, basically. Um, but that actually snaps him out of Morathi's <laughs> yeah. control. Giving yourself a concussion, rattling your brain enough. It's quite cartoon-esque, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, drop a bowling ball on his head, and <laughs> it'll open. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he and basically the witch king's pissed, and he can't be like, "Listen, I didn't do it on purpose." Your mother sorry, was brainwashing Sorry, bro. Me. <laughs> yeah, there's no apologizing and explaining. Hey, look, dude, it was your ma. You know what she's <laughs> yeah. like. So yeah. he's just like, "Oh crap, I'm out." And he leaves. He ditches. Well, he's about to get killed, but yeah. then Tyrion suddenly arrives, and that. It gives like uh, Shadowblade just a second where he could just dart out of the way and go, Whoo, get right. out of there. So Shadowblade's still in the game. And he's leaving because he's got to talk to Hellebron. That's, yeah, his, that's he, his thought. Yeah. I got to go tell her. Yeah. So they start fighting. Tyrion is striking first. Um, you know, the dragon's rearing up. The horse is fighting. Mohander skittered to regain his footing. All this is going back and forth. Um, Sunfang stops. Malekith's attack and then flickers out and tears through Malekith's breastplate. Mm-hmm. So blood starts pouring out uh, among, free from amongst the shattered ribs as Seraphon bore her master away from the danger. Malekith knew he couldn't match the dragon to Kathik blade for blade. The regent was somehow faster than when they had last met. Worse, the witch king could feel the poisonous shadow blade's dagger burning in his blood. So he's been poisoned, had his shoulder broken, and is still going toe to toe. Yeah, he's yeah, got broken her. ribs, bleeding stomach. He's he is not in a good way at all now, Malekith. Yeah, he's he's been messed up. <laughs> and so this, and there you go. He was, I don't know how Tyrion got so fast. Maybe you're a little slow. Yeah, you've been poisoned. You've had uh, you've got a bunch of broken bones. Wow, he's really moving quick, not nah, dude. You're over five thousand years old. <laughs> exactly. You might not be as quick as you used to be. <laughs> so. um he switches it up now, doesn't he? He thinks, right, I'm not going to be able to beat this guy in a sword fight. I'm pretty wounded already, but 
I'm like, uh, uh, I'm just going to cast some spells at him instead. Yeah, he starts so, tossing magic at he him. Does, yeah, and uh, this is one thing as well. You talk about brilliant flame cast with inky darkness. I, I reckon you could play a drinking game reading this book, and every time they say brilliant flame drink, and you'd end the book, and you'd end the book pretty drunk. I don't think they say the word flame without brilliant before it in here. Um, <laughs> as an aside, um, but yeah, this bit's quite cool because he's basically got dragon armor, so the flame doesn't do anything to him. But earlier in yep. the fight, his helmet got knocked off, so his head, his face just gets burnt. And this is almost like you, the behaviors almost start switching. You could say like he starts be- behaving like Malakith at points, but he's got a blackened face and his flesh is cracking. So he's probably almost starting to resemble what Malekith was like when he went through the flames. And I don't know if that's going to be symbolic at all, but it just, I don't know, it starts to remind me of like Anakin at the end of Star Wars episode 3 as well. That's a good parallel. It's sort of got that thing there. um, But meanwhile, he just goes after him anyway. Melhander jumps up and Sunfang Sunfang knocks Malekith out of his saddle. Yeah, and, and and Seraphon's pretty much all but dead there. And crumples into an unmoving heap. Yeah, Milhander's collapsed too. His high yeah. is all steaming. But Tyrion's just like, that's it. And he goes, walk. His back, the blackened flesh of his face crackling as he did so. Mm. Yeah, so. Uh, oh, this he just basically. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is bad now. He just basically. It's, it's that part in a film where the guy's just losing and they've sort of got one arm dangling down and they're just slowly trying to bat aside the, the superior swordsman and Tyrion just shows him no mercy and just basically just smashes him up against the um, up against the altar itself. I think he actually, it says he's slammed back against the altar as Tyrion's foot struck his jaw. So not only is he swinging his sword at him, he's kicking him in the face as well. So he's, yeah. getting, he's getting a bit of a battering here, really. And remember also, as they said that charred flesh that had not seen sunlight in millennia. Yeah. So, I mean, his his armor's opened up. You know, um, yeah, he's he, he's, he's good to nothing. go now. His his yeah. tank is totally on empty. Yep. And Tyrion is just trying to kill him left and right. Um, and then how does he get saved? Well, they're at they're actually at the altar, as I say. He slumped against it, right. and Tyrion looks there, and you've got. There he is. There's the Widowmaker. And Tyrion, it appears to him, as Sunfang's twin. So he puts down, he puts his grasp on it, and it fits perfectly in his hands. And he's just about ready to withdraw the Sword of Cain. And there you go. Teclis runs in. Brother, don't do this. Teclis shout through the the radio. It's raining as well. Oh, this is so... Could yeah, just he's imagine just this kind of screaming yeah. at him, you know. Yeah, and I love how yeah. the other thing is when Malekith saw it the first time, or back when he went, it was it looked like a scepter of command. Yeah, so it's like, it looks like whatever it needs to look like. But um, Tyrion draws it. Yeah. Gave no sign of heeding the words. He closed his fingers around the Widowmaker's grip and swept the sword up. So that that's it. That's that's it. That's yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be good from there. Yeah, and it does. I mean, you know, Teclis is trying to tell him, "Listen, it's the madness of Cain taking you over. You know, it's it's our curse. Don't take the sword." He's like, "Whatever." He's like, "You betrayed me. I'm not listening to you anymore." You know, if if anyone has a chance to stop him from taking this sword, it is not Teclis anymore. No, no, and he knows it. he's he's got it. And there's, I mean, we, we could probably read this whole passage here because it's it's pretty much all 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 quote worthy. I mean. Uh, 
Tyrion says he's he's not he's he's no longer surprised by anything Teclis does now. He's sort of he's lost all faith in him. You could just imagine him just sort of screaming these words at, at each other through as the rain batters down. It's um Teclis says you cannot kill him, referring to Malekith. If you do, our people are doomed. Uh, Tyrion replies, our people will never falter whilst I am alive to lead them. He starts laughing, so he's just completely out of character now. He's just gone. He's completely gone. Or at least to lead those who prove worthy, the coming war will winnow out all others. Listen yep. to yourself. These are not your words. This is our curse. This is the madness of Cain. Even as he spoke, Teclis knew his words would find no purchase on his brother's heart. Um, yes. So basically, there's all this going on. They, everybody wants to kill everybody. I mean, literally, everybody wants to kill everybody. Caradrian is standing between Tyrion and Malekith. Yeah, there's like a, there's a big set piece here where, where um, basically Tyrion goes to swing Widowmaker down to kill um, Matt to kill Malekith. But at that point, Caradrian jumps off Ashtari, lands like a cat, like in between them. And just sort of stands in between them. Um, Alif and I is just sort of watching at this point. Um, Tyrion tells him to get out of the way, and Caradrian yeah, speaks. Yeah, he says to him, "No, no." I love that. I don't. I know it's really simple, but I really like that bit. I thought it's, it might people might go, "Oh no, it goes against the fluff. He shouldn't speak." But I think that's a, a worthy time for it because Caradrian. Obviously, they, they, the, the point of uh, the Phoenix God is they know how they're going to die. They know their destiny. And Karadrin has seen this, and he knows he, he, this is how he dies. So Tyrion goes to swing. Um, he's, uh, obviously, Karadrin's in front of Malekith, so Tyrion goes to kill Karadrin with the Widowmaker. He actually swings it at him. And at that point, Alifanar shoots Malekith. Um but well, he shoots this is, at Malekith, and this is when yeah. Teclis steps in and moves the arrow because like, the, in flight. Because yeah. the yeah, because the bow was created, but the moon bow of which is from that terrible section in Shadow King where he runs with the wolves and finds a moon bow. <laughs> awful, awful section. I'll agree with Chris on that. That was terrible. Mm. But that's created by Lilith, and Lilith's empowering Teclis. So Teclis is able to shift the arrow mid-flight. So rather than basically. Alifanar's arrow is going to kill Malekith. Te- Tyrion is going to kill Caradrian, but he shifts the arrow. So the arrow hits Tyrion, knocks him off kilter. So it means that um, Car- neither Caradrian nor Malekith die. God, I'm making that sound more confusing than it is, but it's, it's a whole no. weird set piece thing. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So n- none of them die. And um, yeah, then what happens there? They uh, basically, Teclis calls on... Um, Lilith to help again and cast this spell and teleports them all away. So Caradrian, uh, Teclis, Malekith, Ashtari, and Seraphon all get teleported off the island. Yeah, and I love this. When that's done, Melhandir and Alethanar are the only living things on the hilltop. Yeah, because obviously Tyrion's fallen off it but with the arrow. The arrow hasn't really hurt him. It's just sort of knocked him off the hill. Right. So I think... We've explained that. I don't know. Did I get that all, do you think? Is that- yeah, yeah, I yeah, think I that's think quite covered. Yeah. L- Lilith, uh, again, uh, inserting influence here. Yeah. Main player, yeah, that's it. So do we need one last little break before we cover these last four pages? Because it's been a bit of a time. I'm just yeah, asking you guys. We'll just do one last break. We'll come back, and then we literally, yeah. literally will finish. Literally. This <laughs> finish this bit. 
The regent laughed without mirth. I am in no need of your aid, Captain, though you might restrain my errant brother for me if you wish to serve. Karadrian held his position, and he saw Tyrion's eyes shift in sudden realization. Are all about me traitors now? The regent demanded. Stand aside. Karadrian shook his head slowly. Then, with an effort, he uttered the first words to pass his lips in decades. No. Tyrion laughed bitterly at Karadrian's refusal. He half turned away, then span back the Widowmaker hissing out to take the captain's head. At that same moment, Aleth Anar loosed his arrow, the shaft speeding true from Malekith's heart. Okie dokie, we are back for one last time. The final four pages of chapter one, just chapter one. Can you believe it? We've still got to go with chapter two again, boys. <laughs> Ow. It's been emotional, but it yeah, we been. hope you yeah. settled for uh, for one one final time. So we're nearing the end game of the first chapter here. So, well, it's pretty much plain sailing from here, really. Um, obviously now... They've teleported them all away, and but that doesn't end the battle because obviously it just takes some of the main players out of it, and all the, the dark elves carry on fighting there. The black guard aren't going to stop, um, yeah, and they basically the dark elves just get washed washed up really and all, all taken down. Yeah, Marafi at this point she's she's nowhere near any of this. She does she doesn't know what's going on. She's felt Teclis's magics from where she is, but she doesn't really know what's going on. She's a bit worried that she hasn't seen Tyrion. She doesn't know where he's been, so she thinks. Right, okay, I need to check this out. So, for the first time in the book, she doesn't hide herself, no no guises or anything. She just walks down through the battlefield as Marathi. She's sort of casting these um, almost um, enchantments around on, on people's, on the forces. So, all the elves just sort of shrink away from her. No one's really wanting to attack her or anything. Everyone just looks at her. Corhill is the only one who's sort of, he sees her and he, he knows that he wants to kill her. He knows that he does. But then she points a finger at him and he just tucks inside and follows her. So <laughs> you wow. can't have any. Yeah, she she's the boss. <laughs> um, so they go looking for Tyrion. They find him on the hillside down from the altar. Um, he's unconscious at this point, uh, just driven into darkness by his wounds. Um, but he's still gripping the Widowmaker tight in his hand and he won't be separated from it, even unconscious. So it's pretty powerful. They just take him off the field and he goes back to the encampment there. Uh, and he's pretty messed up. Marafi's trying to, trying to sort of fix him and it's not really working. Uh, so she has to, um, just to draw on some pretty dark sorceries to entwine her life force with Tyrion's. Yeah. She basically so, takes taking some of his wounds from him so that he yeah, can make it. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's pretty, well, it's, it's pretty horrible when it says, like, uh, her, she was shrieking as her skin blistered and charred in sympathy. Um, yet no one dared intrude, so no one witnessed the regent's ravaged form softening and healing, nor Marafi sloughing off her own calloused flesh like a snake shedding its scales. That's so awesome. Yeah, that's, that's some pretty, really? pretty powerful stuff. So she, she, wake, she wakes up in the morning. Tyrion's not about, so she's not really sure what's going on there. Um, we, we sort of pan back to Eliphanar, who's once more stood up, sort of looking down on the shrine, as he's wont to do, sort of standing in the shadows, just being a bit too cool for school. And he, he's checking down, and there's basically 
this golden armored figure, obviously Tyrion, just stood before absolutely loads of elves. Uh, and you've got Asur and Drucci all just mixed there, no, not fighting, just stood there in front, just listening and watching Tyrion. Um, basically, Elif and I can't really hear what he's saying because there's all wind going on, he can't really hear it. Um, previously, he sort of thought Tyrion was all right, but um, he wasn't really keen on what he's hearing from Tyrion at this point, even though he's only getting parts. No, because um, he sounds like Malekith. Sounds like Malekith, yeah. And so, then Marath, he walks out and he's like, oh, crap. Oh, no, what's going on here? And he's wondering if he should, maybe should have just killed Tyrion on the battlefield, really, at this point, once once uh, Marathi walks out there as well. Um, so they go up there, and um, the wind drops, and, and Lifanar can hear what Tyrion says. I bear Anarian's armour. I carry his sword. His blood runs through my veins. You owe me your allegiance. And there's an immediate response from all the elves, just a, this deafening response of everyone. You can imagine all of them raising their weapons, all the sounds just cheering cheering for him and so and that battle madness starts to take them over yeah so the now recognizes it and says screw this i'm out i'm not getting caught up in this yeah yeah and then you've got shadow blade obviously going going back as well he's trying to get back to hagen after to, to speak to hellebron as well so that's that's something that's going to come into play um and then we're far far away back in Athelorim, where elariel remember newly blessed with the spirit of ariel segment where i made complete sense larry ariel got you larry larry yeah um so she's grieving obviously her daughter's dead aliafra but also she's grieving for Tyrion because she knows something's not good here um initially um the lords and ladies of Athelorn weren't they're not really sure whether to trust her because obviously they know it's the ever queen but they're not really sure what to make of her being Ariel as well. Um, Nestra and Arahan, the sister of Twilight, they've gone, yeah, we can vouch for this girl. Yeah, she's legit. Um, and then Orion's also embraced her as his, as his queen. So that's sort of, uh, people have sort of gone, yeah, all right, maybe we'll go with her. Um, so yeah, she shared with them the same vision of the future that Lilith granted to her beneath the Oak of Ages. And everyone's sort of agreeing with it. They know that the elves have got to unite just to sort of save this here. And then we jump back again. So this is sort of like, sort of getting to the end scene of the film, isn't it? Where you're sort of wrapping up what's going on with all the characters. So we go back exactly. to Tra- go back to Trace on Elf One, uh, and Imric's vigil was ending at uh, Istrana's pyre. Um, then all the Wood Elves come out, led by Araloth. Um, sort of Imric, I think, is a bit a, a bit wary at first. Doesn't really know what's going on here, but they said they want to sort of uh, bear witness to her pyre as well because she'd fought in Athel Lawrence defense long ago um i don't know if, it, if i don't know if that's just an excuse to get him talking to imrick as well because imrick and um Araloff get talking and then he sort of agrees that he'll come as well he, he knows that he needs to come and um they get firing up those uh world roots because yeah. uh, they can't can't even get there on the dragons on time and i spare i know that's a bit of a, a super scan over that but i think that well cause, we've got, yeah we've got anything else you, you we need to talk there do you think no it's pretty much hit it all i mean this is this is sort of the little wrap up who's where and what's going on who's prepping yeah. for the next half this that's next it. two pages too i mean there's a lot of good conversation on it and there's a lot of great that stuff's going on but basically Tyrion brings malekith back to the shrine of assyrian to go through the fire yeah there's a, there's, a, there's a little bit of a battle going up to it it's, it's not set but he's basically malekith is battered and bruised he's he still hasn't healed properly he's got Caradrian 
sort of walking behind him sort of at times he's sort of stumbling and Karadrin sort of holding him back up again Teclis is alongside him they they fully reveal that the great lie here they talk about it uh, Malikov says the flame rejected us once once again in referring to himself as us don't know why he does that um why should it not do it again because obviously they're talking about him going through the flames again isn't and that then, us stuff have to do with the circlet he wears the the thing that he found that makes him able to do magic could it could be did that uh did it possess him or it just augment his i don't know there's something in it because he started talking in the us is in the sundering series after he found that circlet so i always Maybe. thought that was you know i don't know i never i never well, i don't know i don't really like that as an idea but that's that's, that's yeah it makes sense if it is something like that hmm. but Technic says there was no rejection. You simply weren't strong enough. Assyrian always intended for you to succeed your father. Think on it. Why do you suppose every Phoenix King was shielded by mages in their passage through the fire? Even then, they all passed into madness of one kind or another. It wasn't just Aphis and Morviel. Even those my people revere were consumed by the power or the guilt of a stolen throne. So that's, that's the big lie. Basically, every other Phoenix King, mages have cast spells around them. So when they walk through the fire, they don't get burnt. And then they can come out as the Phoenix King. So they haven't endured the flames as they're meant to have. And then that's why they all eventually go mad and end up dying somewhere or another. So that's, that's the big lie. And the whole crux of, of everything with the elves is that Malekith should have endured the flames and become the rightful king. And yep. that's... That's that's the big big part of it all, and they go on talking for a bit. I think you said you're going to do some readings around some of it because there's quite there's quite a lot of good um, good talk here, really, isn't yeah, it? There is some good. So, and basically, it's you know, why do you think that, you know they made it through the flames? Why do you think Imric fights for you? Yeah, this is you know I don't you know, and Malekith is being very contrary because it's his nature to be. Yeah. Um it's asking like, like yeah, yeah. Let's say, why does Imric fight for you? Why does the Phoenix Guard have you allowed you within these walls? Why was Karadrim ready to die for you? Imric has learned the truth of all things, and the Phoenix Guard have always known it. Um, and yeah, and then so Malekith is just like, if I go through this, then everything we've done for the last six thousand years has pretty much been a lie. Yeah, and Teclis is like, yeah. well, so would you change? Would you change it? And he's like, nope. <laughs> I do it all yeah. over again. <laughs> yeah. Then nothing about you is ever a lie, and by your words you prove yourself no better than those who stole the throne. But you are his choice nonetheless. I love this. Tyrion so doesn't want to give him the job. He's like, he's just like, dude, you're a d-. And, he's like, and, it, and it doesn't change. He's constantly like, and this even comes up in the second half when he's really leading them. It's like nobody trusts him. Nobody yeah. wants him. They realize he is the rightful king. They recognize him, but nobody's happy because he's just amazingly unlikable. But it's just, I mean, we, it's sort of something we just come to accept through the book now. But the fact that you've got to think all these years, whether he's, he's been trying to get it back and the Dark Elves have been the bad guys. And obviously it all went wrong, but he's not, he shouldn't, he shouldn't have been the bad guy. No, he shouldn't he, have he, been. He got screwed. So it's, so it's very interesting. Basically, he says, what if I don't do this? And then he goes, the last spark of a Syrian will die and we're all doomed. So Malekith just steps into the flame. Then the screaming began. And the screaming began. Oh, and that's it. That's that's wow. the first half. He it goes really through the flames it, again. Yeah, it really does feel like... I mean, the other ones are separated into more succinct chapters, whereas that doesn't feel like one chapter. That feels like a first book or a first film, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. So. It's got, it's got, it doesn't feel like a single chapter. It's, it's a lot more complete in, 
in of what it goes through, it's so it's yeah. so much more epic in scale. So much it really is. is. So yeah, many it really is. It's, there's there's so many parts in there that I just I don't know where I re- where I really like the characters involved and all the history. I could just really visualize these epic cinematic scenes in my head of how it all plays out, and it's, I find it really yeah. It's, I, I think it's brilliant and. I, I don't know. I, I was disappointed that so many people didn't like it, and I think I think the way the characters are portrayed and the way it plays out, I find it completely believable that the characters would interact and behave in these ways. I really do. Oh yeah, no, it's completely compelling. That's why I don't. I just don't mm. get people like, oh, this is the worst book of them all. I'm like, really? It's really not. It's really not. Even oh, the wow. battles. So even the battles. Yeah, the the battles are more, the battles are the most interesting because it's. I don't know. It's, it's all flesh and blood. There's no. It's not just chaos winning or undead fighting. I find the battles more interesting, even though they maybe do go on a bit. But all the the intrigue and uh, yeah, the broken just, alliances and the yes. new alliances. Well, and this is the first time you're surprises. getting elves. You're getting elves against elves. Which, granted, it's you know, it's you can say, well, that's no different than undead against undead. The it really hell is. It, the hell it yeah. isn't. Yeah. Because. First of all, undead against undead, you can always grow more. Chaos against anybody, you can always make more. There's These always are chaos, elves yeah. and elves. They, as they kill each other off, that's it. Yeah, you and know. the way, yeah, the way, and even though the way Malakith changes to become the Phoenix King, he's as you say, he he he's he's still a he's still got he's still got all his same character flaws and his traits. He's still the same person, but he just realizes that. Some 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 of his outlook has to change somewhat. He's, he he can't. It's not gonna, easy for him though, and it's not, way. and it doesn't change all that much. And we'll see that in the in the next part. Yeah, and that's really interesting. Even even as he goes through the flames and, and comes to lead the elves, which isn't really a spoiler. I mean, it's obvious at this point, but he's still he's still Malekith, and people still don't like him. But as you say, they 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 realize it's a necessity, and I think I think. Imric's well, such they, an important they try character. To assassinate him at some point too. I mean, yeah. there's like, there's, it's it's funny how it goes on because it's like those parts where he's like, you know, he's not used to people. I mean, seriously, thousands of years, he's not used to people questioning him. No, normally he can give That's you a dirty look and you stop. And these and these fools won't leave him alone. Mm. <laughs> it's just like he doesn't take it very well. But yeah. this is just, I mean, this is really. This is top notch. This really, it really is, yeah. And I like, 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 like I said, I think Imric's character is hugely important. I think, I think what he, what he does and the way he's explained is just really good to. I, I think it just really puts across well his character more than anything. Just shows the plight of how the elves are and the tragedy of how what they have to do in order to to, to put, push forward and to, to survive all this. And not not just him, but just the lesser characters of. Kuran for the Dark Elves is obviously dead now, and then Corhill and Caradrian. The second chapter, um, Cor- Corhill in particular, there's some fantastic mm-hmm. bits of him in there, yep. and I really, really, I think it's really clever writing the way they use those lesser inverted commas characters to. Like, I, I think it's really important what you said, Dave, about the non-bias. I didn't really think of it from that point of view, but it, they they do do that because they're not as their opinions aren't necessarily as strong or single-minded as some of these lead characters in in, Tecla, uh, in Tyrion and Malekith. They're faithful guys who follow their leaders, but they can actually see what's going on, and they're not yeah. blinded by the ideologies uh, that no. these guys are as much. And the fact that their leaders respect them and listen to their opinion allows them to instigate change, even on a small level, that can play a bigger part in the overall picture, I guess. But. Exactly. Yeah, super exciting stuff, I think. Really good. 
Well, I well, think that's it. Oh, I'm five, yeah, <laughs> We're all exhausted. exhausted coverage there. <laughs> gone 5 a.m. in the morning and I before we started this I spent six hours finishing off my notes so I've got oh I got gosh. I gotta give what you what you guys this is the first time I've done um sort of full full style yeah. notes to attempt to to lead it some way more um and yeah the stuff if you do that every time guys that's that's a lot of work I, I, I would just time. Yeah, I would just like people who listen to what you do week in, week out to just appreciate the sheer amount of effort that, that you, you put into that. So, yeah, it's, it's well, nice to you. have a go at it. But, yeah, brilliant. I hope people well, enjoy you, it. Yeah, you, well, you did a great job. Very thorough. Cheers. And, uh, yeah, the charge. Fantastic. Well, I think, I think, we, uh, think we knew from the, even from uh, Nagash that this was the one that I wanted, that I was excited about straight away. So, <laughs> ho- hopefully, I, hopefully I did it, did it justice. And, uh, you know the worst part about this? Is this is about four hours just for the first eighty pages <laughs> of this one. book, and it's eighty pages, four hours. And uh, the fact is, we rushed through big sections uh, of this. To, that's well, I, I don't, I don't think that I, you know. Well, what? I mean, I, I rushed, rushed, but there were parts where it was like, okay, yeah, let's get through let's get this it part. I don't, I don't think that's the worst part. I think for the fans of the show, like as for myself as a fan, the longer fluff shows, that's what people subscribe for. That's what people download for. So I think the true fans will hopefully get a kick out of it. Hopefully um, there's not too much me and not enough for you guys, for, for the people out there, but oh, dude, I, this was uh, great. I, I had I a great really time. really enjoyed myself. Yeah. It's five o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm perky as anything that might yeah. be down to the, the monster energy drinks. You're that perky I've, uh, until about seven minutes after we hang up this call. <laughs> no, I'm crack. I'm cracking a beer and running a bath as soon as I get off. the call. There <laughs> Drinking a I've beer got, in the shower, great. Yeah, uh, I've got to go to a forty k campaign day in three hours. So, yeah, no sleep for me tonight. But yeah. hey ho, <laughs> no sleep well, till Brooklyn. I got you. Right, well worth it. But yeah, thanks again, guys. Been all right, folks. Absolutely. <sighs> we will be back on August tenth with the con- August April <laughs> April tenth. What the hell? We'll be back on April tenth with the conclusion of Kane. Yeah, Chris, you can take the lead on part two, yeah? I will uh, do what I can. We'll, <laughs> we'll work that out. There's a lot of work like this. I'm say, already so. working the notes for us, so we'll ha- we'll be ready. Brilliant. All right, folks. All right. Catch you later. Cheers, guys. Bye. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you like the show, we invite you to join the Garage Hammer community by joining our forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or our Facebook page, Garage Hammer Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. Follow David at Garage Hammer and follow Chris at Topher Chris U. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach David through David at garagehammer.net. You can reach me, that's Chris, through Chris U at GarageHammer.net. And you can reach both of us through GarageHammer at Live.com. If you want to help support GarageHammer, check the support page or the show store on our website, or leave us a positive review on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening. Flame rejected us once. Malekith said. Why should it not do so again? There was no rejection. You simply weren't strong enough. Asurian always intended for you to succeed your father. Think on it. Why do you suppose every Phoenix King was shielded by mages in their passage through the fire? Even then, they all passed into madness of one kind or another. It wasn't just Athis and Morvale. Even those my people revere were consumed by the power or the guilt of a stolen throne. And what proof have you of this? Malekith demanded.
Teclis could not blame the other for disbelieving. It had taken him many months to come to terms with himself. Finubar told me, he said. Why do you suppose he hardly fought you at the end? He, at least, was good-hearted. But the guilt ate away at him. That is why he so rarely led his people to war. He knew he was but the continuance of a subverted tradition. He was glad to die. Without warning, a new sound joined the battle outside. The deep, primal roar of dragonkind. Teclis gave a small smile. A little welcome news did much to leaven the dire times. Imric has come, he said quietly. You owe him much, though I doubt you will ever accept that. Even now, when you know I have no other choice, still you attempt to manipulate me. It seemed that Malekith had heard neither the dragon's war nor Teclis's words. The witch king's voice was angry, but Teclis deemed it to be the anger of one slowly embracing an unwelcome truth rather than one resisting a lie. At last they came to the chamber of fire. At Karadrian's nod, the chamber's guards stepped aside and opened the heavy brass-bound doors. They, like the rest of the phoenix guard within the shrine, seemed to think nothing odd of the witch king's presence. On the other side of the doors, a broad marble stair led upwards. At its pinnacle, beneath a pyramidal roof shaped long ago from a single colossal diamond, the sacred fire blazed and flickered. Once, Teclis knew, the flames had burned so bright that they touched the diamond ceiling. Now, they were scarcely the height of an elf. Why do you think that Imric fights for you? Teclis asked as the door slammed closed behind them. Why do you think that the Phoenix Guard have allowed you within these walls? Why was Karadrian ready to die for you? Teclis asked. Imric has learned the truth of things, and the Phoenix Guard have always known it. Then why do so many of them march under Tyrion's banner? Malekith demanded. They have fallen under Cain's sway, like so many others. They knew that if they followed Tyrion, they would join his madness. But they also knew that it was their fate, and so went anyway. A pathetic excuse. No, it's an honorable sacrifice, Teclis rejoined. To pledge yourself to the Phoenix Guard is to be haunted every day with the knowledge of how you will fail, no matter how flawless your service. Teclis closed his eyes briefly. It is not a path I could have chosen. I need hope, and the Phoenix Guard know only certainty. Weakness. <coughs> Malekith mocked, but the sound quickly degenerated into a terrible, racking cough. Bloody spittle oozed out through his helm's mouthpiece to drip to the floor. The Witch King stumbled and would have fallen had Karadrian not moved to support him. Malekith pulled free of Karadrian. He took three staggering steps towards the flame, then stopped. If we pass into the fire, he said without turning, our every striving has been a lie. His voice seemed almost wistful. Teclis waited for a moment before speaking, then chose his words carefully. Does that cause you to regret your deeds? he asked. No, said Malekit softly, but then his voice grew harder. No, we would do it all again. I would do it all again. Then nothing about you was ever a lie, said Teclis. And by your words, you prove yourself no better than those who stole the throne. He sighed. But you are a Syrian's choice, nonetheless. All that is left of our creator waits for you in the fire. If you can withstand the pain, there's perhaps a chance for us all. And if I cannot? Malekith asked. Then the last spark of a Syrian will fade, and those of our people who survived Tyrion's madness will be consumed by the dark gods. Malekith did not reply, but took the final few steps into the sacred flame. At one moment, he was a black shadow against a brilliant light. At the next... It was just the flame. Then the screaming began.